Monday, August the 30th, 2021. We've got an early episode out this week for you. And we will talk plenty of NFL news, baseball news. We're going to get into Tuesday Colonial. They've got a big card over there. Virginia Derby, Jessica Paquette joins us to talk about a couple stakes races. We'll talk a little Tuesday Canterbury as well. Some best bets over there for you. Wednesday, best bets at Saratoga. Closing day for Colonial. So we'll have some plays over there and some thoughts on their stakes races. We get into What If, Episode 3 with Tim Kelly. And SummerSlam 2005, the old wrestling rewatch, the main event, Shawn Michaels versus Hulk Hogan. Shawn's just flopping all over the place. It's actually a pretty fun show. A lot of uh, high notes that uh, Andrew joins me to discuss. Out there, anyone um, you know in Hurricane Ida, really scary if you haven't been paying attention or haven't seen. Um, lots of damage going on right now around the country. So stay safe, everyone out there. And if there's ever anything I can do, please let me know. Um, we're going to uh, do our best here on That's What G Said to make you some money, keep you entertained. And remember, That's What G Said is presented by Better Than Vegas at VTV Bets on Twitter. So this is a website that is totally free for anyone to go and check out and what it provides is content from gamblers and handicappers all around the world people will post videos with their selections and analysis games that they're going to be playing and like anything some people win some people lose every week there is a standings kept on who has doing the best whose ROI is the highest who's up the most Units, who's got the positive, who's got the negative So everything is scored for you And information is really good Because you're going to get people that are talking About every different sport you could imagine All sorts of different wagers Why they're playing certain things I've been focusing on baseball quite a bit For the last uh, few months And doing really, really well Shout out to our buddy Brian Howard Beho, Who won the weekly showdown last week It's totally free uh, For you to go and watch everybody's videos And it's also free if you want to post your own videos. When you do so, you actually enter yourself in the weekly showdown. And if you post videos and and with some of your plays and your wagers, you have a chance of winning 250 bucks for the weekly showdown. For nothing, it's free, no entry. On Twitter, their handle is at BTVBets. Every single night, they attempt to give away money. They will pick a bet, pick a game, some sort of a prop, and they will blast it out there on Twitter. All you have to do is follow at BTV Bets, retweet some of those tweets. Sometimes there's polls to vote in to see what, you know, if there's a parlay or other certain things, and that's it. Then they'll pick someone. It's not like one of those situations where there's a you know million entries that you're gonna be picking from. It's it's all the people that retweet that. Sometimes there's 50, 60, 120. You have a legitimate shot in getting selected and having a chance to win money. They give you the bet. If the bet hits, boom, you take the cash home. So it's really cool because if you are someone who plays a lot of different sports, check check it out. There are probably some people you're going to roll your eyes at and go, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. Or sometimes when I put mention a game or something, you say, Gino's crazy. But then there will be days or certain people that you – you know, really latch on to. Uh, there are some sharp handicappers over there, and you want to follow them on Twitter, also at BTV Bets. Let's get into some NFL news right now. We are just a little over a week away. Can you believe that? From the the first NFL game, nothing this week, nothing this weekend, and then it'll be next Thursday. 
with the uh, opening Thursday night game. So unfortunate news, and a lot of times at this point of the year, coming off the last round of preseason games and training camp stuff, most of the news is injury-related, and it's unfortunate. J.K. Dobbins, ACL injury done for the year. Ouch. That's a bummer for a very young, talented running back. Irv Smith, tight end, uh, meniscus issue. He's going to be missing what sounds like at least a month, probably four to six weeks. With a full repair, it could end up being three months. T.Y. Hilton, the the Colts have some issues right now to start the season. T.Y. Hilton has a disc issue in his neck. They said he will probably not miss the whole year, which he, that never sounds good for the Colts. Wentz, Ryan Kelly, and Zach Paschal on the COVID list because of close contact tracing. So they're going to have to probably be five days and a couple negative tests. So now Wentz with the injury and now on the COVID list, he needs every snap, every rep that he could get in practice, and he's not getting that. They could be very behind. They did activate Quentin Nelson from the COVID list. Because of Hurricane Ida, the Saints have been practicing in Dallas, uh, the devastating hurricane. They are likely to be practicing in Dallas again next week because of power outages and all of the damage around. So they're going to have to prep for their season, not in their home facilities, in their normal facilities. Calf injury for Evan Ingram. We'll see uh, more news about that in the next few days. Gardner Minshew traded to Philly. which It was really weird the way that the Jags handled this, right? Because you make it seem like we all knew Lawrence is going to start. You make it seem like there's some open competition, which nobody ever really believed. But what that did was that actually took some of the reps away from Lawrence that you could have just given him all of those reps in in training camp, getting ready. So you take, he gets less reps, you give some of those to a guy that you end up trading and giving somewhere else. And the thing about Minshew is, I mean, I like Minshew. He's probably not a starting NFL quarterback for a franchise, but he might be one of the best backup quarterbacks there. He He's the perfect type of player who, if you actually have a, a solid team and and or just solid quarterback play that you know when he comes in for a game or two, you're not going to drop completely off because of him. He can move the ball. He's feisty. He's not going to... He was in a bad situation because he wasn't going to be able to pick the Jaguars team up because they were, they were needing so much else around him. But if you slotted him in... You know, and he was the backup in a good, for a good team in a good spot, and that quarterback went down and he had to jump in. I don't think it would be bad to have Minshew there in case Lawrence does, you know, get hurt and you need somebody. He he feels like he's one of the better backup options. Some of the uh, NFL news right now going on. We will have a big NFL season sort of uh, predictions preview. On our next episode of That's What G Said, Eric's going to join me. We're going to go through picking on division winners, kind of predicting the uh, the playoff teams, uh, picking the conference champions all the way into the Super Bowl, and maybe some uh, overall season uh, wagers, any other loot news in the next few days, anything uh, positive or negative, uh, risers or, or fallers in the world of fantasy. So we'll have a big NFL segment going through a, a lot of wagering information coming up on the next episode of That's What G Said. And don't forget, we've already gone through team-by-team full previews and predictions for one episode was the AFC, one was the NFC, then we did a huge fantasy football preview. I think one of them was the 
previews was two hours. The other one was an hour and a half. The other one was an hour and 40 minutes. So there's a ton of NFL content out there already. And we will now be doing every, basically every episode of That's What She Said is going to have a lot of NFL. And it's they, they we're going to have a huge focus on NFL now coming up over the next uh, you know half of the year. We'll keep going with everything else. It's not just going to be an NFL show, but the NFL will definitely take a lot of focus, attention, time, uh, and and you know some somewhere that we love. We love talking football, gambling, fantasy. Very excited as the football season comes close, as the baseball season finishes up. There, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of craziness as far as teams moving up and down uh, last week. Everybody's got about 30, 35 games left. Tampa, and they're kind of doing it quietly. They've won seven in a row. They've got the best record in the American League. And after winning 13 games in a row, the Yankees lost two straight. So the Yanks are now, I mean, they're probably not going to catch the Rays. They're six games behind the Rays in the division. And Boston's now eight games behind the Rays in the division. So they're two games behind the Yankees is in the wild card. The the is funny. There's there's like one maybe maybe one divisional race in all of baseball. Looks like the the AL East is probably gonna be the Rays. They're up six games. AL Central, the White Sox are up ten games on the Indians, and in the American League West, the Astros are up five and a half games on the A's. Maybe we can get a race there, but again. Everybody's got 30 to 35 games. That's hard to make up a ton of ground in, in that little stretch. So the American League wild card right now would have the Yankees playing the Red Sox. It would be Boston at New York. The A's, the Mariners, the Blue Jays are chasing. So Boston's two games behind the Yankees, in, and they're both locked in in the wild card. Behind them, the A's are... The A's are two and a half behind Boston for the final wild card spot. They're four behind the Yankees, four and a half behind the Yankees. The Mariners are four and a half games behind the Red Sox for that final spot. Toronto's five and a half behind the Red Sox. So that's probably everybody who you would think has a a shot of, you know, needing to get hot to get in. Toronto, the Mariners with an outside shot. The A's kept themselves in it. This they were struggling bad. But winning on Saturday and Sunday, they were able to bounce back, and now they're two and a half behind Boston. So, in the National League, so you would get you know the Red Sox right now. If the playoffs were to start in the American League, you get the Red Sox Yankees in the wild card. You get a White Sox Houston series, and then the winner of that wild card to play Tampa. And then in the uh, National League, you'd get the Braves from the NL East who are now up four and a half games on Philly. They're up seven and a half on the Mets. So maybe we get a little bit of a race there with the Braves and the Phillies, but the Braves are playing really good baseball. In the Central, the Brewers are up eight and a half games on the Reds and they're up 12 on St. Louis. It's very unlikely that there's any kind of a a race there. Eight and a half game margin with, you know, 30-ish to go. But the Reds have jumped into the current wild card number two spot. They are a game and a half ahead of the Padres. They are three and a half games ahead of St. Louis, and they're four games ahead of the Reds, and they're, and they're four games ahead of Philly. So right now it's Dodgers and Reds as your two wild card teams chasing them. It's the Padres a game and a half back of the Reds. The 
The St. Louis Cardinals are three and a half out, and the Phillies are four games out. Those are the teams that have a, a shot to get into the NL wild card spot. Dodgers have that locked up. Uh, they have an 11 and a half game lead over the Reds, and they're two and a half games behind the Giants, who had to be considered a really disappointing weekend for the Dodgers. They've played great. I think they're 19 and six in August, and they're the Giants are 19 and seven though. They just can't make up any ground. This was a weekend where the Dodgers had the Rockies coming to town. So you figure, great, the Rockies are terrible on the road. Dodgers are playing well. They just uh coming in sweeping the Padres. The Giants have to play the the Braves. Braves end up taking two of three from the Giants, but the Dodgers lose two of three to the Rockies. Which, you know, it's a big bummer. But you gotta look at it in a little bit of context. The Dodgers had to have three consecutive bullpen games after having a 16-inning game in the middle of the week. So you basically had a, like a, a doubleheader needing to go 16 innings and throw a ton of arms, and then you have three games in a row where you throw the entire bullpen. They had Justin Turner close the game, and it was only 5 nothing. That's got to wake up a little bit for the Dodgers, though. They continue to chase the Giants team. These, are the, these teams have the first and third best record in baseball, I think, Tampa's like maybe a half game or a game or so better than the Dodgers now after the weekend. Uh, but the Dodgers are, you know, they, they still have 82 wins. They're only in 49 losses. This is, it's not like a bad team. We just expect them to win every single game that when they don't, it's disappointing, especially when they don't to a team like Colorado who's terrible on the road. But, you know, you do have to take a little context and say it's really hard to have three consecutive bullpen games. Hopefully the Dodgers can bounce back a little bit this week. They have they have to. I mean, they two and a half behind the Giants chasing. There's still a three-game series with the Giants to come at the end of this week. Dodgers have to play the Braves, then the Giants. Padres are 15 and a half games back of San Francisco now in the division. In a, in a full game, in a game and a half behind the Reds. So right now it would be the Reds at the Dodgers in a wild card game. We'd see the Braves and the Brewers likely hook up in the uh, in the first round of the baseball playoffs. So we will, uh, yeah, we'll have our little MLB check-ins. I believe later in the week we're going to do a Dodgers weekly with uh, Ben, who I've butchered his name many times. Ben Coonley, Keenley, Keenley, Coonley, <laughs> Ben Keenley, and, uh, and James Kurtz. And my buddies will uh, be joining me to talk a little Dodgers, I believe, later on in the week. But now we're going to start talking a little horse racing. Let's talk about DRF.com. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years. Studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF pass performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. 
one click to formulator for charts for replays if you get the formulator version and even on the classic past performances you get the home screen with horses with odds with buyers you get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph you can rotate your phone for the best view and any horse that you click on you'll see the running lines you can easily move from horse to horse the same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances you get an interactive format which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches and so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone cross device functionality you can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices on the go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf past performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com it is the final week of some of the big summer racing like colonial is going to be closing up this week on wednesday so we make sure we have to get involved in those stable dual contests the next few days del mar going to be closing out let's see what this week's schedule is like for stable duel if you am not sure what stable duel is it is a, an app and it is a website that is horse racing daily contest you can get involved for actually free games. You can download their app and actually never even deposit and play in some of the free games. But once you do play in some of those, you're going to want to play in a lot of the others in the bigger games and see all of that money that you could be vying for this week. Stable Duel Games on Tuesday at Cinnaboya Downs, Colonial Downs, Penn National, Parks, and Thistle Down. Remember Colonial Downs, that huge Virginia Derby Day card we're going to talk about Races, what, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, I believe. And uh, Jessica Paquette's going to join me to talk about three of those in just a few moments. So you also get Wednesday, Assiniboia, Colonial, Delaware, Penn National, Parks, Thistledown, all contest options for you. Thursday, Charlestown, Delaware, Delmar, Emerald, Thistledown, Woodbine. On Friday, Charlestown, Delmar, a couple different Delmars, Ellis Park. Golden Gate, Gulfstream, Monmouth, Penn National, and Woodbine. You get a Saturday Del Mar contest, $15,000 prize pool. It's a $150 entry on Saturday Del Mar, and we will talk a lot about that contest and that game right here for uh, for Saturday. On Sunday, Del Mar, Emerald, Golden Gate, Gulfstream, Kentucky Downs joins the party. Monmouth in the mix. Think of all those different options. We have games each day starting, you know, as low as five or ten entry fees, all the way up to fifty, hundred, five hundred for the bigger players. Delmar's got a thousand dollar double up on Saturday. Get those entries in and play, race, win. We are now going to get to uh, an interview we have with Jessica Paquette, who does a great job. One of the racing analysts over there at Colonial Downs. Jessica was doing some work with Sam Houston. You've heard her on this show before a few different times when uh, she would come on and handicap some of the Sam Houston races with us. So we talk about the big Tuesday at Colonial. There is uh, 11 races 
races 6 through 10 in all stakes pick 5 The ninth race is the Virginia Oaks $150,000, a field of 12 A 4-1 to morning line favorite The 10th is the Grade 3 Virginia Derby $250,000 up for grabs A field of 12 and a 7-2 to morning line favorite Jessica joins to discuss Races 8, 9, and 10 And to set up the day Kick back and enjoy Conversation about Tuesday Colonial Huge week coming up at Colonial Downs But it's it's kind of like mixed emotions Because if you're a fan of the Colonial Downs racing And the meet that uh, like I am And you like playing those races over there You're excited because this week may be the best yet to come uh, On Tuesday in particular with the Virginia Derby And I believe five stakes races on the card But it's also closing week So uh, a little sad that we'll have the final three days coming up I'm actually recording this conversation with uh, Jessica Paquette on Sunday A lot of you will probably hear it Monday uh, into uh, early Tuesday And we're going to talk about that big Tuesday card You've heard Jessica before on this show She is an excellent, excellent handicapper And just a great, great ambassador for the sport of horse racing She's been doing the on-site racing analysis over at Colonial They have a great team there And Jessica's going to join me now to talk a little bit about the big day Jess, uh, we uh, we chatted quite a bit about uh, Sam Houston earlier in the year And I was so happy to see you uh, take your talents over to Virginia Over to Colonial and uh, and help them out I-, I love your team over there I just got to give you all a shout out You guys have done such a great job throughout the meet Well, thank you It, it is a great team It takes a village Jill Byrne, Allison DeLuca They do just an incredible job putting on a show Jason Beam up in the announcer's booth Just been great call after great call It's a fabulous group to work with Jason, uh, always so much fun Everybody loves him on uh, on Twitter too Great personality and another real good Ambassador for the game And uh, it seems like you two have got along really well And you just bring uh, a real good enthusiasm A fun every single day uh, I know you as a uh, a runner You uh, you had to, to scope out the, the, the land And the grounds How, how have your, uh, your trails been uh, in the Virginia area? I have found some good running routes. It's been a lot of fun. And it's been fun for Jason and I because we're really good friends in real life as well. So we were roommates while we were down there. It was a really fun, really fun summer. Awesome. And uh, now we're going to jump in and talk some specifics because, as I was mentioning, um, you know, uh, sad to close the meet. But wow, when you talk about what is on tap coming up the next few days and in particular Tuesday and Wednesday is also a big one because that's you know it's the final day of the meet. You, know, you, you want to make sure you get involved in a lot of those exotic payouts, uh, exotic pools because they could be really big payouts. But Tuesday is what we're going to be talking. And wow, Jess, I think eleven races on the Tuesday card of uh, an all stakes pick five <laughs> starting oh, in in race six. <laughs> just a cat, you know, casual. I, I believe yeah. all stakes on the turf on a, too. It's on a just, Tuesday, on a Tuesday, you know, all stakes. What else are you five. guys doing on a Tuesday, really? Right, right. Uh, just they have they have set these races up really, really well. And what is good about them is they're. You know, we we see graded stakes races sometimes, and like we had a great weekend at Saratoga. And we saw some awesome star performances. Real that was fun. What racing. a fun weekend! It was awesome. This is going to be a little different because these are a lot of young, really talented horses that aren't quite as proven, but the fields are so deep in just the Oaks and the Virginia Derby in particular. There's a field of twelve in the Oaks going for one hundred fifty thousand. The morning line favorite. Is four to one, and then in the Derby, the Virginia Derby, Grade Three for two hundred fifty thousand. It's a field of twelve, and the morning line favorite in that race is seven to two. It's literally 
a, a handicap to figure out who's even going to go off favored in those races because they're so wide open. So I don't handicap with the morning line. I never have. It's just it's an old habit from Suffolk mm-hmm. that I've continued to because I don't like to get swayed by other people's opinion. And that is what the morning line essentially really is. Mm-hmm. And so looking, I mean, this is so hard to figure out. It's been a really it, these these races took so long to handicap in the best way possible. If you like the puzzle, if you like the replays, and in a track like Colonial too, because uh, what's what's nice is that you know Colonial isn't a year-round track, or they don't have like a big circuit where they all come from. So you get these horses shipping in from all over the place, with which makes it really. Fun for a handicapper, but also very challenging for someone like you who's doing the, uh, you know, the analysis for each and every race like this. How many different circuits and and track charts and you know uh, race replays from different places you're pulling up when, uh, when you handicap a track like this? I have a lot of tabs open at any given point. To be <laughs> yeah. fair, yeah, yeah, and uh, and so it, it's uh, it's going to be a fun challenge, and we're going to talk about three of the races on the card. Uh, as I mentioned, there are. Five stakes races and if you want to get involved in a 50 cent all stakes pick five you can do that starting in race number six uh, which is the hundred and fifty thousand dollar stakes stakes race there the thoroughbred aftercare alliance old nelson and uh, then the seventh race is another hundred thousand dollar stakes race there we're going to talk about races eight nine and ten and so maybe you're not you know as much of a pick five player Okay, you can come back and play the pick four that starts in race eight The late pick four, three of those are stakes races They include both the Virginia Oaks and the Derby That we were just talking about So in this, uh, in the the Exacta Systems Rosies Which is the $100,000 stakes race that goes as number eight If you want to follow along with us We are looking at August the 31st And we're looking at race number eight for Colonial Five and a half furlongs on the turf course this is a, a fun one because we've got young horses here on the turf course. We've got two-year-olds. And from from first glance when I was looking at this race, you know, as you would expect when you have a five-and-a-half furlong race, a lot of these horses are going to want to be forwardly placed or up on the lead or pressing. And it seems like the one who's like the most true closer hasn't ever been on the turf. So that's kind of a cool puzzle at, you know, at first glance. Who are some of the horses that you might look to to use in exotics in this eighth race? So this is a race I actually feel like I might have to go a couple of horses deep. I have a single in the seventh race that's probably my strongest opinion of the day. That's wow, what a summer. Single, all in on this horse. Nice, nice. But that's that kind e- of that's extra. I didn't even ask you for that, and you yeah. give us a little bit extra. That's how I good you are. I bring my A game for you, Gino. You, you get Thank the best. You. <laughs> uh, it's only an A game if he comes in. But be- exactly. So that's going to give me a little bit more cushion in this race to go a little bit deeper. I like Tejano Twist on top. Um, the turf is a question mark, obviously. But he has enough turf influence in his pedigree to kind of go grass i don't think he wants to go long but that's a non-issue for today if he stretches out we can have that conversation but i think he should get if his form translates to the grass i think he gets a pretty honest pace setup i think you have to use him i feel like just the way the race shapes up like i, I if you're playing any kind of rolling exotics he would not be a horse that i could leave out just because yeah. the way it feels it's going to set up there are just so many versions of this race where like you mentioned he may not Love even be as turfy as some of the others in here, but he just feels like he could just fall into such a good trip for, for, from sitting out there. Another horse I like is Trust Our Journey. I've been pretty skeptical all summer of these horses coming in from Monmouth because of the restrictions down mm-hmm. there. And whatever you think about that, um, it's a strange thing that you can go from another track to another jurisdiction and be able to use the stick in a different manner. 
And, you know, horses do their best with clear cut signals and things mm-hmm. being the same every time. So I'm kind of viewing some of those Monmouth races as not always a toss, but I mean, this horse ran well enough on the turf last time to answer the question that he gets over the grass. Now I wonder, you know, if maybe he's a little bit better with a little bit extra encouragement. And they're two girls. They, you know, they're, they're babies. They don't really yeah, know anything yet. And that's a great point that you make is that, you know, you're teaching at this point. So when you go from, you know, you're teaching a horse this to respond to this or to respond to certain signals, and then you go to a different track where those signals are going to be different now. Um, yeah, you know, I think that's a hard that's a hard thing with some of these young horses and with these older horses that are really set in the, you the know, ways this is the way things are done. Oh yeah, I've done this twenty five times. Now I'm going to go over here and then go back, and you're going to ask me to do it again differently. That's not right. E- yeah, right. That's not now e- you're just shaking the reins and clucking at me. I don't understand. Say <laughs> what? Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Trust our journey that that uh, her world uh, Wesley Ward uh, Philly, who's actually a very very nice, who won that race. A couple others I wanted to mention in this race to take a look at it. It is a, a wide open fun. One. If Big Boss Ben wasn't drawn inside, I would really like him because sure. I th- I think he can sit a little bit, but I I just can't really envision him getting that kind of trip. It would have to work out so perfect for him. And sometimes you can break well and then you know end up sitting and, and getting an okay trip from the rail. But so many times you get that shuffle back, and you just have to be so good. And I don't know if if he'll get the beneficial trip. Um, one other horse who's intriguing, I thought was the three Mr. Mox, you know, he, he does seem like he might be able to sit a little bit in just watching his races, his, uh, his loss came to a horse, uh, that is actually two for three and two for two on the main track. The lone loss for, for that one stand up comic came in a turf stakes and he, in his start at Delaware, after winning the debut at Pimlico against maiden specials, he came back in a, a pretty, yeah, pretty tough race at Delaware. And he, you know, he was right up to press after away a, a little bit slowly. And so he kind of moved himself up to press and they battled throughout the stretch and he just lost. I think he can sit a, a tad bit too. And so I'm, I'm kind of looking for some horses in this particular race who I think might be able to just have that positional speed because I, I like early on, especially I love when I like we're both kind of gravitating towards the seven a little bit. And I even think the four who's fast has shown that, okay, he can, he, if he doesn't get the lead, at least he's not going to get discouraged. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think he's one that has a lot of upside as he's kind of developing. Mm-hmm. So uh, a cool uh, little two-year-old turf stakes in race number eight. And this is a very pivotal race because it's in the middle of uh, a lot of those big exotics. That all stakes pick five that we're all going to jump into in race number six. And then the start of the late pick four right here in race number eight. And let's get to the two big races on the card. First, the Virginia Oaks in race number nine. And then we'll get to the Virginia Derby. So the ninth race, $150,000 up for grabs. They're going to go a mile and an eighth in here. As I said, it is, you know, you have so many really talented fillies and they're, they're not proven. And I mean that in a good way because they're also, they're also lightly raced and improving. Like any one of these can just take another big step forward and it wouldn't be shocking. You can legitimately make strong cases for almost every single Philly in this field and I wouldn't Look at you crazy it is That kind of a race it's so Cool for like a pick four and a pick five Because uh, you know some people have to Take a stand you know you know Is this where you you single or you shorten up or Most people are going to probably have to spread out A lot in races nine and ten You know I I have some pretty strong opinions Here I'm very I'm really excited About both of these races but this of the Two big races this is the one where I have The stronger opinion and that's the six Bell Belisa so 
I'm starstruck by very few people in life. Like people don't generally impress me. Michael Dickinson had me absolutely <laughs> starstruck. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm in the paddock before the before before her debut talking to him. And in my mind, I'm like, be cool. Don't be so awkward. Be cool. Uh, but he's just delightfully eccentric. And we had like a lovely conversation about fox hunting. And I was, you know, I decided we were best friends at that moment. <laughs> so then I'm watching this filly get saddled and she was bad. I mean, not not green. She was just she was just ill-behaved um and and doing it very intentionally she was she had a lot of opinions and she wasn't any better once she got onto the track definitely wasn't any better in the gate and charlie marquez did such a nice job keeping her mentally quiet because she was the kind that was like on the verge of a complete meltdown at any moment but you know once the gates open she was spectacular really really impressive and speaking to michael after the race was uh, the funniest interview I've ever had in a very many years of doing this. He <laughs> called her a hussy in the post-race <laughs> interview. And I mean, he, he's not wrong. That was, I didn't know you could use that word. I didn't know that that was, that was, but apparently Michael Dickinson can. So, yeah. You're just quoting. You're just quoting. Yeah, that, That's it. It. I just, I mean, I'm there on a, on a hot mic on li- you know, live air, just controlling my facial expression because I just wanted to die laughing. But another interesting thing, um, all jokes aside about this filly is she wasn't hundred percent fit for this race. He had mentioned that she had banged herself up a little bit, probably doing something goofy because she's a goofy acting filly and missed some, a few weeks of training. And, you know, he was surprised by how well she ran considering how, you know, he did not have her hundred percent. So second start, she's going to be a little fitter. I don't know if she'll be any better behaved. I think this might be who she is, mm-hmm. but Talent, talent, talent. We're gonna keep, and I want him to win so we can have another fun chat. Yeah, we got to keep an eye on Bella Belisa and see what uh, some of her antics are like uh, pre-race and maybe in the post-race winner's circle. I gotta say, she was fantastic. I mean, if you if you are someone who watches replays, I'm sure you'll feel the same. If you haven't or you don't, go go back and check out her replay just because for her to do what she did. First time out of the box Going a mile and an eighth On the turf like that's so Hard to win and then To to add all of the factors that you Mentioned the temperament that she has She was <laughs> act, she was already Giving some of her exerting Energy free race right Like she was yeah. already like giving some of Herself away there you know and it was like wow Once she Really started to figure it out she was a step Slow and she even like ran Like she figured she might have Gotten more out of that one race Than like four or five races Just the oh, way yeah, you have to think um, it, it was like Everything step slow Then she was you know she was taken back she's towards the rear She's double digit lengths off She stays inside and Then she kind of just like creeps up To where she's maybe five or six Off and then she moves the Two path she moves in between Then she goes five wide It was just like Wow, this the, she just started. Oh yeah, I guess I'm supposed to run, and just got going late. She could have gone around and again and again. It wouldn't have mattered. I think you have to use her everywhere. And if she's a a key, she just she's visually so impressive. Um, she could I couldn't leave her out. And and she she's gonna have to be good because this is I mean this is a good group. Look like yeah. right next door, poor Kano, who is five for seven, and one of her 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 only loss in her last six starts was to Cone Lima. 
<laughs> you know, Cole Lima, who wins the you know grade three, and then comes back and, and is runner up in a against grade one company. She defeats a horse named uh, Shanty Sara, who comes back to win a grade three, and you actually see defeating some of the other rivals in like double blessed, and them in the in the pucker up. So that I mean, she's got some quality. What about out, like out of sorts, invincible gal, like gold for I like invincible really gal. Really classy. I, yeah, I didn't think Talk she had a little the best invincible yeah, she didn't have the best trip last time out, but I think has run deceptively well in her last couple of races. And I think this race, you know, sets up for a horse making a move from off the pace. Like, I no arguing that Porcano mm-hmm. is really good, but Gold for Kitten is also pretty yes. good, and she's going to take it to her early. I don't think that Porcano is going to get it her own way out front. No, uh, and you know, we have an Ortiz brother coming in for Grand Motion, and I think I think this really is a really live chance. Invincible gal who. Was just behind a horse named High Opinion High Opinion came back and just missed In the grade 2 Boston Spa at Saratoga Over the weekend So that franks the form for Invincible Gal Even more Um, Yeah like out of sorts You can just put a line through the race at Saratoga And what's wrong with the form for uh, Prior to that for her uh, Flippant I mean flippant what's she done wrong She's won back to back and um, in one of her poor performances, which was at Churchill, and wouldn't even be poor, she's only beaten a couple lengths. She did have a little bit of trouble, and that race came back super, super live. Um, oh, yeah, no, you can you can make a logical case for every single one of so these horses, really. Fun, fun, and these are the fun races when you can do that because, like, you you take a stand with a horse like the six, and other people will take stands in other directions. I think you have to use the six just because she. The upside that she has with that being her first start and and some of the things you mentioned, her her not even being fully cranked, her probably having a lot more upside for her absolute best. Uh, one more to mention before we get to the the feature, uh, the one Adelaide miss, even another to include. Like, look at her grass form; she's a head away from being undefeated. And I love any time horses like this. You you hit on this point a little earlier. When when you see the layoff lines Or when they have to run and then a couple months off And then they have to run and then a couple months off Once they get two or three or four starts And they start putting them together You just know they're going to be so much more fitter They're going to start really figuring it out Especially for a filly like this who Oh yeah, now look at her two races going long This is going to be her third start going long on the grass She wouldn't be a shock saving ground And getting a nice trip from the inside No, not at all Not not at all Once they, they get rolling I mean, it's the conditioning that's everything really so we have a huge field of 12 in the ninth race, the Virginia Oaks. This is going to this is one that will make those uh, pick fours and pick fives so difficult. As we get to the feature, the grade 3 New Kent County Virginia Derby and mile and an eighth 10th race turf course. We've got a field almost identical to that uh that Virginia Oaks field. We've got 12 in here, a lukewarm 7 to 2 morning line favorite. Who are a couple of the horses that you're looking at here? My top selection is Experienced, who may lack that, but he, he is going to be a short price, I think. Yeah, you have his two races, I know, lightly race, but they've been so impressive. And he didn't have anything his own way last time up behind Indian Lake, who did. Indian yep. Lake kind of got, got it all his way on the front end that day. And experience, to me, is just, you know, it's there's something so special about these multi-generational homebreds. And I've always been a big fan of George Stra- Strawbridge's Augustine Stables. Like, those silks are sort of really iconic to me as greatness on the turf. I think of, like, with anticipation and horses like that. And experienced, I mean, the pedigree's there. Uh, Dan was a grade one winner. She's been a blue hen producer. She's produced uh, grade one winning millionaire Rainbow View. 
And I loved this horse's debut effort. The the my my real approach with handicapping this race is I just I don't think I'm I'm gonna play a lot of the pace horses. I feel like with this big field, with the presence of Indian Lake, with the presence of it can be done, like at least those two I know are gonna be really, really quick. And then I have no idea with Search for Truth, who is so freaky, like he he could go, but I think he could sit so impressive. You know, like he might have just been one of those situations where it's like we broke well, we know we're on a really nice course. Let's just kind of keep him in the clear so we're not having to deal with traffic. I don't think he's a need the lead horse And I wouldn't be shocked if he could secure a, a Kind of a third or fourth Ground saving trip from the inside I think because of he his upside He's probably like I'm, I'm using him on a lot But but probably not many other Pace horses because I, I just don't really think he is A pace horse in here I don't think he needs to lead I think he was light years Better than everything that was in The field and it was a good field to be he was Light years beyond them And Whereas the stable mate was so quirky and so difficult, he was so professional. Search for truth, the number one in here who's eight to one on the morning line. Uh, a couple others to mention before we finish up with Jessica. She mentioned the uh, the seven experience, who I totally agree with. Uh, and Wooten Asset was in that same race, and they both could benefit quite a bit from from the cutback. You know, some of these horses, you you loom up, but then a mile and a half, it's just not for everyone. They don't all have that punch there. So both Wooten Asset and Experience to come out of that race, Experience with. Just so much upside and just lightly race that you, you probably lean there, but uh, don't completely dismiss a horse like Wooten Asset for Grand Motion, especially with uh, Ortiz jumping aboard. Another one who, with the, you know, if we're expecting an off the pace trip to be solid in here or the place you want to be, that one uh, probably gets it. Um, and then just a cool, a cool horse, Draft Capital. Like how how awesome is this horse? Who uh, they've just been doing uh, their great work. Over at Arlington So this horse comes into a new barn Takes a start for them to kind of figure Him out a little bit and then they rattle off Four wins in a row you go from maiden Claiming to 12-5 non-2 And then you you take on First level allowance company and beat some Solid horses so This is a I like seeing Horses who are You know sharp and they Continue to step up the ladder This is a good spot for them to get a test and see Where they really stack up Oh, absolutely, and he's he's in, to think you could have had him for twelve five. Yeah, twelve five, and now you're now you're in here. T- we're in here talking about him as a contender in a graded stakes race. You could get some some black type here in a race with a two hundred fifty thousand dollar purse. Just a an, a phenomenal job they've done setting up the the closing day cards this week over at Colonial. And uh, Jessica, we've we've had uh, you know such a great time watching you over there. You're always so well prepared. You're always uh, doing such a great job, having fun too. Um, great energy, and we look forward to watching you the next couple of days: Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, give us uh, your your plug on Twitter, and then I do want to talk a little bit about the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation too. You can follow me on Twitter it's at JM Paquette, mostly dog and horse pictures, the occasional <laughs> long run and, you know, sharing the enthusiasm of the fun I'm having at a racetrack. So that's that it's the greatest version of me is that at a racetrack and I'm having the best summer. Make sure to follow along with Jessica. She'll uh, provide really good information throughout, you know, race day. If anything, if there's any changes or scratches or stuff happens or, you know, late stuff throughout the day, she'll always uh, do a good job posting that in the morning and stuff on, on big uh, race days. So with uh, the meet, Coming to an end on Wednesday 
Um, a lot of your time already goes to Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, but I'm sure you'll probably even be given a, a little bit more focus uh, over there. Tell us a, a little bit about the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation that you work for as the Director of Communications. So the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation provides sanctuary for horses that get injured or for whatever reason are not able to have significant athletic careers after they race. Not all of them are able to go on and go and do when they're done racing, and they all still deserve a happy ending and a dignified life. And the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation is, uh, you know, provides them a home for the remainder of their days. Some go into the Second Chances program, which works with incarcerated individuals, so they learn a life skill and the horses get wonderful care. Well, and uh, we want to be able to show some support over there. Uh, where can we do so? Follow along with them, see anything that they've got going. Yeah, you know, social media channels and also trsinc.org. Jessica Paquette, thank you so much for the last uh, year or so. I've I've, uh, I've brought you on here a, a bunch of times. Anytime uh, we needed for Sam Houston, you helped me out. I needed to get you on at least one time before, and it, it felt perfect with the uh, the big day coming up. So thank you so much for all your help uh, over the entire year. But thanks again for coming on this show, and we'll be following along. We'll be watching, and we'll be pouring our money into the uh, into the pools on Tuesday. Thanks for having me. Good luck, everyone. Make sure to give Jessica a follow out there Great handicapper and just a, a real fun follow Great ambassador as I said for, for horse racing And yeah you'll get a lot of those uh, those dog and, uh, and horse pictures uh, <laughs> To follow with So thanks so much and uh, make sure to tell uh, Old BB hello I will Okay folks don't go anywhere We still got plenty more on this episode of That's What She Said Big thank you to Jessica for helping us out with the Tuesday Colonial Cart. Some great, great racing action, some good quality, and some big, big fields. Let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, the earlier stakes races on that Colonial Cart. So let's flip to race number six and uh, and go through a, a couple horses here. So this is the it's a hundred fifty thousand dollars stakes race going a mile and the sixteenth on the turf course. I think the two tuned you want to use in all exotics. He might she might be the best. Horse in this field I'm I'm curious if she'll get the trip she needs Because I don't know how much speed there is In here and because of that I definitely want to use the Six drapes I think She will be forwardly placed in here She sat a nice second last time out She's kind of naturally Quicker than a lot more a lot of these uh, Phillies and mares in this field So I think she's going to be right up on the pace I'm using the two and the six everywhere She's going to be my slight top, top selection If she's around five to one I'll bet her to win Six and two everywhere for me. Um, I'll also use seven and eight most likely on a pick five ticket where I use the Our Baby Ruth and Market Rumor. So six, two, seven, eight for me in race number six at Colonial. We move to race number seven, which is the Woodford Reserve Kittens Joy. Mile and 16th on the turf course. I thought the one C My Meister who won last time out at Gulfstream Park. It was July the 18th. It was very impressive He was a step slow But then he was right up into contention He was about a length off He sat two lengths off And then he got pushed three wide He made a big three wide move And that's not a winning move on the turf Sitting wide like that Giving up a ground That, that works on the dirt fine Sitting three deep It just it doesn't on the grass Now they had the blinkers And you know he was way out in the center of the course He was closer to the outside rail So he was super green and, and you know, kind of goofy late figuring things out, but that's why they add the blinkers, and that's going to help him focus a little bit in here. The number one C, my Meister, seems to have a lot of upside. And the way this race shapes up on paper, probably get some pace from the two, climb and maintain, stretching out. Epic luck, I'm expecting to show some speed. Tis the bomb's going to probably show some speed. Wow, what a summer. 
Probably showing some pace Stretching out That leads me to Gold Heritage Who was extremely impressive in his debut He was a step slow, he was on the inside He was about 8th, 7 off or so And then he angled to the outside And he closed really, really well It was visually very nice 1-6 on all exotics for me I'll probably throw the 4 in on a couple tickets as well Tis the bomb, so I have him stacked 1-6-4 in that 7th Race 8 we spoke about with Jessica Um, I have the 1, 3, and 7 as my must use Big Boss Ben and Mr. Mox I I sort of have as my top Maybe just because you'll get a better price on them Than Tejano Twist But just keep an eye on what the board looks like I'm not against Trust Our Journey either I I don't really have anything too creative Or outside the box there To tell you about race number 8 That we uh, we didn't discuss before In the the ninth race, the Virginia Oaks I have them stacked 6 this is a tough race, right? Six, we spoke a lot about the six with Jessica. Seven, poor K. No, behind that one, she can sit a little bit if she has to. We've seen her, you know, show some tactical speed and, and sit a couple lengths behind. Might be able to sit and get the jump. The one, Adelaide Miss, who's been so impressive lately. Uh, the 11 is just really hard to completely Dismiss Invincible Gal coming out of that troubled trip behind a, a runner uh, that came back and performed well against Graded Stakes Company. And behind them, you've got the 10 out of sorts, who's just tough to completely dismiss. The 3, flippant. I mean, the 9, I'm sort of ex- expecting to get caught up with some other speeds in here, but if for some reason she snuck away or she got a really great trip or she was sitting second or third, yeah, she could fall into a nice spot. There are many ways to go when looking for the winner of this race. I think 6-7-1 is where a lot of my support will be. Some 11s in there too, like I said But yeah, 6, six seven mainly As we move to the 10th for Colonials Virginia Derby For Tuesday The 6 Wooten Asset Was one I think is interesting because you'll probably get a better Price on Wooten Asset than you will on Experienced And I, I think Wooten Asset Is one you probably like for some of the same Reasons you like Experienced And will enjoy the cutback, third start off The, the long layoff should be set for his absolute best He just couldn't go on with Indian Lake Who got the really nice trip And and uh, experienced was uh, was able to go on uh, Alongside Get some pace to chase Wooten Asset, the one search for truth Who was just so freaky good When he won um, on Colonial's Turf Course on August the 10th The 7 experienced Yeah, it would be hard to just completely leave out The 11 draft capital So sharp, just continues to win races Steps up so those would be uh, the horses I'm using in pick fives and exotics. Maybe a ticket, something along the lines of two, six, seven, eight with one, four, six with one, three, four, seven with six with one, six, seven, eight, eleven, and then maybe come back on a different ticket and uh, maybe single in a different spot, or you you know you take a slightly different approach where you shorten up in a in a couple. That is Tuesday Colonial and a really good, good Tuesday. Card. We're going to talk about the Wednesday Colonial card in just a few moments First I want to give you a couple plays For Tuesday over at Canterbury We have a few best bets that are in that Low takeout pick 5 sequence So if you want to uh, See who we like at Canterbury Let's get those past performances out so you can Follow along and let's take a look At races 4, 6, and 7 for August the 31st in the fourth race, I just don't see any speed on paper in here. They're going seven and a half furlongs on the turf. I've been a fan of Temujin Lady from her debut. She's 
been good all along. She only has a couple poor performances. You can make legitimate excuses for them. One of them was in a stakes race. One of them was in the slop. She should get the lead in here, stretching out of those five furlong races where she's been pressing. And she'll take them as far as she can go. I think she's a, a pretty nice animal. And nobody in here really scares the heck out of me. So let's give the four Temujin Lady top billing. If she's anything around two to one, I'd make a win wager. She's seven to two on the morning line, and she could be a nice exotic single to kick off your late pick five. Let's flip to race number six. Four thousand beaten claimers going a mile on the main. It just feels like the races that Water Patrol comes out of are a lot better, and then you can make some legit excuses for him. So he hasn't won in a while, but last time out he's on a good track. Two starts back. That's a really good race. He was fourth going a mile on the main against Minnesota Bred Optional 15s. He's behind a horse named the Alligator Hunter, who won the $100,000 Minnesota Derby next out. The Alligator Hunter has actually crossed the wire first in five consecutive races. One of those he got DQ'd, but he is in excellent form. The third place finisher that day, Overly Lucky, came back to win an open $25,000 claiming race. Uh, open Bred's beating, beating claimers. Water Patrol saves ground from the inside. The the June or the July races, the the July race, you know, you can you can make a little bit of an excuse for also, and it wasn't a poor performance. Just didn't really get the kind of race shape that that he would need. But I I just feel like he's he's better at a mile. He's won three of his four races going longer. This is going to be a good trip for him. Anything close to that August first race where he was fourth behind two nice horses who are in very good form. Give me Water Patrol. Anything around 7-2 to two feels fair on Water Patrol. We move to the 7th race. This is a group of Minnesota bred, $7,500 non-two claimers, one mile on the main track. Past the Cat should be forwardly placed. And, and probably not on the lead, but probably sitting just off, as we've seen when he stretches out from you know 6.5 to a mile. He's been closer up. I liked his last performance. I liked the win at the mile. A couple starts back. And there is not a whole lot in here. Past the cat is in a, is in solid form right now. And I look for him to, to come right back with a good performance. So that's number four. Past the cat in race number seven on Tuesday over at Canterbury. Five to one on the morning line. Anything around seven to two or so would be worthy of a win wager for me. So that's Tuesday. Canterbury, August the 31st. Best of luck over on Tuesday. And we're going to turn the page and talk a little bit about Wednesday. Before we do, we want to remind you about OldSmokeClothing.com. High-quality clothing and merchandise rooted in the iconic symbols of horse racing. It is a website that has so many options. If you're a fan of horse racing, if you know someone who who loves and enjoys horse racing, they have t-shirts, hats, uh, long sleeves, hoodies, zip-ups, with the names of famous horses, famous racetracks, slogans, catchphrases, anything related to horse racing. Heck, Old Smoke Clothing, they are named after Old Smoke John Morrissey, the founding father of Saratoga. If you use the promo code GINO, it'll get you free shipping on your order, so you're going to save a few bucks just by using that promo code GINO. No shipping costs for you with the promo code GINO. We get to Wednesday. Let's talk some Saratoga. We're going to look at races 4, 7, 8, and 9 at Saratoga on Wednesday for September the 1st. Already into September when the, when we turn to Wednesday. So uh, we're going to turn to race number 4. We've got a mile in the 16th race, a non-2 optional 80. I thought the two TAS, very interesting in here. 
There is no pace signed on on paper. No speed whatsoever. And she's not a speed demon or anything like that. But she's coming out of two five-and-a-half furlong races. One of them, she ran behind a horse named Caravel. Now, Caravel is a uh, a horse who's won three of the last four and was third in a grade one in the lone race of those four that she lost. Robin Sparkles is a stakes winner. The runner-up in good spirits is multiple graded stakes placed. So the two sprint starts this year. Now you're going two sprints to a route. In her route races, she shows a lot more tactical, positional early speed. And there is no speed in here at all. If she just forwardly placed, look at the races towards the bottom of the page. Starter allowance, October the 13th at Belmont, goes gate to wire. Right after that, comes back in a first level allowance, going a mile in three eights. She can win at this trip. It's not like she's just a complete plotter. And who goes with her? Let's take a look at the two. Tass, trying to get forwardly placed from the inside in race number four at Saratoga. 10 to 1 on the morning line. Anything around 6 to 1 feels fair. We move to race number seven. Let's look at the ten. We've got New York Bread, first level allowance company, Phillies and Mares, three-year-olds and upwards, five and a half furlongs on the turf course. I thought the ten, show me the honey, was worth uh, was worth giving a look in here. So this one's six to one on the morning line. This three-year-old filly, who I think she should be probably closer to seven to two or so. And if that's where she is, I will make a win wager on her. So she wins her debut back in October. Comes back in her second start. She actually tries a stakes group against Open Company. And that group's just a little bit too tough. She runs fourth that day, but that's in November. Then we don't see her from November to June. So she's off the bench for a while. She comes back in June. She draws the rail going seven furlong. She has a slow start. She's last inside. She's immediately in a bad spot. She's right into traffic. And that's her first start since November. She comes back in August. Second start off the long, long layoff. She runs into early traffic. She takes up. And she just was, again, you know, in a spot where she, you know, she lost some footing and she was in a little tight and she was in a little tough. She's behind a horse named Sport Model who's won three in a row. The third place finisher in that race came back to win a $200,000 New York Red Stakes race next out. In the June 19th race, the third place finisher came back to win a 32 claimer next out. There's a lot of things to look at. First time Lasix drops, third off the bench. Legitimate excuses in the last two. Saez jumps aboard. Show me the honey. Anything around four to one, we'll make a win wager on show me the honey. We had her stacked as like a three to one, seven to two shot. So we want, you know, we want anything in that range. We move to race number eight. First level allowance, mile and an eighth on the main track here. The five business model, he was better than it looks last time out. He was you know, he started on July the 15th at Saratoga and he was, you know, towards the back on the inside, but he wasn't that far out of it. He was eighth, only about five lengths off, but he was just in traffic. He got shuffled back. He moved to the two path. Again, he ran into some traffic and it's just hard for horses like this. I don't think he's got a huge turn of foot like a, he's going to come flying by you. He's more of a grindy type. When you get into some trouble, it's hard to re-rally and get going again. Once he got into the clear, he was a little bit flat, but I... The effort was a little bit better than it looks on paper. The runner-up, Clayton the Lionheart, came back to win a first-level allowance next time out and then was second against second-level allowance company. So you're going to go second start for... uh, You're going to go second start at Toga. 
going to go second start at a mile and an eighth, third start off the long layoff. Plenty of reasons to think that business model can take a step forward in here. The number five business model is six to one on the morning line. Uh, we have a value line for uh, around four to one. So we need anything uh, four to one or over. We'd use along with the six and seven. Limited liability in race number nine. The uh, the width anticipation is the horse to beat for me. Not not really a betting race because it's a horse who's seven to five on the morning line. If you want to play some sort of late exotics, I would just single him. When a a Shug McGee horse wins like that first time out of the box that impressively, you know they have some ability. He got over nicely from the outside. It was a really good ride too, and he he saved ground. He settled fit. You no. Know, he settled about seventh. He was like five lengths off. He was a little bit green early, but he got a nice seam at the top of the lane. He angled out four wide in between. He shot through and he exploded. It looked like he was like really learning as this race was going on. Green early, but then he settled and boom, he responded. Sort of has some ability. Limited liability in the grade three with anticipation. At Saratoga, again, nothing I'm telling you I'm going to go bet a bunch of money on, but if you want to play some sort of late exotics, I would just single this horse, even though the other Chad Brown runner in the race is, is live. I thought his trip winning was just so much easier and, and, and not quite nearly as impressive as what we saw from the one. So that is a look at Saratoga Wednesday, September the 1st, race number 4, the 2 tasks. We'd need around 6-1, to one, race number 7, the 10, show me the honey. we need around 4-1. to one. In the eighth race, business model, we'd also need in the four to one range there, the number five, and in the, the ninth, limited liability, just the, the chalky uh, horse in the stakes race that to me looks pretty, pretty tough. That's Wednesday at Saratoga. Let's get to Wednesday closing day over at Colonial. Get those past performances out for Wednesday, September the 1st. I'm going to start in race number two. We have a lot of these Virginia bred stakes races, and, and some of them are, are fun. Uh, the, the second race on September the 1st at Colonial. Is the Jamestown five and a half furlongs the distance on the turf course? The number five strands of pearls. I thought was a, a horse who's going to step forward on the grass. They tried to get this one on the grass in the debut. It was rained off the turf. The damn one on the turf, pearls. She has produced five siblings to race. Four of them won, and all of those win those winners were on the grass. Three of them were stakes placed on the turf. There is a lot of direct turf. In the breeding for Strands of Pearls, the number five, who is eight to one on the morning line. If this horse is anything over seven to two, that's worthy of a win wager. Uh, he should really, she should really improve on the uh, on the move to the grass in here. Let's go to race number four. And this is a stakes race, but you're not going to really get anything outside the box here for me. There's just no speed at all on paper. The seven Urban Fairy Tale, who's six to five on the morning line, should accidentally get the lead. And and just go on with it here So not going to spend a whole time Because I think that race will be chalky The fifth race is the Camp Town The number three English heiress Is going to take the blinkers off She's got some good races sprinting on the grass And what she's shown recently In more of her recent races Now she's got some layoff lines And she's had some physical issues She's a six-year-old mare who's only raced eight times And she's had long layoffs In, you know, in her past performance running lines But you see a race at Delaware where she showed really good speed sprinting against Maiden Specials when finishing fourth. A race right here at Colonial where she showed really good speed sprinting against Maiden Specials or sprinting against Stakes Company, Virginia Red Stakes Company, a similar type spot when finishing second. Then the long, long layoff came back 
And when she was on the grass in her second start, she showed speed. In her grass races recently, she's shown a lot of sprint speed. And who in this race has proven sprint speed on the turf? The only time Assume's been on the grass was long, and she didn't seem nearly as quick as she is on the dirt. Not my money I will use in exotics here. She seems a little bit more like a presser. I don't know if she necessarily wants the lead. She's probably best just sitting a little off. Give English Heiress a shot in here, the number three. She's 10 to 1 on the morning line. If she's anything around six that's worthy of a win wager, use her along with the five not my money in all your exotics. Let's move to the seventh race. Optional 40, non-two mile on the turf course. I thought the number 11. Hot-blooded. I just coming out of so much better races. If this horse is anything around like five to two, I just the company that he's been keeping is is a lot, lot tougher. Founder, public sector. It's a gamble. Yes, this time, King of Dreams, Annex. The number eleven, hot blooded. Anything around three to one will be uh, including in all exotics. We'll be making a win wager there. Let's jump to the tenth and eleventh. The tenth. I really like Uncle Andrew in this spot, the number three. If he is anything around five to two, I'm going to play him to win. Toss his sprint race, toss the off the turf race, and his best efforts are when he's able to just sit off a little bit. The June race at Pimlico, that was against Open First Level Allowance Company, and he ended up just running off a little bit. Race has already come back live, and that was going a mile and an eighth, where it was Probably it's a, a little more than he wants. The mile is very well within his scope, as he's proven. All four of his wins have come at the mile. Tossed those three races in a row. The five-and-a-half race at Laurel, the off-the-turf race at Pimlico, and then the mile-and-an-eighth turf that's too far. And then look at his form. Beat Open Company last time out. Now you're back in with Virginia Breds. The number three, Uncle Andrew. With speed to the inside. Passion play for love of country. They're both quick. American Dubai won't be too far out of it. You got great uh, Camino, who's also stretching out. Will be forwardly placed. Good luck, Chuck, on the outside. Uncle Andrew has the opportunity to get a great trip if they tr- they choose similar tactics as they did last time out. Uncle Andrew, the number three, he's five to one in the morning line. Anything around five to two feels fair. And the eleventh seems really chalky to me. Boldor is just an absolute standout on paper. In now with Virginia Reds after a legitimate stakes winner against Open Company and a horse who's uh, who's you know faced very tough company throughout his career, can't get excited about the uh, the prospects of betting him in this race. It would probably be like two to five or so, but he does look like an absolute standout. He's six to five on the morning line on closing day over at Colonial on Wednesday. Make sure to get involved in some of those pick four, pick five. You know they're uh, the mandatory payouts on closing day, and as you can see. Feel like there are some opportunities throughout the card for some prices with you know eight to one, ten to one morning line uh, runners on the Wednesday card at Colonial. Up next, we're gonna get into what if episode three. What if tells the story? What would happen if some of the Marvel MCU characters and stories that we knew were just changed? What if? Uh, Things happen slightly different, and then the butterfly effect of all of that. Tim Kelly joins me to discuss everything going on. Before we get into that conversation, I want to let you know about our friends at sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com, all natural soy wax candles free from toxins, carcinogens, and pollutants. 
Check out sarahcandles.com and use that promo code G-I-N-O to get you 10% off your order. Tim Kelly joins me. Spoiler alert, we get into everything that happened in episode 3 of What If. We start with some big picture thoughts on What If and how episode 3 compares, contrasts, and stacks up against the first two episodes. And then we'll do our patented deep dive where we go scene by scene through the entire episode. Tim Kelly joins me for What If, episode 3 recap. It's time to discuss What If, episode 3. We're going to recap, review, we're going to deep dive into this one. So spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you have not seen What If, the new Disney Marvel MCU animated show on Disney Plus that basically takes the characters that we know in the MCU and changes things up. And at each episode is a what if, if things were slightly different and sort of the butterfly effect that comes with all of that. So we're going to get into everything here. We'll start out with uh, some overall thoughts on episode three, and then we'll do the deep dive where we go scene by scene. Tim Kelly, he's been with me alongside the journey we uh, went through WandaVision. We went through Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We went through Loki. We got a Black Widow recap for you. And we're all the way up now to episode three of What If. So, TK, now we've had, you know, three looks at this. Uh, at this, And each episode is diff- has been different. They haven't followed the same characters. They've been sort of different stories. Um, but it does seem like each episode is not Done telling their story It seems like they're all starting That's what was something that we were very Intrigued by with this series From the beginning was that it it Is going to be maybe like A little bit of a trigger show For future projects mm-hmm. For future things so um, after Three episodes in now we get a good idea How do you think have you feel so far about the Series kind of as a whole and then what do you think About this uh, this third episode well, I think it really came together for me on this episode. I really yes. uh, just gelled with the vibe of what they're doing, the the beats of the the show, and I felt like this was the freshest episode yet. And I mm-hmm. think that's in part because uh, we haven't seen this type of a a, a a movie or a story yet within the MCU. Last week we got a a heist, and this week we got a murder mystery. But that's that's almost completely fresh for the MCU. I can't think of one other example. And it almost Um, made me really like thirst for this in live action, you know, just thinking about how cool this would have been like, Oh my gosh, they are all getting spoiler alert murdered one at a time. And even just like, you know, thinking about where they went in Falcon and the winter soldier with, um, you know, with uh, the new, Captain America with the shield and the blood dripping down. This, this even yeah. for like an animated show here, um, seeing some of these major characters getting plucked off the way that the Hulk just blows yes. blows up. I was a little surprised in a good way. I mm-hmm. sort of told you when we were talking, I loved this episode and I loved most of it. I just had a little problem with the thing with the one of the reveals at the end that we'll get into, and not like it didn't. Take me out of the episode I just went Oh maybe they got a little too cute here with, with this But um, I I loved it and it just The more I watch this too it just gives me Such early like Batman The animated series vibes especially In an episode like this and the pace Was yeah. so quick In this yeah. particular Episode because what it does Is it It 
takes on this time period in phase one of the MCU when throughout the same week we were basically dealing with the events that happened in Iron Man 2, in Thor, and in the Hulk. All mm-hmm. like when you think about where those like movies stood and what time they were, you know, they were all literally like within the same year, within that same time. So it was kind of kind of cool how they put it together in sort of a like the movie seven, you know, you get Monday mm-hmm. and then Tuesday and then Wednesday and then Thursday. We got that days of the week, basically letting us think that, yeah, on, on Monday, uh, Nick Fury is dealing with the Iron Man. Then on Tuesday, he's dealing with Thor. Th- Wednesday, he's dealing with Bruce Banner, literally like dealing with all of these day after day after day. I thought that was kind of cool. The pace of this show continues to, um, I, I, as someone who's like, you and I will sit here and talk about these shows for two hours. I love it because when you rewatch it back a second or a third time, you definitely pick things up that you may have missed because it's moving so quickly. Oh yeah. It's, it's littered with Easter eggs. I mean, what if so far is probably the most Easter egg packed uh, MCU property ever. And they're all uh, every single property is, is packed with Easter eggs. So this is definitely for the fans. Um, and I, I love the the context of this that you mentioned, that the big week, they call it Fury's Big Week. I've heard it referred to that um, many times uh, on the Internet when I think it's sort of the unofficial or maybe even official uh, name for that that week there, that Iron Man 2, Thor and Incredible Hulk stretch. And I love the context of that because it really got me nostalgic for those stories and that time in the MCU when there was so much potential and we were just seeing the dawning of how these stories, these classic stories, which we know from the comics and cartoons and stuff growing up that had never been, you know, fully realized in, in the way that we dreamed of, they were teasing and, and, and actually actualizing uh, their crossovers and building this universe. And that was a really cool thing to, to see with uh, at, at that time and to sort of um, just think back to then and think of all of uh, the just the, the sort of hope and the uh, the excitement about, you know, what's to come. And then to think that, you know, we've had uh, 12, 13 years since then and, you know, dozens of films and properties that uh, and see how far it's come. It's 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 kind of wild to see the the growth there and, and the transformations of these characters. And uh, it was it was uh, very cool to just go back to that time. We uh, well, and this episode is titled What If Earth Lost Its Mightiest Heroes Which I think is a, a play on One of the original titles of the Avengers At one point They were called um, Earth's Mightiest Heroes In, in one of the comic yeah. uh, showing um, where, they, where they showed up And There's a cartoon as well I think that runs right now That's called that too um, We got a lot of the big stars Voicing their roles in here Samuel L. Jackson yeah. Jeremy Renner um the the thing that was sort of meta about this too is the um, is the whole Hulk Bruce Banner part of yeah. this because <laughs> um you know the incredible Hulk in the movie was played by Edward Norton who played Bruce yeah. Banner and who played the Hulk and that was his lone um his lone um role in the MCU and then we know that yeah. when when the Hulk and Bruce Banner reappeared it was Mark Ruffalo who was now in that role but at the time of this, it would have been the Edward Norton character, but they actually yeah. do make the character, the animated character, look like Mark Ruffalo, and it is Mark Ruffalo's voice. That's just something that's kind of funny, you know, n- knowing, but it makes sense doing yeah. that, you know, but it's just, 
adios edward norton you basically yeah. don't exist in the mcu <laughs> anymore uh, you know totally ret- retconned right out of it <laughs> I-, I thought that was that was really a novel uh, aspect of this episode to it that stuck out to me i thought it was really cool you know you, you, that you had that moment where um you've got stanley's pizza that that the, yeah. um the uniform for Stanley's Pizza there, which is a, a reference to Stanley, the creator of so many of these characters, including Incredible Hulk. Uh, but th- there's that, you know, image in my head of Edward Norton in that uniform, you know, I, it, as a disguise to kind of sneak in there to, to Betty Ross. Uh, so it's very cool to just recontextualize all that and get Mark Ruffalo. Uh, I'm a big Mark Ruffalo fan. I love him Thank as you. the Hulk. I think he's perfect in it. I also have a there's a special place in my heart for Edward Norton. He's one of my favorite actors of all time, hands down. And uh, I actually really enjoyed the first Incredible Hulk. I think you know what? I don't solid, I don't mind it either. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. Like I don't hate it, it at all. Um, it's very yeah. maligned, but I don't. Yeah, it doesn't bother me. We even get Clark Gregg, Frank Grillo, and uh, mm-hmm. Jamie Alexander uh, to voice their roles. Two of the yeah. two of the main ones that are missing here are um, obviously Iron Man, Tony Stark, and uh, Natasha Romanoff. But you know, again, like what we were saying, the voices are great. They yeah. sound excellent, like really, really close to. Mm-hmm. And it's not like they're playing a. They're not like they're playing. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. playing Tony Like it sounds just sort of like Robert Downey Jr. It doesn't sound like a caricature or doesn't sound too yeah. Showy or actory It just like there are moments where You get caught up in what's Going on because you you know in this particular Episode because there's so much Samuel L And then you know yeah. Michael Douglas Even like you hear so many of these familiar Voices that when one of when they're Interacting you know when he's interacting with With Natasha there are Definitely parts where you're like you don't Even think about it yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't I think even that, register. That's the important thing is that it it, it shouldn't register. It shouldn't stand out, no. you know. Um, but I, I did appreciate that they cast one of my favorite actresses, uh, Lake Bell, she's as the voice. Awesome. I mean, she's, she's so just one great. of my. She's, she's gorgeous so and hilarious, and uh, she's, she, you know she's, she's very Catherine She reminds yeah. me so much of just like someone who's like underappreciated and like mm-hmm. way more beautiful than you. Like people will ever like probably give her credit for initially, and then you stop and look, and you're like, wow, you're right. She's always kind of been placed in things as like the homely girl or the one next door. Like you know, they're never never playing that character that's supposed to be like the heartthrob. But then you see them when they go out for like an awards night, and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, you think like, yeah, she's funny and smart and just really really uh, good looking too. So I thought, yeah, she uh, she knocks it out of the park here. Yeah, I've, I just have a huge crush on her in, in general, but she's super, super talented. And, uh, you, you know, for a trade off that you, you don't really feel that loss. You know, we, we no. love Scarlett. I, I love Scarlett Johansson as an actress. She's one of my favorite, too. But Lake Bell is a great uh, replacement there for sure. And it's worth noting, too, that it did that replacement didn't happen because of the uh, the lawsuit no. that's happening with um for. I don't know if we discussed this on the podcast yet, but. Scarlett Johansson and her her lawyers, her team, they're they're suing Disney for uh, profits over the Black Widow movie because they feel that uh, releasing it to Disney Plus really affected the box office numbers, which were going to pay her uh, big time and in, in, um, uh, in dividends there. So she uh, she and her team went public with that lawsuit and everything that kind of 
created some bad blood. Disney kind of fired yeah. back at her and took shots. Said, at oh character. yeah, we you know we wanted to help people during a pandemic, and you're so selfish. Yeah. You know they tried to make turn it on her and sort of make her look like the bad guy, and then and then what ends up happening is it, mm-hmm. you know, it puts a lot of the other actors in a bad spot because yeah. if they they say something. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to come out and say something against Disney and the MCU who like, this is your cash cow right now, if you're any right. one of them. But then you don't, you know, like if you're a, a female or like a minority, especially, or, you know, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans, who are like probably the two highest paid male leads and, you know, figures like they were sort of silent, I think, for a little while. And people were getting mad at them just because they didn't say anything. It was just, yeah. Yeah. Like, Puts everybody in sort of a weird spot because you either come to her defense and you're blasting your employer and these people that paid you, or you say nothing and you look like you're just taking the money and running. Yeah, and there's a lot of money on the line. What we're talking yeah, about, oh, it's yeah. a whole, and it's not even just like Scarlet. That's why I said Scarlet and her her people, you know, because it's 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 a whole business when you when you get to be a star that big, you know, when you look at like Tom Cruise, like Tom Cruise is like an industry unto himself. You know, big stars like at that elite, elite level, they are they're they're a company. You know, they're not just and the individual. She's a big star. She and she is, you know, like and mm. she may not have been. It's funny because they do have sort of like an inside joke. They make a joke about it um, when he says at one point in this episode, Fury says, yeah, you and Clint were on the list. And she says, really? Like what? Like, <laughs> he would be he'd probably love hearing that we were on that list. You know, just a joke, because a lot of times they weren't. You know, thought of as like the top top tier Avengers, but from just yeah. a star in Hollywood standpoint, like she's on par with all of the other male, like as far as like a list celebrity, B list, like time. she's right there with Robert Downey Jr. and any any of them. Like she's as big of a star as any. So if she she moves the needle for sure, and and you know what, and just a simple thing too, like she's always done a really good job. Too. She's been she's done good in oh, her yeah. role. Like she didn't, she's never come in. It's never seemed like she was like mailing it in or anything. So yeah, there was buzz about there. I think there was even something said about Shang-Chi where um a little back and forth. So um they, they said something about, yeah, it'll be out for 45 days and then you could see it on Disney Plus. But then uh the actors were like, Well, go see it in the movies and then see it on Disney Plus. You know, like <laughs> right. remember, we want you to make extra money for us. So uh yeah, there's a there's a little you you kind of were were sort of getting to the point too, and uh, mm-hmm. we'll uh, we'll get into the full deep dive of what if in just a few minutes. The the way that the industry and just like the media is changing now with the streaming and how mm-hmm. this is definitely going to be something moving forward. That's you know we're going to take a step forward. We're going to take a couple steps back. I, there are going to be a lot of different movies or shows or like lawsuits here and there with certain things because. This is a tricky thing. The difference between how people get paid for a movie release and the money versus something that comes out on streaming and Mm -hmm. and maybe through the years, it'll start to even out a little bit more as streaming becomes a bigger deal and more relevant. But there is still nothing when it comes to like monetarily like that big budget blockbuster and what that can do for everybody Involved in that film from the top of the actors to the writers, the producers, to the people all the way down to the bottom as far as how much they're making on a movie like that versus something that doesn't get released in the theaters. So true. And this is a a conflict that's gone back a long time now. This is over 
this is maybe 15 year old conflict. I, there, I'm thinking of the 2007 writer's strike, which was all about basically the, the writers and their profit shares for the, the digital side of things. This was an emerging uh, industry that people saw the writing on the wall that this was going to be the future. But at the time, in 2007, there wasn't Netflix like we have it today. Netflix was still sending you discs. Uh, digital was like clips. It, there, people were not ubiqu- ubiquitously you know, streaming like they are today. Uh, but people could see, smart people knew that that was going to be the future and it was going that way. And at the time, the, the industries wanted to keep their piece of the pie and close it off and not really trans, you know, transfer these legacy contracts that they have for, you know, the existing uh, media outlets, you know, just you know, cable, TV rights and, and uh, theatrical runs uh, and, and DVD uh, sales and stuff like that. But uh, they wanted to, you know, start with a, a clean slate and keep a bigger piece of the pie. But the, the unions, they wanted to obviously basically keep the same system where they were sharing the profits uh, that they developed over the years. But because it was such a new industry, it, uh, people didn't quite see that it was going to it was it was going uh, the way that it is now. You know, it, it was hard to convince people that uh, streaming was going to be mm-hmm. the big deal that it is at the time. Uh, you know, smart people knew, but uh, that's why it was a fight back then. That's why there was a, a 2007 writer's strike. Uh, where they got uh, deals here, but it's it's ongoing, you know. It's it, it's still obviously a big thing. And uh, we are, uh, yeah, we're into episode three. We're gonna have episode four coming up uh, again on uh, late Tuesday night, Wednesday. That's when the episodes drop uh, for this show on Disney Plus. What what also about this particular episode felt? I mean, just when you think about it in a very simple sense. So the first episode was basically like. A retelling of the first Avenger Just yeah. with slightly different characters flopped The second episode was basically like Two movies that had flopped a couple characters, right? It was like mm-hmm. Black Panther and Guardians of the Galaxy Flip-flopping So it was instead of just one movie And a lot of the major characters from them We had two different sort of stories And a lot of the major characters from them In this episode, we had four Maybe five <laughs> when you think about yeah. You know Iron Man Two at least like all the ones that we Mentioned during the week Iron Man two Thor and then The Incredible Hulk then you throw in Ant-Man you know with With the addition of Yellow Jacket And, yeah. and, and Pym in here and then anything Really like Avengers there's so Many ties to the Avengers And the assembling of the team And all of that itself so ju- I just really enjoyed Seeing so many of the major players all on the screen, all in like 30 minutes. Yeah, it really was the biggest mashup we've seen so far. And last last week, I think they raised the bar as well. But this week, it, even even mm-hmm. more so in terms of just uh, having different characters cross paths in a different way that sets them on a new path. Uh, that butterfly effect uh, yeah. Has just been that much more uh, profound. Uh, the, the changes uh, for it have been that much more profound for this episode, and I think that's why it feels so fresh, uh, and why I think it, it it became kind of instantly my my favorite one. On first viewing, this was uh, it grabbed me and made me want to watch it again, and it was the first one that really did that to me. Yeah, I think I was emotionally after episode two. Um, that that was what like okay I I was I was sort of more I was bought in and then I think everything to do with 
with uh, you know Chadwick Boseman and and Black yeah. Panther. I was it, it was like it was a it was a it was funny. It was a completely different vibe than this episode, right? It was yeah. such a feel good episode. Like everything about it was just like warm and fuzzy. There was nothing bad. Like anytime you felt like something weird was gonna happen, it was like, wait. Like Thanos is legitimately a good guy You know like it was just like oh my gosh It's just and then this one like you said it's a murder Mystery where it's clue we're running Around here trying to figure out like this who done It it's a totally different vibe Which I I love I love That that they yeah. can do that in in One week and just flip the script on You and make you feel something completely different Than you felt a week ago and We get in this episode alone Is uh, you know we get Nick Fury right Off the bat we get um, Natasha, we get Iron Man, we get the Bruce Banner, we get Thor, we get Loki, we get Coulson, Crossbones, Jack Rollins. Okay. We, you know, we've got Betty Ross. We, we get, you know, then we see the Hulk. We get the Van Dynes, um, Hank Pym, Captain Marvel. There's a rep, a look in a, a little shot of you know the the shield at the very end for Captain mm-hmm. America. I mean, Lady Sif. We see little references yeah. to a lot of stuff from Asgard, like the Warriors Three, um, yeah. the Destroyer. Just, yeah, the Destroyer. I mean, it, it was yeah. There's there is just so much to get into in this episode. So let's jump right on in to what if episode three. What if Earth lost its mightiest heroes? And like we have started each episode, we get the intro through space. We get the Watcher. Um, setting up the scene for us Letting him know he is the watcher I am your guide through these vast new realities Follow me and ponder the question What if And it's the format of uh, Days of the week With uh, the slide will come up and he'll tell us You know Monday And then we see the events that happen And it's Nate, uh, it's uh, it's Fury Who's telling us There was an idea to bring together a group of giving his famous uh, Avengers Assemble speech and uh, Natasha Romanoff interrupts him. Remarkable people to see if they could become something more. I know I've heard the speech. He's patronizing him because everybody, you know, does that throughout this episode. They've all heard the speech individually. And so then whenever they come together, he gives the speech again. They've all heard it 50 times. Everyone laughs and and makes fun of him. So uh, that's funny because we've heard it. 50 times too oh, right. it was in the trailer oh, it was right. played in the trailer and in, in the ads so like to yeah. me that was such a a meta joke uh, because we have heard that so many times so they pull up on stark and it's uh he's at randy's donuts it just yeah. like yeah just like in the uh this is iron man 2 there and this is the point where you know he's he's big time in it he's the uh, he's Superhero thinks he can do whatever he wants How he wants but he's also Suffering from Um He's suffering from the in You know from the eject- What's the specifics of, of exactly what Happened to to Stark there Because they when they inject him they're coming to Inject him to, to What they do in Iron Man 2 which is going to Relieve some of the pain and some of his symptoms That he has it's going to make him feel a little bit better But instead They walk into the donut shop and it's Fury talking with with Iron Man here, and he's telling him the same sort of setup like we saw in Iron Man Two. Hey, look, I'm trying to put together a team. You know, this is uh, yeah, hey, Stark. I don't want to join your super secret boy band. Hey, <laughs> th- it's not all about you. You're not the center of my universe. And as they talk, that's when Nat comes up behind, and she 
shoots him right in the neck I mean we get a lot of the same You see the veins on his neck the same Even like you see in yeah. Iron Man 2 Lots of similarities here But the main difference When she shoots him When she gives him the shot Which helps him relieve some of his pain Instead In just seconds This kills him and it was like a minute into this episode We've got a dead Tony Stark on the floor Which is like whoa this is a, The yeah. stakes are, are definitely uh, Raised in this episode Yeah that's huge I mean that was the The big moment over You know a, over a dozen films When Tony Stark finally died So the fact that we're getting that kind of at the Almost the origin point of the Avengers story that's a major mm-hmm. uh, Branch reality the the a Major shift like you said, right? Yeah. He had to be the first one to go. Like, whoa, we waited so long for him. And then he's the first one out. Yeah. Yeah. Sets the tone. So, um, right. And before they went in, there was a, a little joke between uh, Fury and uh, and Stark is, you know, she's not high on Stark. Uh, there was a joke between Fury and Nat because she's not high on Stark. You know, she doesn't want, she doesn't think he's someone who should be on the team. As uh, Fury reminds her, did I ever tell you about the one time I actually recruited a Russian assassin to join my American covert ops team? And she says vaguely rings a bell. So he's not afraid of taking a big swing. He sees a lot of potential in Stark. So they gave him a shot of lithium dioxide that's going to help not necessarily cure what uh, what he's dealing with, but help ease some of the symptoms. Instead, he does not react the way they expected. And Stark is dead on the floor. And as we get set for the rest of the episode, the watcher lets us know as we see clips of the of of the timeline that we know when the Avengers actually came together, some of the things that they did together, we see those events happening in front of us as the watcher tells us humanity so eagerly, so eager, so willing to face the impossible, yet blind to the bigger picture inside one week. Three strange and separate stories unfolded A genius battled his demons both inside and out While the world met the monster hiding in the man And a godly prince fell to earth I am the watcher and where humans see chaos I see the crucible that would transform this collection of individuals Into a team of heroes At least that's how things played out in one universe But in this one That reminds me of the, uh, like the voice at the haunted mansion at Disneyland there are no windows and no doors, yes. so find a way out. It was kind of like giving you that this is how, but in this one, and um, yeah, so the the vibe of this episode compared to episode two, which is so feel good, and you got Star-Lord in there, and everybody loves him, and he's just doing good. He's Robin Hood for everyone, and this was like, boom, Tony's dead. They show us this world that we know that things have gone well in, and boom, that's not what's happening here. Even the the voice here, you know, we, we've mentioned the Twilight Zone. This was real uh, kind of spooky to start just the first few minutes right off the bat here. Yeah, and I love the dramatic shift from last week to this one. That, I think, is one of the main reasons why I'm so bought in at this point, just because I I don't know what to expect. and But now I know that I can expect sort of the unexpected uh, I love to be surprised. I've talked about that on this podcast before that, you know, I try to avoid uh, trailers. I skipped a No Way Home uh, trailer uh, just because I, I want to save that experience for the, the opening night. I want to see that the movie raw, basically. Um, but uh, that's that's what I'm so excited about for this right here is that 
every week we're going to get something kind of brand new. And in this, we're, we're taking a dramatic turn towards something dark and, and a little bit scary. And that's, that's brand new. I know we got Marvel zombies maybe coming up later too. So it probably won't be the last time we do like a scary uh, kind of vibe, but uh, I'm, I'm all here for it. So Nat is now being arrested. They think she killed Tony Stark and we know that she did not. So this is the first Sort of what the hell is going on here Who did it Who was actually responsible for Killing Stark And for them injecting him with you know, Something that they didn't think it was So as Nat Is handcuffed and as they sort of walk her To the, the truck Fury Gives her a device that's going to help her uh, Escape We get a look at Crossbones and the crew yeah. uh, With Nat here So um, and, and Coulson too uh, Colson. So we uh, a lot of uh, familiar faces here. Nat lets us know I may not have been a fan of Tony Stark, but I did not kill him. Uh, save your spin for Pierce. He wants you in New York for uh, first thing for questioning. Nat, this is when Fury uh, takes Nat. He's he's still like he's he's acting like you know he's not on her side. He has to do this in order to help her get free because he knows that their best op- their best chance of finding out who is behind this is if Nat is actually out there. Figuring it all out herself she's she's the best investigative reporter with what she's able to do so someone inside shield compromised Stark's antidote he says I need someone on the outside to find out who and uh, so he gives her the little device which gives her the opportunity when they get in the truck to pick the lock so she's sitting in the back with probably 10 guards in this armored truck and as they drive her away she's able to uh, make a little joke about Turning some music on And she gets out of her handcuffs And she just beats the crap Out of all these guys in the back of the truck As the two dudes in the front Of the the truck Who don't know what's going on in the back They talk trash to her You know I never did get what he sees in her I mean sure she can land a punch But only because people don't expect it And then they flash back to her just kicking The crap out of everybody which is Really funny this is cool uh Cool little scene here and uh the the action I thought was was pretty good and again it's just yeah. really quick pace and it doesn't feel like you know in in the first Avenger I know one of um in the, the the first episode of this which was the first Avenger take one of our gripes was was that since the episode was so similar it literally just felt like we were getting a cliff notes of that episode yeah. but in this particular case. Every scene that we got, I don't I felt like pretty fulfilled with it. You know, it yeah. felt like we, like we got the important parts that we needed for everything to take the next step forward. For in, in most cases, it was like it, I didn't go, oh, well, we missed that or oh, it was just like I, it, I just felt a little bit different about maybe how they were able to complete things a little a little more quickly with with, you know, yeah. each of the stories they wanted to tell here. Yeah, well, they're kind of remixing things, right? Like yes. they're taking they took uh, Captain America and made him into like an Iron Man guy. And then you had Peggy Carter into Captain America. These are, these are remixes in a way. And uh, that, that's what we're getting here. Like w- with this scene, I just feel like maybe they took it further. Uh, that to me, I, I see this scene as a remix of that elevator scene in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. where Steve yep. beats up basically the same group of guys in a very enclosed in- uh, environment. But, you know, things are different. It, it's, it's obviously a different character. Uh, it's done in different ways. It's done as part of an overall different story, which I think is the most important part 
uh, that's the part that makes it really fresh because you know seeing these remixed scenes in this new context is cool but in that first episode the overarching story was was kind of essentially the same all the major beats were the same whereas this was a completely new story it was it was we were kind of remixing a a, a totally non-mcu thing like like you mentioned it was like kind of like seven uh and it's a murder mystery and it's it's it, yeah. that's that's completely fresh so while it, it did have that great you know that reference stuff that that stuff that uh kind of makes you nostalgic and you point to it and you go, oh, I get that. I reference, uh, you know, that's that. There's a novelty to that and a value to that. It didn't rest upon, on that as it's much new. as perhaps the first episode. Yeah, yeah because it's, it's new. It's way more new. Mm-hmm. Um, so Nat Nat beats some ass as uh, the drivers have to pull over and they realize when they open the back of the truck that everyone is uh, out of commission and uh, she's done her job. She's on the uh, on the free, going to try to find out who killed Stark. We check in over at Puente Antiguo, New Mexico, where they have found Thor's hammer, but nobody knows what the hell this thing is. <laughs> so we see Clint Barton is—he's uh, talking to Fury. Best we can tell, it's extremely powerful, and it's not from around here. Electromagnetic, neutron, Vita radiations, all off the charts. And then we hear this rumbling thunder in the background, and you know you're. you're you know it's Thor. You can feel it, and then you see these flashes of him just like punching people out. You know, <laughs> Fury says that doesn't sound ominous at all. Clint says it's been happening all night. This artifact has a bit of an attitude. Also, no one can lift it. Not even Jackson, and he does CrossFit, <laughs> which made me laugh quite a bit. Yes, the, the there was some good. There were some good jokes in this. That was yes. another thing that stood out to me. Is I yeah. actually laughed out loud at a few uh, lines in that this was one of them. Yeah, that was good. And this uh, Fury said that something that powerful goes missing. Someone always comes looking. We just have to cross our fingers that that someone is an ally. And then boom, another look at Thor just beating the crap out of people and <laughs> just laying them to waste. Is Fury says uh. Same as always, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Coulson lets him know, we got a man down, sound the alarms. And as Coulson goes to uh, look into it, Fury and and Clint realize that, you know, something is amiss, something is happening, and things are about to escalate. But Thor pops up on our screen here, you know, just kind of flashes of him here and there. And then we actually get a look at him, and Coulson says, Whoa! I got a visual on the intruder. He's a Caucasian male, mid twenties, with really great hair. And then Furious, uh, like, excuse me, it calls, it's an accurate description, sir. He's gorgeous, and he just so they are all through the movie talk about how good looking he is. In fact, uh, even. In a disgusting sense They're like smelling his corpse After this right. when when, uh, when he's he's dead So the jokes about how Coulson Is like infatuated with Thor And then even the yeah. joke about his password uh, With Steve a little later on yeah. those, are, those are pretty funny too Like those seem like a, a pretty good hit Yeah th- those were good They elevated it a little bit from like exaggerated uh, his hero worship a little bit for for the this version I think and I think mm-hmm. that's appropriate it's it's uh, it's a cartoon so that that works they're they're kind of exaggerating certain um, 
uh, like facial expressions and stuff. I know we pointed that out in the, the first episode when uh, that the big dude gets punched by Peggy. He makes this very Disney face, like right into the camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like that. So they're 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 taking liberties, and I think the right type of liberties, while still fitting it uh, into the you know the the context of the MCU and not having it feel jarring or anything like that. But that was a great joke right there. I I, I think, uh, and I, I love the. Uh, uh, that that it it keeps coming up, and that's always been the, the case, and it's true to the character that mm-hmm. he he loves these guys, and that that goes back to the movies uh, that he's just like kind of obsessed. He has Captain America trading cards after Bad all. Boy, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. got the posters on his walls and stuff, you know. Um, so as Thor is, you know, infiltrating, or he's he's landed, he's trying to figure out where he is, what's happened. They all have eyes on Thor. And it's it's Fury and it's Coulson and it's Barton and they're talking together as you know Barton tells him he's I'm I'm ready. Um, he's making a move on the hammer. One shot, one kill, sir. Just say the word. So he's ready. He's he's set up to snipe Thor. As soon as he gets the word, he's ready to you know this is an intruder. They don't know who this person is yet. You know they don't they don't know this is Thor or anything. They just they know this is someone who's just laying waste to a lot of their their crew. So Fury tells him hold your fire I want to see this And as Thor walks over to the hammer He is about to pick up his hammer Pick up Mjolnir And right at that moment There is a shot that goes through his back Now there's a moment that Fury uh, Right before it kind of says Whoa Or no, this is this is actually Barton Barton catches a full look at Thor and he says, whoa, Coulson wasn't lying about that hair. That's nice. <laughs> and he says, Fury, now or never. And he says, hold it. And boom, we get a shot. And immediately Barton says, it, it wasn't me. I didn't shoot. He says, I swear I didn't shoot. Fury says, well, your arrow would indicate otherwise. And boom, yeah. Thor is dead. There's an arrow right yeah. through him. Crazy. So it was just Tony Stark a few moments ago. Now Thor... And we, in the same instance, we're watching Clint set up to shoot, and he doesn't, you know, we see him shoot, but we can see it in his face like it wasn't him doing it. So now we're starting to yeah. wonder what's happening, who's behind all these things. This is two now, two instances where somebody got killed when it was obvious that that wasn't the plan or intention for someone to be killed. Um, Thor's dead. The the jokes about him looking great, but uh, this was you know really compacted into just a, a couple of minutes. But I liked all this action from just the moment Thor shows up. You see a couple of people that he's kicking their ass back and forth. You get the funny joke from Coulson. You get you know bar- there's just a lot that happened, and I I really enjoyed it. I felt it felt really cool. Yeah, and I think the original scene that it's kind of remixing here from Thor. Uh, was a great scene too, uh, but this didn't feel like it was just walking through those same steps. It it felt like we got a shift in perspective on it. We got fresh lines, fresh humor uh, in it, uh, and it it uh, it brought us right back to that moment, and that context. But it ended dramatically different with the death of of Thor and uh, and obviously Barton being framed for this death. So it's it's pushing forward this new narrative of you know someone's offing. 
uh, you know, Earth's Mightiest Heroes now, and who, you know, how are we going to solve this? And so it puts Nick Fury in the like this, uh, you know, Nick Fury private eye kind of uh, role here uh, moving forward. So I think that's it's just really cool. Um, a, again, like somehow it's it's walking that tightrope, that line uh, between, uh, you know, retreading over old material and and being cliche. Uh, but not doing that. Like they're getting right up a- against it mm-hmm. where it, it's familiar, but it's fresh. And yes. uh, kudos to them it's for that. So, and that's hard. That's hard to do. It really is. As we now see Barton in a cell, as Fury and Colson are talking, and Barton doesn't understand. We can tell he didn't do it. He's not, he wouldn't be lying like this. You know, uh, this doesn't make any sense. I don't slip, I don't misfire. So Coulson and Fury try to figure out about Thor. What's the word on an, our intruder? He's dead. If his blood samples are to be believed, he's almost a thousand years old and not of this world. First Stark, now Muscle Beach. That's two high-valued shield targets killed by our own agents inside 24 hours. Barton's sticking to his story. He's pretty been out of shape. He won't talk to anyone. That's when Fury says he will talk to me. So he decides to walk into the cell. And Barton's just sitting there with his hands in, uh, With his face in his hands And he's not responding And as Fury goes up to, to kind of tap him We realize he's dead He's been poisoned and Nobody knows how or what or who He's literally been sitting in this cell Who could have possibly poisoned him As Coulson runs the talk screen To see if it was a cyanide capsule Fury says no Barton had a wife and kids If he was going to go it wouldn't be willingly he, they tell him he was murdered, and then you know you think he was murdered. Yes, if it was my guess, my money is on the same someone who killed Stark. So now he's starting to put it together here because at this point you wouldn't even know how how many people would even know about the initiative that Fury had. There's so few. It's this isn't like a public thing that everybody knows. I'm trying to create this team of Avengers. So he he probably thought you know. Maybe you know Stark's one Now you go Thor And we're starting to get into like Two is probably not just a coincidence I think it's three where he really like Okay now I I understand They're obviously targeting him here But it's at this point where Okay this is more than just somebody Who didn't like Tony Stark This is somebody who you know Is is got a a bigger plan And a bit of vendetta here Yeah the the common denominator Kind of becomes clear at this point that it's uh it's related to the Avenger initiative. So how is that even possible? It must be somebody inside with with the shield knowledge and um inside information to what Nick Fury's doing. As as they're they're talking and, and Fury sort of starts to mention that he thinks things are connected. He says it's weird, but I also have a space corpse that looks like a Chippendales dancer rotting on the next table over. And then <laughs> Coulson leans over and he goes. He just sniffs Thor's dead body that just lay yeah. there, and he goes, "Oh wow!" Even while rotting, <laughs> he smells like lavender, and it's that just, dark. It's so gross. And then Fury yeah. does the same thing. Fury goes, "Really?" And he takes <laughs> yeah. a whiff. He takes a whiff himself, and he goes, "Hmm." You know, like it's just, right. it's funny, but it's gross. It's just like who the hell. They they were like popping each other with that point. That's just so over the top with the, like this hero worship stuff. But um, yeah. it is even uh, 
I think a, a throwback to was it is it Guardians two or yes, I think when, so. when, when they have Thor there and he's like he's laying down in there and and you know wow he's so, so he's so a muscled man and he even smells good I think is what Batista <laughs> says uh, or something along those Infinity, lines is it Infinity War or it might I be, Infinity, it might be War. Infinity War yeah I think it is yeah. with the Guardians. But it's but, with the Guardians. But exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that was uh, always those Easter eggs and always those little callbacks yeah. here. As, uh, you know, Fury says, still, there's not a lot connecting a billionaire playboy and a S.H.I.E.L.D. assassin unless you, or unless you have any ideas. That was Coulson who says that. And Fury says, there was an idea, but we quickly flash to Culver University, Virginia, as uh, Dr. Ross and Nat. Are interacting now Dr. Ross Dr. Betsy Ross We remember from the Incredible Hulk And Nat asks do you remember me Um, You know Ross doesn't really Isn't warm and responsive Very much to Nat at the beginning But she says I'm not here about The green guy I'm here about Tony Stark I believe he was murdered He was murdered by me or someone Who's trying to make it look that way Using this So she hands the the, she hands the uh, the vial of what ended up killing Tony Stark. She says, "You're an expert in the tactical applications of cellular biology. I need to keep this off of Shield's radar, and you seem to have some experience in that department." So Nat comes here to ask Betsy for for help. So again, we're getting you know uh, what's cool with this is we're getting a lot of these setups that are similar. To the movies or the shows Or where we saw these things take place But they're just not identical And that's what's nice is that Everything's got a little bit of a different wrinkle to them So it it feels warm and fuzzy Because it's familiar but we don't know Exactly what's going to happen Which makes it nice Yeah you know it's it's a completely new story It's just kind of having those moments for context To give us that connection To this reality and it actually works Really well as a shorthand too because We're already familiar with so much That all they have to do is kind of reference something Visually and it it will take us To that time and place and kind of Give us a little bit of backstory that that We'll need so very very Deftly done and like uh, I was really happy to see The Incredible Hulk imagery like uh, The 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 animation And the the design there you know, and this is true of the entirety of, of this, you know, all three episodes, but they, they really do a great job of capturing the essence of, you know, the cinematography and the, the framing of the, the scenes from the original source material, uh, but making it fit within this new, you know, animated reality. Uh, but it, you immediately you just know that, like, I ha- I flashed back as soon as I saw the architecture there. I was like, oh, this is the mm-hmm. Incredible Hulk when they have that big battle with the tanks in the middle of the field at the college uh it it just brings you right there so it's gr- a great like shorthand for for context within this universe so yeah this was the uh the place where bruce did a lot of his experiments and a lot of his research yes. where you know he worked on everything as uh betty tells us that the injectors clean there were no traces of lethal pathogens of any kind whatever killed him wasn't biological uh the antidote didn't even make it out of the syringe it looked to me like a tiny projectile of some kind was fired from the needle so this makes nat think a little bit she asks you're thinking nanotech and betty ross says no i'm not a biologist or a ballistics expert and i believe we're done here she said i help you know i I helped you i don't like you you don't like me get the hell out of here she's obviously hiding bruce 
you know, uh, in, the, in there. So she wants her to get to get out, and that's when uh, Nat's getting ready to leave, and she notices the Stanley's pizza hat and jacket on the table. Cool uh, reference back to the Incredible Hulk movie, Stan Lee's Pizza, obviously, Stan Lee, uh, obviously, so another, like, double entendre there, as Nat asks, hmm, you got a side job, Dr. Ross? And <laughs> Betty's, uh, what? I don't, a, a student must have left it there, you know, yeah, this is a student, and uh, Nat kind of laughs, and the phone rings, and it's Fury, he says, uh, I got bad news and worse news, are you in a secure location? She says, no. Barton's dead And this is obviously Gets to Nat because they're very Close she takes a deep breath Doesn't say anything And uh, Fury says I know what he Meant to you and she says Furiously who do I kill Dark man Disney plus pushing it Right just wow Not even like I'm Getting even I'm going to avenge him Straight who do I Kill you know, no beating around the bush there. Fury says that the Avengers initiative, it seems that our killer is going after the candidates. If someone wanted to kneecap Shield, um, it seems like a good place to start. So Nat asks, who else is on the list? Fury says, that's the thing. Bruce Banner and you. And this was the line that was one of my favorites of the movie. Under different circumstances, I'd be flattered. So would Clint. <laughs> Just like joking about them being like, a list top level Avengers. Hey, we actually you're on. We're on the list with Iron Man and with Thor. And uh, um, Fury says you need to get yourself to ground, but first find Banner. <laughs> Funny thing, boss. I think I already have. And she goes to open the door, um, where you know she can tell that Ro- Doctor Ross is hiding Banner behind there. Uh, she says, "Move or I'll make you." And that's when the Mark Ruffalo. Bruce Banner walks out and says, "No need for violence, Agent Romanoff. It's probably not going to work out for anyone." <laughs> Which is a, another uh, chuckle. We don't want to. We don't want to get the Hulk upset. We don't want that green guy to come out. So, yeah, quick. She just finds out that um, Clint's dead now. So now three top characters, top Avengers, out quickly. She's got to try to you know get Bruce because they're the last two that are on this list. And you know she is obviously very emotional at this point too because it's funny when you think about all the stuff that you know she went through with Clint and then seeing Bruce, two people that she has a lot of emotional attachment you know with. Um, this is yeah this is this is good like it just feels like the stakes are high all throughout this stuff which is harder sometimes for I think. For even cartoons and animated stuff to make the stakes of things feel as high as like live action, but th- at this yeah. point it's like, oh wow, like people are really dying now, and you know that they're coming after Nat, they're coming after Bruce. As uh, yeah, the, the the all of this was cool. This whole scene, this whole throwback to the Incredible Hulk, because I think you, you know you were hitting on a little. It doesn't. It's not the most well received. So I think a lot of people don't even want to revisit it and talk about it and speak about it in as like a positive light. It was. It, it mm-hmm. did feel. It felt very um, kind of comfortable just going back to this setting. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it's it's weird that it. You're right. It it, it is kind of looked at as kind of like a misfire. Uh, but I I just 
I think of it as a pretty high level uh, Marvel movie early on, especially. Um, I would put it at uh, probably higher than Iron Man 2, uh, which is a movie that came out around the same time. Mm -hmm. Or actually, it came out around, I think, just after Iron Man, if I'm not mistaken. It was the same summer as Iron Man. So maybe I even have a little rose-colored glasses because how exciting it was at the time to just see, like, Tony Stark pop up in the you know, end credit scene of that movie and to just know, oh, they're they're combining everything together. But I think beyond that, you know, I just have good memories of moments from that movie uh, th- throughout. You know, I think that's what is a, si- is a sign of a good movie. If when you think about it, like how many moments did it have um, mm-hmm. that really kind of grabbed you or that just, just were memorable and stick out? And I, I can remember it. And this was a particular scene that stands out to me. This is a showdown in the middle of um, this college campus. Uh, the imagery of those like sound projectiles that were used against him and him holding, uh, basically tearing a, a tank apart and holding that up against the sound. Like I, I, visually, I thought it was really cool and the dynamic uh, and the danger to um, the Betty Ross character at the time was also great. And then now that we've got Natasha thrown in the mix and what we know about, you know, uh, their alternate universe future, their romance that they have. Uh, that that's kind of cool to see mm-hmm. both of his love interests in the same room while all this stuff is going down. You're right. It does raise the stakes there. And then that's something that I felt that this episode had in spades is a sense of tension. Yes. Uh, I felt like I was invested the whole time. And that's partially, I think, because they established right off the bat, Tony Stark can die. Uh, anything can happen here. Mm-hmm. Any of these characters are fair game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's immediately fresh and that's immediately high stakes right there. Uh, and that's something that you don't get in. To be fair, I think a lot of Marvel uh, content now, um, for instance, the last because Black Widow movie. We know, you we know, know, she's, she's not, not going to die. Right. It was a prequel yep. for one thing. But even beyond that, in a lot of these properties, you just know they're not killing the character. You might think like, okay, and it, when when Infinity War came out and Endgame, I thought, okay, they're gonna probably kill some characters in these mm-hmm. movies. I was expecting that, yeah. but that's at a point where you've kind of seen the arc and you know that the actors are exiting the roles, and and it makes sense. They've done a whole ton of of films, so you yeah, you have a sense that maybe maybe Captain America is gonna die in in an Endgame. Maybe Tony Stark is gonna die. We we kind of saw that coming. Uh, but they still managed to surprise us in certain ways with that. So, you know, kudos again uh, to that. But that's why this feels so fresh, because we really, truly don't know uh, who's going to die uh, in it. Uh, and that's one of those stakes uh, that that's the kind of the ultimate stakes for your characters, like the end of their story. And if we're invested in a story, that's pretty high stakes if you can end that character's story. So, um yeah, just just another reason why I think this episode's so strong. Hey, when we watched uh, this this in the Incredible Hulk, it was Edward Norton doing this, and now it's Mark Mark Ruffalo right. that we're getting scenes of too. So it, it literally right. is a little bit fresh. We never saw this version of this guy doing the, doing this right here as uh, the Mark Ruffalo. Just another character. layer. Yeah, yeah. walks out, and uh, Nat tells him, "We need to go now," as there are helicopter blades uh, overhead, but we flash. To Loki showing up with the uh, a- like all of Asgard, basically. He's got the army here. We see what the destroyer, we've got Lady Sif, we've got uh, the Warriors Three, um, just a ton of different like cool little Easter eggs or things that we've seen references to Asgard or or that, uh, yeah. you know, the the uh, frost giants and. Um, 
as did you get, real quick did you did you get excited to see loki in a way that almost like surprised you because i yes. had that lawyer i, I was like you know me what? too yeah just oh, oh he's back we just went through this like journey with him and it's mm-hmm. like tom hiddleston's loki again and he, that was a character that i've always liked he's always been entertaining to me but now that we've gone through this like his hero's journey on his own show like where he was the center of, of attention there's something about that where like could he's not beloved more now. could you know, not agree he, with you more he it was like a a big smile when he popped up and yeah. especially when i was like Oh, nice. It's Hiddleston, too. You know, like yeah. you could realize right away. I was like, oh, yes. Like it was and it was cool. Like it made sense. He's avenging his brother. You know, mm-hmm. he, he in 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 just like a very basic sense, too. You know, this isn't all selfish for Loki. He's literally right. avenging the people who killed his brother. And then we get to see Loki doing some Loki things at the end, obviously, yes. which is great. <laughs> but he, oh, yeah, there are two characters in particular that I think of. In the journey that we've just went on And it's it's Loki And it's Zemo Like the next time I see Zemo pop up somewhere I'm just going to be glowing Like I'm waiting yeah. for it I'm going to be so excited for what it, whatever it is You know if he's on the team with, uh, with Val that gets assembled Or who knows where he pops up Or if it's in Black Panther 2 And he's on in the jail Whatever it is I just uh-huh. He was someone who was just like a oh, Fun character but I got so invested in him And in it's tenfold more with Loki because of the journey that we went on with him through his show. He would have all like yeah. had I had I watched this episode of this and not watched Loki, I would have just been like, "Oh, Loki's there." Right. You know. Right. It you you hit it. It's so it felt so much different just having watched that show. He he felt in a funny way as big of a deal as everybody else. You know, like all of the other Avengers or major characters, and you know he's never really been—he's not Thor or or Iron Man or any of them. He's your anti-hero hero who's a villain back and forth guy. You know, he's more of a—he's always been sort of the B-level character. But that's what's great about this this new era in Disney Plus. You know, you got the Wandas and the Visions mm-hmm. and the Falcons and the Winter Soldiers and all these characters. And Loki, to me, is probably the one that's just. He's he's like the most interesting as a character to dive yeah. into, you know, to like to tell Absolutely. stories, to tell stories with. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because I felt I got those same feels when he showed up. And yeah. uh, Coulson and Fury are talking on the phone. Uh, Coulson needed to get his coffee, <laughs> coffee run, needed a breather, and um, we hear the rumbling, and that is. Loki and all of them arriving here and and everything and all the pomp and the circumstance as uh, the director centers are resporting a massive energy surge seems like it came out of nowhere he says what are you seeing Coulson a meteorological a meteorological phenomenon of some kind <laughs> and whatever it is it came with bogies <laughs> they look they look like they're from Earth he says maybe Middle Earth <laughs> which was great and yeah. uh, um, so we now get standing out on a on the big field. We get Fury confronting Loki, and the hilarious interaction that is another reference and play on the many times that Loki has, you know, come before a group of people and told them to bow or to kneel or yeah. you know even the, the even you know when they go to Wakanda and we were just talking about this last time with with the. Uh, 
with Black Panther and you know do do I kneel do I you know they, they've had jokes like this in a lot of the different movies and so Loki says you would do best to kneel before a god Fury says we don't really do that here no matter who you are or what you are I am Loki Crown Prince of Asgard which is also a key point to think because if there's no Thor he doesn't really have to deal with the power struggle he's actually the the guy who's going to get the throne true yeah and and like i think we see later uh without the avengers on earth it's much easier for him to also take over that as well mm-hmm. so we um so as loki's doing his you know i am loki prince of asgard all of you bow before me you know his his big speech that we fear we hear him always want to give over and over again um the cell phone rings fury cell phone rings and loki gets you know he's getting frustrated i the rightful king of jotun of jotun and god of mischief and the phone keeps ringing and interrupting him and are you gonna take that i'm in the middle of something and so it's uh, it's Nat calling Fury it is uh, Nat when we flash back and see Nat and Bruce, they are in a precarious th- situation themselves. Uh, she says, I've got General Ross, a dozen snipers and a few tanks here. What are you dealing with? Fury says space Vikings. <laughs> that always makes me laugh. Just like Samuel L. Jackson just saying absurd things, you know. Space Vikings just right. just like what the hell you know and uh only he he could like say something with that kind of a a presence that makes you be like yeah Nat says show off as uh <laughs> Fury tells her to handle it and then get to ground so we have a couple battles happening here Fury is doing his best to try to just communicate with Loki while Nat is doing her best to try to get Bruce and get the hell out of there because they're both wanted and Sergeant uh or is Sergeant Ross shows up in, in just a moment so I, this is the, the the cutting back and forth too I I like that in these episodes when they're having multiple stories to tell it just again it, it helps with the, the quick pace it makes everything feel kind of important and you're, you're seeing back and forth how these events are very important we're getting you know again a look at things that we remember seeing standoffs that we've we kind of feel like have been floating around in our head before but they are also mm-hmm. the story and what the purpose are all brand new yeah, yeah, I, I love that you mentioned that the cutting there, uh, the, the cross-cutting technique they use is something that generally it, it is used to, to build tension and also create, you know, parallels within the story, have, have stories kind of dovetail together and then uh, contextualize them against each other. Uh, uh, so it, there's a lot that can come of that technique, and it's just it just shows the the depth of uh, the talent that's you know behind the the storytellers here that they're they're drawing from you know their entire toolbox to to tell the story and uh, yeah the editing is just as good as the uh, the design here and again it's just creating that uh, peak level of tension that's what you kind of need in this story and uh, I think they they really pay it off with what's right around the corner here with uh, with um, Banner hulking out yeah. when we get to that. <laughs> So uh, Fury asks what 
is it that brought you here, Mr. Loki? Vengeance, an agent of this planet murdered Thor and the, or Thor, the crown prince of Asgard. Uh, so, and then, then we're, we're, you know, we're back and forth again. Um, Natasha Romanoff, agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. I have Bruce Banner in my custody. You need to stand down. So that is, uh, that is Ross. So flashing back and forth, we're seeing the, uh, you know, Nat and, and Bruce trying to get out of this position. She says, hey, hey, don't shoot. And then boom, Bruce gets shot. Very similar to what just happened with Barton and where it wasn't one of them. They say, hey, sir, it wasn't us. Nat looks at Bruce. He seems like he's fine. She says, I'll get you out of this. I swear on my life. Director, uh, that's and that's when uh, Loki, we, we get a flashback to Loki. He says, Director Fury. If you fail to comprehend the enormity of the situation, I'm comprehending, all right. And then we get another flashback. Agent Romanoff, uh, you might be better getting out of here. So that's when Bruce hulks up. And, you know, so we're getting these real quick flashes back and forth, back and forth. And we get Fury who asks Loki, what's in the box? <laughs> and uh, you see it lighting up. So it's not just seven there. Yeah. <laughs> I take yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> So this is, yeah, this is quick, but this is fun. I love this technique that they were using as Loki says, such insolence will not be tolerated and your planet will be taken as retribution. Now here comes the Hulk, Bruce. He is hulking up. He's ready to go absolutely ballistic. And as Nat gets out of his way, she she jumps and lands with the superhero landing. And immediately in my head, I'm thinking, how do you do that thing? That thing, you know, that, <laughs> yes, that thing you do. Yes. That thing you do. Poser. You know, that that, pose, poser. that, that pose. Well, you know, that <laughs> thing. You know, <laughs> just oh yeah. And uh, funny, funny stuff here. As Loki now freezes everything, and we see everybody shooting at the Hulk. He's going crazy. He's laying waste to, you know, a lot of guards out there. He's trying to clear the uh, the the way for him and Nat to to get an escape. And Hulk's battling, you know, General Ross, tanks, soldiers as uh we see Betty run over to try to stop it. She tries to, you know, she wants to plead to her father. Nat sees her and Nat grabs her. Says there's nothing you can do. She says my father, he's going to listen to me. But Nat already knows that Bruce is dead because she she knows what's going on. She's already she saw you know she's probably putting two and two together. This this has happened now in a couple different situations. So the general isn't the one who started this, and that's when Betty asks who did. And as she asks, we see Bruce starting to inflate and blow up. And this was I thought it was it was cool. I was I was surprised to see. Him burst and I was kind of reading a couple other things into it I don't think you know Disney didn't want to go with like burst goo or blood So the kind of mist is is a cool way of doing it And it's 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 no a little more like kid or you know kid friendly or PG friendly Than if you were to bust open and there's just blood and guts everywhere yeah, it created it visually. It, it read like kind of like this blob thing happened, but it was very clear that it was this violent death of of uh, the Hulk right there and Bruce Banner. 
uh, which was very unexpected. I think they'd said they'd kind of referred to him as unkillable a couple of times um, in the episode, which just kind of reminded us of that. He's probably off the table, not going to be able to be killed, uh, but somehow managed to do it. And I, I, I love the, the flashback that we get later on that kind of explains it in even more gory detail. Uh, but yeah, they managed to somehow, again, to use that metaphor of walking the line, they walked the line of being somehow, you know, Disney plus family friendly, but uh, actually created a pretty gory shot. Yeah, I agree. I liked it. Uh, it just again, these it felt it just felt this this whole vibe of this episode just felt different. It didn't feel yeah. like something that they do often, like the tone, the pace, the the animation, the the. Yeah, like, oh my gosh, we're killing our main characters right off the bat. Like, there's just a lot of this stuff that isn't something that you you're thinking when you're thinking of like, oh, Disney animated cartoon, you know. <laughs> but it's yeah. that's what makes it, it cool and unique. This is so much the kind of thing that I love with streaming services and why they're great because th- this doesn't happen without a Disney Plus, a show like yeah. this. There's no it's not created anywhere. There's no there's no home for it. And if there is, it's not with like a lot of the actual voices of the characters who voice these actors in live action. Like they're not putting that much money into something that maybe is just a kid's cartoon on the mornings on Saturday, you know. But this is um yeah, this is so cool because this is something that you could tell that they just they feel like they like WandaVision, something they could take a shot with and let it breathe a little mm-hmm. bit and take different chances with different episodes. As uh, totally, yeah. Bruce bursts, and Bet Betty is obviously very upset. No, no, Bruce, he can't die. He can't die. He can't. And we see him gone. And Fury and Loki, they're still talking. Declaring war on this planet will not bring your prince back. And Sif actually interrupts and says, "Wait, he's not wrong." The All Father would want us to listen. That's when Fury d- does a really good job here of, you know, this this is a something that we see happen in the world all the time. The enemy of the enemy is my friend, right? You know, is it, it's you know someone that you don't like, but you you know you two can come together, form a common bond to go after someone that you both hate more. There's nothing like that in the world, you know. There's, I love that. It's it's yeah. great in the world. <laughs> you can just come together. We hate this guy or gal. We're gonna sabotage them, and then we can move on. Uh, that's what they're doing here. As Fury says, we have a common enemy. The person who killed your brother also killed two of my people. Good people. We should be working together. Loki, so we are not allies. And Fury, smart, knows. Hey, I'll just. I'll play on, you know, his ego and and what this guy wants to hear. Then let me help you, right? That's perfect. With someone who's got a big ego like that, you don't want the worst thing you do is say, "Hey, we're partners," or like you're gonna you're gonna be my sidekick. No, you tell them, "Hey, you you run the show. I'll just I'll just whatever you know whatever is best for the relation." You start putting those in their head. I'm watching Lost right now. I I told you before yeah. I, I I hadn't gotten into it, and I'm in I think. Three episode season three into season four And seeing the guy Ben Just manipulate everybody mm. You know yeah. like tell them what they want to hear Or this or that or like he knows their Histories and so he'll know the things To prey on them he brings up their dads Or their wives or their moms or whatever You know whatever the yeah. weak spot is For somebody um, you know And that's a great totally. It's a great bargaining tool A bargaining chip and 
and and Fury's not being like evil here. He just knows that no. Loki's got a huge ego, and hey, yeah, let's just let's play to it. And this is out of Loki's playbook too. This is every 100%. single time Loki wants something, he tries to do the same thing. He tried to do it when he uh, first got uh, arrested by the TBA, uh, the, or the TVA. Like they, they <laughs> just uh, <laughs> he, he, he he tried to ingratiate himself and like and and get himself right next to Thanos as well. Like he. <laughs> That that was his his move. Like he really wanted to take over the 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 universe, but it's like, well, this guy wants to do that too. So let me get uh right next to him, and I'll kind of ride his wave, and, and I'll mm-hmm. betray him later. That, yeah. That's kind of how Loki thinks. So mm-hmm. yeah, this is it's perfect uh, role reversal here. Yeah, Loki Loki agrees, or because uh, Fury lets him know. I promise, when I find your brother's killer, you will have your pound of flesh. This is what a fascinating <laughs> choice of words. But I shall require the entire corpse. Very well, as uh, then Loki says, you have until the next rise of Midgard's son to deliver my brother's assassin, or I will reduce this planet to ash and ice. So they have uh, a loose agreement here that Fury's got to go find out who's doing this, and then once he does, Loki will help him. They can, you know, get rid of who whoever this threat is. <laughs> The next uh, scene is Coulson on the phone with uh, Natasha And uh, Coulson says, why do you need my password? She says, I need to get in the Avengers initiative files But I'm locked out of the system and I'm wanted for murder (laughs) He says, I'm not telling you my password, Romanoff Why not? Because I'm not And you know, you like this is something you think People don't like sharing their passwords with people A a, a lot of them And You know, it's it's just one of those weird things. This is like George on Seinfeld. I'm thinking right here, like he just won't Bosco, you know what? But he doesn't like telling people. Nobody wants to tell people the passwords because we're all probably embarrassed at what they are. A lot of them, or like what are the things that you know? Some of them are corny or goofy or this or that. And at this point, you're thinking, oh, he's probably just yeah, she's a murderer. Yeah, you're right. He doesn't. He doesn't want to give away his password. Maybe they could find out who's on the computer or take away his system. No, that's not what he's thinking whatsoever. He is so embarrassed about what his password is. Because she says, why not? Because I'm not. Coulson, Clint was your friend. So when she reminds him about Clint, who just got killed, he says, hashtag Steve, 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 I heart Steve. Zero seven zero four, <laughs> which is, <laughs> which is uh, Cap's birthday, right? <laughs> so uh, his password is hashtag Steve 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 I heart Steve zero seven zero four, and she just says, "Wow." <laughs> like th- those are the funny things about this episode that I, this episode felt funnier. The, some of the like attempts at humor, I think you you were kind of getting to this in in, in the last couple. There were. Mm-hmm. Maybe there would be like seven or eight jokes that were set up, and maybe three or four of them would hit, and maybe three or four yeah. of them felt like, oh, uh, you knew what they were going for there, and it was like the spot for a joke, but it was a little corny. This one felt like they almost all hit, or or many of them yeah. felt like kind of make you smile a little, or really like smirk when you're watching there, going like, oh, okay, cool. Um, they had a yeah, they yeah, had I a think better because they were. It's grounded in the the character stuff too. Like yes. it's what we know about the character. So I think that's why it, it maybe resonated better. 
Yeah, and there's so many there's so many like inside jokes with all these characters, right? If each one of them yeah. just does one or two, then we got we have a bunch of great ones throughout. Like Iron Man, we saw him right away. He did, you know, one of his and the, the Fury with him and then the stuff with Coulson obviously going throughout and then Nat's, you know, been yeah. a very big part of this. Clint's got the joke there, the the, the joke about Thor being good looking. So, yeah, there's just a a, a lot of uh they were very creative with the way they were able to use a lot of their characters and 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 play on things that we would uh we would enjoy. Like re, re being rehashed a little bit, so mm-hmm. we are uh, now up to Nat. She's investigating. She's looking on the computer, and she's in the the library, and she seems like she kind of hears something behind her. So she looks back. She doesn't see anything, and she keeps looking. Home. How did a woman who died two years ago access the database yesterday? So she goes to make a phone call, and she starts to to dial Fury. And then she definitely can sense that there's someone behind her because she steps up and she turns around and says, you won't win, not against me, not against S.H.I.E.L.D. And we hear Fury's voicemail. You found me. You know what to do. Beep. So the the only bummer that I had with this, which it, it it's sort of a bummer, but also sort of like eye opening and kind of cool at the same point is like. All of these characters that were like so hard to kill, and we see we saw them in so many battles and this or that. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. Nat's gone. Boom! Like two seconds, you know. Turn around. Yeah. Um, she screams, "It's hope! It's all about hope!" So she has cracked a clue that none of us quite really know yet. We're all starting to figure things out a little bit more when it comes to the nanotech and. You know, when you stop and think about the way all these things have happened, um, it, it makes sense. But this is a a voicemail that is left on Fury's machine. So now he is replaying this over and over. Now Nat is dead. She is killed. So now Stark, Thor, Clint, Nat, four of the five on the list all out right now. Um, this is... No, actually, Bruce in the mix too. Hulk. They're all there. Yeah. The list is complete, and that's what is starting to get to Fury. Because I mean, we think about this. These are major characters that we're going to set up this, you know, years and years of movies, and in twenty minutes, boom, they've all been blasted, put out, and it's like, yeah. what is Fury going to do? Who we don't know who's doing it. Who is he going to look to for help? Um, but you can. You can kind of see when he's listening to the message with uh, over and over about hope. The wheels are starting to to kind of spin in his head a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he's he's putting it all together, and that's like he's he's playing the gumshoe role in this uh, this episode, and it's kind of at that point where the the pieces are all in place, and he just has to figure it out. Really, um, we also got a little bit. If I could go back just a bit, we got a please do tease. A very little bit of a tease uh, in that scene with, with Romanoff doing the um, the research. There's a there's a sound that she hears uh, when she realizes that someone's behind her, and it's a sound that's associated with what we eventually find out is uh, some Pym tech over there. And I, I I think it's interesting too. You kind of touched on man, all the OG Avengers offed like they were so hard to kill. How can they be killed? Well, we get that answer in a little bit, and I think it speaks to how powerful Pym Tech is in this universe. And uh, that's a, 
one thing that we're getting from the, these um, Marvel shows on uh, on Disney Plus, we're kind of seeing characters have the opportunity to really show the depth of their powers. Like in Loki, we really found out how powerful Loki is uh, in, in the course of that series. And now I think this is a little hint at just how massive that that Pym Tech power is as well. So Fury and Coulson are standing together and uh, Coulson lets him know uh, four hours to sun up, sir. I haven't forgotten. He reminds him, hey, you, you got to go talk to Loki right now or else this dude is going gonna, is gonna to yeah. take over the world. You know, uh, sir, I understand that this is Prince Loki situation is the very reason you proposed the Avengers initiative for a group of. Rem- so Coulson starts to do the speech. For a group of remarkable yeah. individuals to fight the battles we can't. And what's great about this role reversal is like, you know, Fury is always the so proud giving the speech to everyone else. And everyone else is always rolling their eyes every time they hear it. It's funny to hear someone else yeah. give it and Fury be like, hey, I, I wrote the speech. I don't want to hear that <laughs> crap. You know, like interrupt him. It's just, uh, I, I thought that was really great. Yeah. He's, he's annoyed hearing his own words. Uh. There's one name left, sir. Yours. Fury says, I'm not the only Avenger left. And he grabs a beeper. We see the uh the Captain Marvel little pager here as uh, yeah. Colson asks, is that a beeper from the nineties? Also our last hope. Oh, it's all about hope. And that's that's the moment when he's realized he's put it all together. He's realized hope she wasn't talking about hope the the word hope she was talking about hope as a name you know and this is this is totally something from out of like an old murder mystery right like a like a murder she wrote or an agatha christie novel you know like somebody screaming something but it was actually the name of something else or a place or a person there's like a double meaning to it um, somebody was die- they're dying, and the one thing they wrote down was, you know, red row, whatever it is. Like, there's always something more to it. This is this is a, a great trope, sto- a storytelling yeah. trope. You know, right before we're about Classic. to find out, you know, we we don't find it all out, and um, uh, yeah, it also it was- has the trope. It also has that trope of like the guy right before he figures it out. Uh, there's that thing that that triggers it. It's mm-hmm. almost like it's parodied in the old Batman. Uh, yes. uh, series uh, like with Adam West, all all the time. Like it'll be just a random thing that would make no sense that it would uh that it would uh trigger that memory. But in this <laughs> case, it, it yeah. makes a little more sense. <laughs> yeah. As a uh, Fury, he's got it now. He's put things together. Coulson says, "Where are you going?" And he says, "Not sure. Either to make a pact with a god or a deal with the devil." So Fury shows up to talk with Loki and. We uh we don't really see their interaction. We just see him show up to talk with them. So we, which is kind of cool, the way that the the final scene comes through because, or one of the the final scenes here, because we don't we don't know exactly what's happening until after, and we just see Fury show up at Hope Van Dyne's uh, grave in San Francisco. And it's a cemetery. It's dark. It's this is Thursday now, and it looks like it's yeah, they're early, really early in the morning or real late at night, probably early in the morning at this point. And Fury is looking at the grave, and he can sense 
doesn't see him, but he just says, if it isn't Hank Pym. And then Hank Pym shows up. The balls you have to come here and stand over her grave. Um, it, and it is Michael Douglas, which is cool. Uh, voice of Michael Douglas. Fury says, don't worry about her. I doubt she'd mind considering she's dead. Now, this is you, you can tell a little when you when you look into the words that Fury is he, you know, he plays like he's a hard ass, but he genuinely does care. You know, when it comes down to it, you can tell you can tell through a lot of this interaction that he he's very like he's a lot less um less caring than a, than like the normal version of a uh, of Fury here. As uh, yeah. you know, I doubt she'd mind considering she's dead. Hank says she died because Shield killed her. He said no, she died because of you. He said uh, um, Agent Van Dyne was killed. On a mission outside Odessa, Ukraine, which is another cool little uh, Easter egg here. But this bothers him. He says, Agent, she was my daughter, my little girl. She missed her mother, and you exploited that. So Fury asks, Her mother was an agent? So there, it it all happened so quick that, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the first time through, I wasn't even like picking up on this, that this wasn't. Fury, you know, I really wasn't at all like, uh, yeah. and and, um, and me neither. You know, obviously, the after you watch it back the second time, you pick up a bunch of things where you're like, oh, that's the just the tone and and some of the verbiage that he says is a little mm-hmm. bit more like more of an asshole, you know, like more yeah. of something that Loki would say than uh, than something that Fury would actually say. So yeah. I thought they did this this pretty well. Um, this 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 reveal. Um, I'll. I'll Critique a little bit of it in a minute when we get there um, mm-hmm. But Yeah uh, so he At this point thinks that his mother Or he thinks that his wife is dead Which she's not um, But his daughter now is dead And so he's blaming that On Fury and the Avengers uh, He's don't play the fool With me Fury you filled her head with Nonsense about protecting humanity about saving the world You just left out how she died The same way her mother did Doing shields dirty work and Fury says, so that gave you permission to murder them? Stark, Clint Barton, Bruce Banner, Natasha Romanoff? You took everything from me. Michael Douglas is pretty good, is good here. And yeah. and as he says this, we we see all of we see everything that he's just done throughout this episode. We see how he pulled all of these murders off, what he was doing, how he set all of them up. And and so this is another cool, just like we were saying with the flashbacks and the edits, they show you him killing all of them quickly in just like boom, 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 boom in a few seconds while we're out here yeah. in this cemetery. Like I like I love this and the way they did it, the pacing, everything. It's just it's it was excellent. And it was eye opening to see, oh yeah, you know those people who are huge heroes? I just blasted them off one at a time, boom, boom, boom. As that you had said, wow, in the right framing. How powerful this guy and this technology could have been. Yeah, there's that old like joke, that meme of like, oh, how are they going to kill Thanos? They're just, I think they're going to have Ant Man like go up his ass, fly up his butt, just, yeah. <laughs> and get big. Like, yeah. I mean that that's a basic and a crass kind of version of it, but there's so much opportunity when you're looking at the quantum aspects of things. But I really did enjoy, again, like the convention here, the flashback is something that you get in murder 
mysteries and whatnot. But also very cool was that they ne- they weren't very explicit about the Nexus event at the beginning of this episode. And so that was actually one of the things that were was kind of the mystery throughout was what was the initial Nexus event that caused all of this? And they, they didn't reveal that until this moment. That was like another mystery at the heart. And that's that that uh, Hope was killed uh, in action by um, the Winter Soldier. Because what we know from the Winter Soldier movie, when uh, Natasha is recanting what happens in uh, 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 recounting what happens in uh, Odessa, that's that's when she got wounded, and I think she was on a, a mission and she was intercepted by the Winter Soldier, and then some some I guess tech or somebody there was was murdered. Well, now we can assume that that tech in this world was Hope. It's, it's hope. So. Very cool that they uh, they waited until this point in the, in the story to kind of reveal that. And they, they had that question throughout. Like initially we knew things were different uh, because obviously Tony Stark died at, at the beginning. And all the characters were dying and it was diverging. But they, they weren't clear from the jump of what, what that Nexus moment, that Nexus event was. Uh, and, that, and the previous two episodes, they were kind of – clear about that right from the from the jump so even with that little detail they're sticking with the the mystery format and i think that's really cool it shows like at every level they're going to flip the script from week to week and keep things fresh yeah the only and i i'm go i go back and forth in it the first time i watched it i i was having trouble with it in my head and i think the second i watched this three times so far so i think the second and third time i watched it back I was bothered by it less each time. I just I think I said to you uh, before we started, I would have liked to see either maybe a reference to Odessa, I don't like mm-hmm. a little bit earlier like something a little more not to like we didn't have to slap me over the face with it that was hope, but it was like oh, yeah. I would have never been able to put that together in unless we got that information afterwards. So that was what was right. like I, I I would have been fine with all of the same motivations in hell, even if he's just motivated this way because he thinks his wife got killed. Even if like he just had a different little bit of different motivation. And so, you know, you talking it out like that, and and me kind of watching a couple other recaps and stuff, it it bothers me less. I still think there might have been a a way that they could have given you a little more to to think. Okay, this happened to hope. Because we didn't, if we didn't know she died, then, I mean, this is a this is a character whose motivations are completely different than what we knew. If we don't even know that she's died, we don't really know he gets into this this kind of a rage. Um, But yeah, it that that was my probably my lone critique because I really liked like so much of this episode as we uh, we finish up here and they're you know they're in the cemetery and they just went through the. the the scene sort of montage where we saw the we saw Pim killing all of the uh, the Avengers one at a time as said I wanted to hurt I wanted you to hurt to witness everything you've ever worked for fought for hoped for die and then Fury asked and what of Thor Prince of Asgard and uh, this is when Hank says Goldilocks you would have recruited him in a heartbeat. Sold him some malarkey about being a hero. That's what you do. What Shield has always done. Find others to fight your battles. So, so you murdered him because you could, and this is the line that sets it all off. His uh, Pim says his death was a favor. 
yours will be a triumph. So as Hank says this, you can see f- something trigger in Fury. He gets fu- furious and he uh, yeah. sends Hank. He's just like swatting Hank as Pim he is. Pim slaps him. He is. He Pim. Nice. Nice. He Pim slaps him. Yes. He oh yeah. Pim Pun intended, slaps. sir. Exactly. Pun intended. Well I'm sitting done, on that all podcast. Keep the backhand <laughs> strong right there as uh, <laughs> he just he swats him away multiple times. And Fury, uh, um, Fury is obviously looking just incredible, badass here. As mm-hmm. Hank is like shocked, startled. He's what? What, what the? Like you're you're still pretty spry for a, a guy with a corner office. And then he gets mad. You never cared about hope. Fury says, "I didn't care. I don't give a damn about any of them." And he smacks. He smacks him again. Pimp, pimp slaps him again, and. Uh, mm-hmm. Says Fury come on you're supposed To be a killer well come on uh, Fury come on And then and then now it's actually Fury who's mocking Hank He's laughing I, you know you're supposed to be a killer Come on kill me Pim is like Startled he's confused he doesn't Get this and now all of a sudden Fury is like one step ahead of him Everything he's doing He's, he's disappearing Reappearing he's back and forth It's like he's Moving time he's beating The crap out of him and he, he is like not used To being in this situation he doesn't Understand what's happening what are you doing Stop moving it's like you're everywhere Ah we, we see all these different Versions of of fury There are 50 of them all over The place mm. and then they Become Loki and it's It's been Loki all along In this cemetery scene he has Been fury and So now you go back and you you think about some of the dialogue. You think about what set him off. It was when he asked about Thor, and then when he said, "You know, your death is nothing." You know, his death was nothing. You know, but no big deal was a favor. That was what really pissed him off, and that's why because this was this was Loki all along, and this worked. This plan worked beautifully, exactly what they had wanted. As uh, Hank. Is in custody as he looks up and he says, What's with the goth kid? And <laughs> Loki says, Hello, trickster god. Hi, <laughs> it was a, I thought oh, that was pretty good too. Uh, yeah. what did you think? I just la- kind of overall, the goth kid, yeah, yeah that, that that cracked me up overall. The scene, I, I loved it, I absolutely love it. Kind of reminded me of that moment in, um, I think it was uh, in Far From Home with uh, Spider Man getting. Just messed with by uh, uh, Mysterio. Uh, I love that it, it was kind of trippy and, and uh, cool to watch. Uh, and the, the twist—I didn't see the twist coming. Uh, you know, rewatching it, you could totally see that the the dialogue is is hinting at you know it not being really Fury that he's speaking with uh, with Loki's voice in a lot of ways. Um, but I also had this kind of wild thought, like while it was happening, I didn't realize that. Um, I, I didn't realize that it wasn't Nick, Nick Fury. And I'm thinking like, wow, this is great that, you know, Sam Jackson's Nick Fury is having this crazy badass fight moment uh, and this animated program here. And it reminded me of this old Clone Wars uh, cartoon. I don't know if you're familiar with the original Clone Wars that mm. came out. I think it was the guy that did Samurai Jack who was behind them. But they were like short, uh, sh- like basically little shorts. And there was one for Mace Windu where it really shows 
how badass Mace Window is. And it's it's a great uh, little action piece uh, and uh, uh, very memorable. So I, I was immediately reminded of that, like thinking, oh, Sam Jackson has his best moments with these characters and action wise, at least in the animated format. And just kind of uh, thought that was noteworthy, I guess. And definitely worth checking out those those uh, if you haven't seen them already, you can actually see them on Disney Plus as well. So uh, Fury reminds us shield is people people willing to give their lives for something greater than themselves to save the world from men like you agent hope van dyne understood that and she will never be forgotten and then pim as he gets taken away says then you honor her then honor her and as he gets carted off and loki says well this was an absolute pleasure director fury (laughs) he says good now take your hammer and get off my planet and Loki says about that we should be allies You know I've, I've just had an idea I was thinking I might extend my stay here On Midgard for how long And uh, Then we click to Friday And uh, it's Loki And he <laughs> is in the United Nations in New York And it's uh, one of his big Loki Famous speeches Good evening my loyal subjects It is with great pride I stand before you today To announce that in just one day's time The nations of Earth have put aside their differences and united under my command It's the unspoken truth of humanity that you crave subjugation The bright lure of freedom hobbles you, diminishes your life's joy You are made to be ruled So I have come to help you fulfill your destiny (laughs) Just one day there's no Avengers. Loki took over in one day, and everybody watching yeah. is just like, "Oh, we're going along with it, I guess." You know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this uh, kind of just occurred to me before, uh, earlier was, is this maybe the version of Loki that we saw in Loki uh, yes. that was like that alternate version that was kind of like President Loki? Yes. Uh, is that the same Loki? I wonder. It, right. So, it, the variant. This variant. It, yeah. It, oh yes. It. Uh, so great and. Funny, like when you see people in their homes, like watching the speech or out there, like everybody seem to be like, there's no chaos or anything. They're they're like, oh, I guess we just have to go along with this guy because he's he's pretty powerful yeah. and we have nobody else to to help us save from him. So yeah, we'll just, we, I guess if we can't beat him, join him. <laughs> right. and, uh, Loki has taken over here, and um, we then see the caskets. Of all of the fallen Avengers Tony, Bruce, Thor, Clint, and Nat As Fury And Coulson Talk and they stand uh, Looking over them The Avengers fell before they had a chance to rise May they rest in peace Fury says they can But they won't The Avengers were always meant to be more than a team They were an idea (laughs) Here he goes again The affirmation of humanity's need To to believe that in our darkest hour We will find our heroes And the Watcher lets us know I believe that in this universe As in every other Hope never dies Which I thought was a cool line Just you know about the character Hope You know and anytime you You hear Hope in any of these You think Star Wars too right it's like oh, that, sure. that word hope It's just so like Star Wars You know you, it which plays on So many levels and then the name Hope um, So it says As in every other hope Never dies as long as Someone keeps their good eye On the bigger picture 
and it's Fury, and he's wiping yeah. off the Captain America shield. And I thought this was also really cool because as he says, we we only see Fury wiping off the shield. So it looks like he's talking to the shield and he says, welcome back, Captain. And then we get a little yeah. flash and it's Captain Marvel standing right behind him. So he's saying it to two captains. We're welcoming two captains yeah. in. And now if you think about, you know, how he wants to build the Avengers, this would be Avenger, uh, an Avengers team built with uh, with these two captains. You'd have Captain Marvel and Captain America sort of leading the way with this team as uh, yeah. Marvel, Captain Marvel says. So where's the fight? Carol Danvers ready for a, a brawl here. Um, I, I I really enjoyed a lot of this episode. I like I guess the pace, yeah. the darkness, the tone, the the just take a ch- take a chance. If if a couple of these, I would much prefer an episode like this that was just off the walls and we talked about and we're like you know what it didn't connect, but they tried mm-hmm. and they tried to go in a really different direction. I'd prefer that. Than what we kind of got in episode one Where it was really mm-hmm. safe And it's like oh sure you know like I was I like going back and seeing you know uh, Peggy and Steve and them Switching spots and stuff but I'm I'm, And it feels like you are too I'm in and ready for something new And anytime we get these yeah. new Versions of stuff just like what It felt like with Loki we're unlocking These new concepts for Everywhere we're going moving forward That's what really Gets me excited when I'm when I'm watching this MCU and Marvel content right now. Yeah, and I'm excited about what looks to be uh, that it's not so much of a standalone universe, at least as much as we're we're you know a prime to expect initially. I, I I think they're really gearing towards incorporating a lot of these characters in perhaps live action or having them link up. Uh, down the line and in the what if series and you know characters that were introduced throughout here I think I've heard rumors about something called guardians of the multiverse that maybe they're trying to create something like a new avengers uh, but an alternate form you know maybe we'll see all these characters that we're seeing from you know um, captain carter to uh, to um, you know uh, who who knows like who else we're, what what else we're going to be introduced to uh, moving forward but I'd love to see them all all get together you know the Black Panther version of Star Lord as as a part of this I think I've seen a shot too that's making me think that they're all going to be together I don't know if you've seen this too absolutely but it, like you know there's the like I'm a battle about? It's, yeah it's like they're kind of coming like, together yeah the, the iconic shot from Avengers uh, mm-hmm. too so I don't know maybe this is uh, more like. Readily available like I said I haven't seen uh, Trailers I try to avoid those but I Did see this in some promo thing A lot of the people who Do other recaps Or like some of the really good ones that are on YouTube That are are awesome Mm -hmm. because they'll They'll give you the video you know like new rock Stars and and some of those like heavy spoilers uh, Recaps which are really cool Because those those are people who love Marvel they're obviously they have huge Following and they can show they show you the video While they talk over it but yeah. from um, hearing like a lot of them, um, most of them only got the first three episodes. So now, now mm. most people don't really know what is to come after this. Um, so they they had those three episodes before the season was even dropped. Now they said, I, I think I've heard from almost everyone, they're just on the week to week with us now. So there aren't even many people That's out there great. that know uh, that even have ideas what's to come. But I'm, it doesn't feel like these episodes are finished. 
it feels like we're going to revisit yeah. these characters again and this little world that they created again and all of them yeah. coming together in a different place you know would be so cool like the newer version of Star-Lord with with you know Steve in the Iron Man costume with yeah. Peggy you know Peggy like we don't have an Iron Man but oh wait Steve is in that Iron Man or you could go get you know War Machine like right. thinking about if if the main Avengers that got killed off in here aren't around, but how you could put the team put a, put a team together, I think actually on um one of Marvel's binge mode content uh, uh podcast recently they did an exercise like this where they were going through this episode and then they had a draft mm-hmm. between the two hosts and they said okay like if these were killed you have to build your Avengers team and how would it make sense oh. and they would it was really fun and it was so nerdy. Like if you're someone yeah. who is like in the, that world of like, oh, Batman would beat Superman, and I'm gonna tell you why. Like you would love this kind of a discussion, and and so go go check that out yeah. too because it's it's hilarious, you know. And that's that's what what if that's what this show wants us to do. That's exactly mm-hmm. what they want us to do. They want us to be having these kind of conversations, and so um yeah, I think I think they did another great job here. Three episodes in, I feel super happy, content, kind of pleased with what. We've got from this show And I'm I'm really excited Moving forward I just Any of these three episodes that we had even the first one That we said yeah may have been a little boring Or here and there like I still want to revisit that I still want to see yeah. Captain Carter Where she is and what's going on with Steve And now she is with Fury in modern Day time or what's happening like I, I want to go see what happened with uh, You know with uh, Cha-cha uh, uh, on you know going Back home and you know and and, and, mm-hmm. and, and Those worlds coming together and I Definitely want to see this building Of the the new Avengers now When a lot of the major players Were brutally murdered so Right I I think they've Done a really good job so far as far as Making it feel Important keeping your Interest and then teasing you For the next week okay now like I'm excited for a couple days on Tuesday night. Uh, I'll be up right away, like staying up watching the episode. I, now I'm, I, I think mm-hmm. the first couple I was more like, yeah, okay, you know, I can wait for the next day or this or that. But now I'm, now I'm excited, and this is sort of the feel that I was getting with with Loki and with Wanda and with Falcon, where it's like as soon as it's out, I want to go watch it. And now I feel I'm very curious: is is episode four going to be another standalone story, or do we start mm-hmm. revisiting? Others here you know you mentioned There's a zombies one that's kind of in the In the rumors that that could be Coming soon so I'm now I'm very curious okay who What's the next like world That we go to and we tweak things around A little bit Yeah I don't know Uh, that's a great Thing to think about and I think that's why I'm excited about this show it's Delivering on the promise uh, And it's keeping us guessing Um, We could just sit here and, and, and You know just Make up scenarios in our head, and that's 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 that uh promise that I'm talking about right there. Uh, but they're doing the work for us, and so far, uh, they're they're making it worth our while, I think. And yeah, I'm gonna be there too, uh, watching the night up. And I can't say that I was feeling that after the first episode. I do have a feeling that we're going to go back now that we're into the rhythms of this show and like have a fondness for it. I have a feeling that when we revisit the first episode. It's gonna it's gonna hit even better for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. That's just that's that's been my experience in the past on a lot of things, and um, sometimes you just need to to you, to gel with the show. Like yeah, you need to get into the rhythms of it, and then all of a sudden, 
you know, there's not that anxiety that you might have at the mm-hmm. beginning a little bit, right? Of like what's happening, what's the especially with some of these like with Marvel and uh, and DC and Star Wars and just like some of the beloved stories and tales that have these comics or that have these stories and all this rich text, you know, and stuff to build on. It it just yeah. you get a little bit anxious sometimes at the very beginning of things, not knowing where they're going to go and it's just fingers crossed, I want this to go well. I hope it goes well. I'm such a fan of this that like I don't I don't want it to go bad because then I don't want to have to say it's bad, you know, like I don't want to be right. that person saying that. Like I love to like I like this stuff being good and I don't want to have to be like, oh, yeah, no, this it just you when you know that a show finishes good or like where it's going. Like I agree with you now. I think if I went back and watched episode one, I wouldn't feel as like we were just a little bit nervous at the end of that one going. I hope they do more. And, and now knowing yeah. that they do and in each of the three episodes, they felt like they've done a lot more then I yeah. it's so understandable that okay that was the the like the introduction episode yeah and just overall it it feels top tier uh for lack of a better word it feels well done on that level it has the the gravitas of good, big names still attached to it and that consistency with the MCU as as a whole obviously we touched on there's some recasting here and there but I think that it adds a, a ton of value just that the, the names are still there. Those familiar names are still attached and it makes it that much more uh, substantial of a, of a viewing experience as, um, as, a, as the audience, when we're looking at it, we can kind of, uh, I know they're saying it's, it's all Canon and, and stuff like that, but it almost resonates as more Canon. Like it, it feels like it's more, like something's actually happening as opposed to we're just like thinking about something or it's, this isn't just like fan fiction or, you know, um, something that's inconsequential. It all kind of matters to the overall experience in this journey that we've been taking since 2008 when we started it with Iron Man. TK, this was a lot of fun. Episode three, before we uh, get out of here, was there anything else uh, from this episode you wanted to put a bow on or mention? Oh, you know what? I, I think it was cool that, the yellow jacket uh, oh, version, yeah. like uh, that, Hank Pym there, like he was actually the original yellow jacket in the comics. Um, so I think that was one other aspect that was uh, uh, appropriately done. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and that it also his character because of that, like we know that his character has that potential to be uh, villainous. So I thought yes. that that kind of fit right there. Yeah. That they had him. Uh, do that it was it was comics accurate in a, in a new kind of way it was a throwback to i believe when he was yellow jacket there was something to do with um the part of something that it like injected him that made him become a bad dude that made him mm-hmm. become more villainous in the comics in fact in some of those older comics he actually like beats his wife and is like right. very like aggressive to her and then he he changes be, when when he's not the yellow jacket character, so I, or the the yellow jacket, so I I thought that's a great. I'm glad you mentioned that point that uh, that we got to hit on that too. And uh, I got to give a shout out, but before we go too, because I was like, oh crap, Kate Austin, I'm watching Lost right now, you know, and uh, and it's Hope <laughs> throughout this episode. Oh. I was hearing Hope. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's uh that's funny because I'm like. I, I'm she's on my TV like five hours of every day in the back like while I'm doing stuff and then I didn't hear it you know thinking about the uh the the wasp character and and hope and everything so um that just made me chuckle a little bit as I continue on my lost rewatch but we will continue every 
episode, every movie, anytime there's anything big happening in Marvel, in the MCU, you're going to hear about it right here on That's What G Said podcast with Tim Kelly. We've been very lucky to have Tim helping us out for, uh, wow, it's, it's it's been a while now. Like we said, I ran through at the very beginning. We've got all those Disney Plus shows for you so far with Wanda, with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, with Loki, with episodes of a full recap and reviews for each episode of those. We have a full recap and review for uh, Black Widow, the movie. And now we're up to episode three here, and we'll get you episode four next week of What If. Tim, buddy, uh, give us your plugs. And oh, we got Shang-Chi coming up also very soon, too. So we'll, uh, we'll yeah. have that movie to, to talk about. I'm really excited about uh, a lot of new, just new ideas, new characters. That, that just seems like such a fresh um, mm. story to tackle. Absolutely. We touched on these different genres uh, that the MCU has has played in before. We've got the spy thriller kind of genre of Captain America uh, movies or the, the original one was a war film. We've got Doctor Strange, which is this like a fantasy film, which is also kind of, you know, your Thor. You've got that almost medieval fantasy kind of aspects to it, uh, Shakespearean kind of a, approach to it. Uh, and now we're getting a, a full-on kung fu action movie, and I think that's really, really fun. Uh, I can't wait for that. The action looks great. The little clips that I've seen here and there. Again, I'm avoiding trailers, uh, but I love Aquafina. Um, the main actor, I'm blanking on his name, but he seems like a great uh, choice for the role. He fits the uh, the build, uh, and he fits the bill, I should say. Uh, but he's Lou, um, right? yeah, Simi Lou. Simi, yes, yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah. he seems like a, a a great character, like a fun guy on social media and whatnot. I, I'm rooting for him and his success with all this, and rooting for Marvel's success with it. You know, I, I think it would be significant uh, for it to do well uh, as first Asian uh, led, basically non white male led Mar- MCU movie besides uh, Black Widow that just came out. Um, so that's 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 noteworthy, I think, and it should do well. It looks like it's it's positioned to do really well, and I'm actually really excited for it because, again, with this theme of like just fresh stuff, you know, we haven't seen this character yet, we haven't seen this type of a movie in the MCU yet. Um, I'm I'm really uh, I'm excited for it. I, when, when does it come out? It's it's very soon, right? Yeah, next week. I think you know worldwide. Um, I think next weekend is when it starts to come out. Yeah, worldwide, uh, and just w- I did like a week or two, depending on where you are. But uh, early September and the first couple weeks of September, we'll have a uh, a new world to discuss. I'm very excited about yes. that. Always love the conversations with uh, with Tim Kelly here each and every week. On that's what G said. Uh, Tim, let us know again about uh, your plugs out there. Ice cream fire. Where can we find all the good info about that? Music project Ice Cream Fire. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere you stream. Your music. Uh, you can also follow me on social media at Tim is not funny on Twitter and, and Instagram. Thank you so much, buddy. We'll be back in just a few days. We'll get you uh, what if episode four, full recap, review, and deep dive here on that's what G said. Do not go anywhere. Still plenty more on this episode. Yeah, the episodes are, are, are getting better. I'm liking this show a, a lot more. It feels like Tim is too. I just the, the vibe and getting to see all of the different characters in this last episode, uh, I really enjoyed. And the, the, the little dark for Disney Plus. What if we'll get you episode four in just a few days on That's What G Said podcast? And before we get into the old wrestling rewatch, we want to remind you about our friend 
Cindy Carava, longtime sponsor of That's What G Said podcast, the website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. She is a full-service realtor. Now, as a full-service realtor, she can help you out in many different ways, buying, selling, leasing. Maybe you just want to improve your home a little bit. She can connect you with the right kind of vendors like gardeners, landscapers, painters, people that she's used in her own home and, and homes all around the state. Maybe you need help, you know, getting pre-approved for a home loan. She can connect you with the right kind of people, the lenders and people that do this stuff all the time and will make it really easy on you. Maybe you're just curious how much your home is worth. She'll do a free market analysis of your home's value. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A dot com. That's the website. Also, you're dealing with, you know, moving, relocating. You're going to be interacting with this person a lot. You want someone who's honest and genuine, but also kind and easy to deal with. That is Cindy. She is one of the greatest people you'll ever meet. She's so sweet and she's so hardworking. She's going to make your life so much easier. CindyCarava.com. Let's get into the old wrestling rewatch. This time we head to SummerSlam 2005 with Andrew Champagne. We get Hulk Hogan versus Shawn Michaels in the main event. I thought the show was pretty good. Four or five of the main matches really seemed like they held up. Um, there were no very few swing, complete swings and misses on this show. Andrew Champagne joins for the old wrestling rewatch. We go to WWE SummerSlam 2005. Oh, yeah. Old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> It's another SummerSlam installment of the old wrestling rewatch here on That's What G Said podcast. Uh, Andrew Champagne alongside with me uh, again. Uh, fingers crossed DZ will be back with us in the next few weeks. Busy time with the summer vacations. A lot of stuff going on. So uh, hopefully we'll have him back uh, hanging out with us. But we will continue on the uh, SummerSlam kick here. And we head to the mid-2000s with SummerSlam 2005. And Andrew, when you just look... At this card on paper And you list the names Of some of the people in these matches I mean it really is A who's who Of all time greats in the WWE I mean we're basically Missing Stone Cold and The Rock Otherwise you've got a lot of the all timers Here we've got Edge in match Mysterio Guerrero Kurt Angle, Randy Orton, Undertaker John Cena, Chris Jericho Batista and JBL and then Hogan and Shawn Michaels to close things out. You know, you throw a Bret Hart, (laughs) Stone Cold, maybe one or two others in there. But this is a lot of like the WWE real all-time greats. And for the most part, thought it's a pretty fun show. Some ridiculous stuff in the main event that we'll get to with Shawn Michaels bumping around for Hogan. But it's not like crazy. It's it's still actually a pretty solid match. There's no five-star match on this card. But there are probably, you know, one, two, three. There's probably five matches that I think pretty much delivered with what with what they were expected. So all in all, you throw that in. This show is under three hours, so it's a pretty quick, tidy watch. Uh, we we didn't even watch the very first match, which is only 25 seconds because Benoit's in it. So you know, about two hours and 50 minutes or so. Um, I had a good time watching the show. Yeah, it's a fun show, and there's a couple of things that I completely forgot about. First of all, the Jericho Cena match is legitimately a very great match. good. It is re- I com- I totally agree. I forgot that Cena kind of got to that level in the ring this early. 
I kind of, I didn't realize that he had some of those caliber matches until a little later on in his career. We kind of became more veteran and kind of figured out how to work with different um with different really good workers. But you're right. That match was excellent. And what was cool about this show, I think it really helped it. The crowd was hot the whole night. Oh yeah. The crowd this crowd was, was hot. Man, molten, molten. They were insane in that Cena Jericho match for a few minutes where they were going back and forth and then they kind of turned on Cena. But when he won, they were, you know, they were still giving him a pretty good reception. And uh, yeah, I mean, the JBL Batista match, for example, like nobody's going to confuse JBL with being the greatest worker in the, in the world. But in a this kind of a match, like a no holds barred street fight kind of match for about 10 minutes or so, JBL can brawl fine. And when you put him against someone that the crowd likes, it's not a bad spot for him at all. That, you know, that match wasn't bad. I think you look at all the matches that were built to be big matches on this card, they were all pretty good with the exception of one that we're going to probably talk about right away. And I think, it, you know, the, the Edge and Matt Hardy match, which. The storyline coming into this match was so hot because it was real, literally real, not manufactured real. Like actually Edge was cheating on uh, Matt Alita was cheating on Matt Hardy with Edge. So Edge was was the guy that that broke them up. They were engaged to be married. They'd been together for years because of this. There was like really weird back and forth stuff going on online. And WWE was sort of uncomfortable, so they figured Edge is the bigger star. We're actually going to get rid of Matt Hardy for a couple months, which the you know the the hardcore fans did not love. The internet fans at the time were not a fan of this whatsoever. So that was the storyline was really hot coming in, and then you end up going less than five minutes in a match where like Matt sort of you know knocks himself out kind of, and they have to stop the match. That was. That was a definite downer on the show for me. So going back to your original point about the fact that there are so many stars on this card, one of the things that I really enjoyed is there are four guys that are going to be pillars of the WWE moving forward after this show that are in action on this one. You have Edge, you have Randy Orton, you have John Cena, you have Batista. They all win. And you get the mindset of, okay, these are the guys that we're going to build years. around moving forward. And, and they that's were. basically what happened. Yeah. So there are a couple of things. First of all, there are a couple of storylines going into this show that some of them are ridiculous, just to be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And some of them are things that you wonder what was going on in the writer's room at the time. So we mentioned Edge and Matt Hardy. If this sounds like you can't write the storyline, it's because it was real. Mm -hmm. This was a case where Matt Hardy (laughs) legitimately lost his job because Edge was knocking boots with his fiance. What? I know. What? Now, (laughs) the thing is, I'm going to pause here for a moment. Think about it like this. Edge and Matt Hardy are cool now. How does that happen? I know. I, I mean, apparently what happened was years later, they both were like, okay, Edge now has children with Beth Phoenix. Matt Hardy has found uh, his wife. They have three kids. Matt Hardy is clean now. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. It did not look good for him for a very long time. It did not look good for him. But 
they're both in far better places than they were in. And I think it speaks volumes about both guys, not just both guys as workers, but both they were guys able to come theory. together and blame it on her. You know, well, no, <laughs> no, no, I know. So I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Her, it just, you but... realize that that wasn't, that wasn't the one that was meant for you anyway. So it's not, you know what I mean? You can get over it because you look at where you are in your life. Oh, I got a can I got a family. I've got kids. So I guess what, what am I still to be so upset about? Right. You know, I, it worked out better for me in the long run is probably exactly. Yeah, you know. So there's that one. And that's, you know, there's a lot going on there, but whatever. It is at this time that I present one of my big theories about the history of world wrestling entertainment. And that is Rey Mysterio has secretly been WWE's biggest heel for the last 16 (laughs) years because he has been perpetrating a fraud on his son to be his heir apparent when in fact Eddie Guerrero was the the real baby father. And if this sounds ridiculous, and if it sounds like I'm being incredibly sarcastic, it is because I am. It is because this storyline was the drizzling shits, and it is because it didn't need to happen at all whatsoever. These guys could have just been. You have Rey Mysterio. That's it. Just put him in a ring. That's it. Just put him there. You don't need anything more. What's really funny about all of this is, you know, looking back on it now. It's it's absurd. It's pretty absurd. You know, you think about it, it's like, come on. Um, and it's funny because Dominic, you know, now is done in the last year. We've seen Dominic a lot. He's rusty. He just wrestled on SummerSlam the other night with his dad. Um, so seeing him, you know, what, 16 years later, <laughs> it's definitely a little different. But reading about all of this, this angle was actually absurdly well received in all the places that they wanted it to be with like the Latino audience with the Hispanic audience and in the ratings in particular, I was reading about it. They did at this time. These were always like the highest rated segments on WWE TV, which is crazy to think about because this is such like a, a Jerry Springer storyline that you're like, come on. There's, we know this isn't Eddie's son and He's not going to win custody of this kid or what. And just like you said, these are two all time greats that you could have just said, oh, Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, ladder match, blow off. Boom. What's the difference? You know, like there's there's not. But what's what is funny is the crowd, again, got into this absurd story. They even when even when Dominic comes into the ring with the at the ladder, they loved it when Vicky came in. They liked it. Now there were the match is good as you would expect from those two. There were a few clunky spots that we'll talk about that may have kept it from be, being like really great. But I completely agree with you, Andrew, in that you look at the story and it was so unnecessary and so like what? But for some reason, the people they they like fell for it sort of hook, line, and sinker. Most did and and really enjoyed it. So um I guess at that in that it it sort of worked, but it's just really funny seeing Dominic now and looking back on the storyline. Yeah, and look, the match itself is fine, but my goodness, look at the stuff they were doing in WCW eight years prior. It's light years better than this. And WCW didn't give a damn about the cruiserweights. WCW would literally send these guys out there and say, Okay, you got ten minutes, have fun. That was the direction that they had. Now Eddie's doing everything he can 
But my goodness, some of the dialogue he and Vicky have to deal with that's been written is just yeah, it, it, it's horrible. It's and then just, you have Rey Mysterio. It's like who, bad soap opera. You know, it, it's, it's, like it's really, telenovela stuff. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is, and that's why it was called a pop. But it's like, it's bad. It's because it's just like it's, it's not like, and they do the best they can with it. But this, remember, this is this is not the Vicky Guerrero that we know now. Who's Excuse actually, me. Like, who's yeah. actually a pretty good performer now. You know, she knows what her role is to get heat, and she can. Right here, she's like, she's not been in the business like doing anything on camera so she's sort of like meek you know in in like her delivery with everything which she's kind of sort of supposed to be but yeah you're right it's it is pretty funny it, it's a it's a polarizing uh angle no doubt and you know we do laugh at a lot of it which is silly but obviously the really really like serious and and sad thing about it what is it three months before eddie passes away that's about right yeah and after this when yeah. you look at him he looks really roided up here. There's yeah. no easy way to say that. And knowing what those did to his heart, when he didn't need to be roided up to be taken seriously, it's just, it's one of those things where, again, say no to steroids, say no to drugs, kids. But um, no, it's not like the match was bad. We'll get into it, but there's any number of reasons why it could have been so much better than it was. However, on the other hand, we get a, a decent Taker Orton match. It's we fine. get a heck of a Cena Jericho match mm-hmm. that Cena more than holds up his end of the bargain of. And we get a Hogan Shawn Michaels match that, as good as the match was, the real life backstory as to what went into this storyline is 10 times better and explains a lot of what happened from bell to bell here. So. This is a fun show. I'm happy we were able to do it. I'm sorry that DZ couldn't join us. He had something to come up at the last possible minute because he absolutely would have loved tearing Hogan to shreds for everything that happened during the summer of 2005 that he was a part of. Let's get into SummerSlam 2005. There was a there was a dark match. I think it was Chris Masters beating the Hurricane in there. Um, and then to kick off the, the show, we got... Lillian Garcia singing the national anthem and fans were chanting USA, a very patriotic show because they were right there in Washington, D.C. And so you're getting a big theme, right? We're getting to like the Republican former RN speakers and there were politicians throughout with their families and a lot of a lot of political jokes and stuff. Very USA. Um, and uh, one thrilled. segment that we're going to have a lot of fun talking about. Um. We get uh, a look at the crowd, and there was a song that was, I think it was supposed to be Get It Poppin' by Fat Joe and Nelly, but they had to dub over it. I don't think they have the rights to it, so when you watch some of these broadcasts back, you can see sometimes they have to dub over their songs. It's JR welcoming us, saying that there's uh, over 18,000 fans, and it was uh, JR, Lawler, and Coachman. They're the Raw announced team. Um, we get a look at the Spanish announced team and the SmackDown announced team is Michael Cole and Taz. So they set up that first match. It was Benoit versus, uh, Orlando Jordan. It literally goes 25 seconds. It's just an absolute squash, um, big ovation for the title change. That's it. And it just was like, boom, we're just like literally right on you <laughs> four minutes in and, and you're past this and we're to Eddie Guerrero in the locker room. And this is the kind of stuff Andrew was mentioning when we were, you know, Giving kind of doing big picture thoughts on the show Before it's You know Vicky's trying here Um she said you know She wants 
She's just, this is really more about you wanting to beat Ray. This has nothing to do with Dominic. She said you can't. You don't really care about Dominic. Um, you just want to you know prove that you can beat Ray. This is about hurting Ray. She actually has a line that's a little bit intriguing. She said, "Eddie, you have a heart of gold. Your heart won't let you beat Ray. It's not going to let you do this." And he said he kind of snapped at her. What? What? I, you don't think I can beat him? You don't think I can beat him? That was a that was something that I thought was sort of okay because that's like that fits Eddie's character, you know, being the real real insecure about Ray and just the way that he was portrayed. Um, a lot of the other stuff didn't make sense, but that was fine. Like you can go right there with just the insecurity, play on that, and that and like y- you know you could even hear him. We could even see him backstage saying sometimes, "Hey, I'm not really his father. You know, I'm just messing around here." Some any anything I don't know. It would have been better. Then then actually everybody trying to play off like he really was That's where it just gets a little bit eh with the story Andrew Yeah it's one of those things where less is more And we've said this a lot Wrestling's at its best when it's simple And I know what they were trying to do Look at its heart Wrestling is a soap opera with grown men in tights Hitting one another with fists and steel chairs and stuff Whatever I don't blame them for trying The problem is you get Eddie Guerrero doing this stuff Vicky is by no means a trained on-air personality at this point she is very early in her tenure uh so a lot of the dialogue that she gets comes across really wooden this doesn't play to Eddie's strengths at least most of it and for as good a worker as Rey Mysterio is and at his peak I will argue there were very few better he's not a promo guy This just didn't really work. And also, I have a point of contention here. So, throughout the show, they talk about how Eddie Guerrero is 0-6 against Rey Mysterio. So, we're just going to act like WCW didn't exist? We're just going to (laughs) whitewash that and pretend all of that didn't happen? The fact that they locked up about 20 times and it was very, very equal. And the fact that, hey, that's what actually makes this a rivalry. Because if Eddie Guerrero is 0-6 against Rey Mysterio, what's the suspense? Um, I just think WWE outsmarted themselves here. But if this got them ratings... And if this wound up making some people some money, then what the hell do I know? I know it's, and you're still getting a good 20 minute blow off that ends up going three. It's in, and still a three and a half star match. You know, yeah. it's not like it's bad. It just it, it, you you watch it back and back, and you can, can can critique a lot of it. There's a lot of things to pick to pick yeah. at and say it, ah, that in, just in the words fun. of suburban mothers everywhere. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. There you go. There you go. As we get to uh, Edge versus Matt Hardy, we get a video package for that, which was real life. Lita breaking up the six-year relationship, and she's cheating on Matt with Edge while Matt was home injured. That's another wrinkle to it. So he's at home injured, and that's when her and Edge fall in love when they're around each other more. He's not around. She goes on an internet show. She says, like, hey, why does everybody hate me? I fell in love with someone else. I mean, seriously, you know, I'm just a character on a TV. She was actually laying into the heel stuff pretty good at this point, you know, like, and um, so he Matt ends up getting rehired, which leads to this match. They they had some really cool, intense, like pull apart brawls in the build up to this, and even the match, the four minute and like fifty second, less than five minute match. Is is intense, right? It's sort of like 
how you would want a blow off or like a feud that's got some real life stuff into it. It's how you'd want it to feel. So how many times do we see two guys that are supposed to hate each other and then the, they wait for the bell to ring and they lock up and you know and we're going this doesn't if you hated someone that's how you're going to start. This was well done up till the finish. I just um you know we get we get uh, first off I got to mention too. Like Lita who was you know, obviously at this point playing a terrible person, she could not have looked farther from the character that she was playing because she looks incredible here at this point. Like she just and they're they're basically sending her out there with like a bra on, you know, repeatedly just to show off. She's really thin at this point and is like in probably the thinnest she ever was. Yeah, um, and I, I got to jump in here because she has mentioned this. The reason she was so thin is because stress and anxiety were really getting oh, yeah. at this point. I she, Lily, she told the story. It. She told the story about how Lillian Garcia actually pulled her aside at one point backstage when Lita was crying and basically said, "Look, we've all got baggage, and it's not your fault. They don't know that. It's a case where, look, back then." It's the heels of the Attitude Era, still with some raunch in the programming. Lita looks absolutely incredible here. And the way she was able to go from a beloved babyface to one of the biggest female heels at her peak in the history of the WWE. That's a testament to her ability as a character. But backstage and with the stuff she was going through on a personal level... When you know that story and you know everything that was going on between Lita, Edge, and Matt, it, it, it's mind-blowing, especially considering wrestling as an art form is based on trust. Gino, if either you or I found out that our significant others were knocking boots with somebody else, would we feel inclined to protect them? Gosh. Absolutely mm, not. No, no. So the fact that these two guys were able to do that that speaks volumes. In a professional now, way, yeah. yeah. You know, it is. They, now, this match, they tell a pretty cool little story early. And I don't know if you noticed this or not, but they just start throwing punches at each other. Mm-hmm. And it's what you'd expect there. But there's a wrinkle. Matt Hardy makes it a point to go after Edge's neck. Mm-hmm. Edge had just come back not quite long before this from a pretty serious neck problem. And that was a neck problem that would ultimately put his career on pause for the better part of a decade, a couple of years down the line. So I was actually a little disappointed in the commentators for not catching that because it was no secret what Edge had been going through. So Hardy gets sent over the top rope and he takes a big bump off the ring post and he bleeds hard way. Credit to him for that. Like this wasn't a blade job. He legitimately rammed his head into the top of the ring post and started bleeding a gusher. So the match gets stopped in a vacuum. Do I understand why they did this to continue the feud? Yes. But you can't advertise a blood match and end it at the first sight of blood. That's the first thing. Yeah. The second thing is Hardy bleeds. Okay. Later on in the evening, we would see a very high profile wrestler (laughs) bleed all over the ring. Yeah. And no one cared. Yeah. This... Uh, that was there, the, there are holes here. There are holes here. 
And it's yeah, it's a it's a bummer, you know. They 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 go right at it, like you said, you know. Matt kind of you know stops for a second, then he runs down to the ring. Uh, bell rings. Matt takes him down, uh, takes Edge down, chokes him. Um, uh, fans chanting a couple times throughout this match. We got a "She's got herpes" chant at Lita. We also uh, got a quote: "She's a crack whore" uh, on a as as another chant at Lita. Um, Matt Hardy just continues to punch his strikes, and he's laying them in too. Like these aren't working punches. You know, you can tell he's actually he's hitting them. Um, Edge with a headbutt. We get um, Matt on the apron, and Edge hits a spear through the ropes. They both go down. That looked pretty pretty rough. Um, they roll back in. It is just looking like a brawl. Um, more punches for Matt. They go up against the turnbuckle, and then it's sort of like a sl- like. Edge kind of launches Matt into the ring post Almost sort of like a slingshot in the air And and Hardy Hits this head as Andrew said re- Legitimately hits his head And falls to the floor um, Fans are you know chanting for Matt You kind of feel like he's going to get the come- like A comeback spot soon And Edge is just working on his head All of a sudden Matt's really bleeding all over the place Edge continues to, to punch the wound And they call it uh, Less than five minutes Matt is out Ref calls for the bell it just, you know, the way the story had such a huge build. This story was built, was one of the bigger builds on this show of, of matches, the way it was built. Like, you put that one and the Mysterio build, like, coming in, there was a lot of buildup for this. Because there was a lot of buzz on the internet about, you know, what Matt was saying, what Lita was saying, Matt fired Edge, this or that. Like, a lot of different things. And it just, you know, the feud does continue. They have a rematch at the next pay-per-view. You just figure this is SummerSlam, you know. This is the guy who lost his, he lost his girl, he lost his job, and now he's kind of like left, knocked out. You know, he he gets some comeuppance at some point, but it he's he's the guy that's supposed to win this feud, and then you elevate Edge to the title picture. That's fine, you know, whatever you want to do. Edge can move up, but Matt's supposed to, for the most part, like. Get the chance to just kick the crap out of this guy a couple times. Yeah, and it, it's just a case where I got where they were trying to go here because they had just brought Matt back. I understand you want to continue the feud, and it's a tricky spot because if they had blown it off here, it was definitely too soon. You're right. Having said that, what we got just did not seem satisfying. If this should have been like s- one of those things where the Matt. Has a submission in and will not let it go You know and the ref overturns it Or he's beating the crap out of Edge And Edge just runs away And they have or, to do a cage after or you know. Or if you want to do something crooked Have Lita help Edge cheat to win Easy Sure Just real easy And right. that's still better than what we got Yep Absolutely And so that that's a bummer Um As I think you, you kind of said it with the Mysterio match Which we're going to get into uh, next also it just felt like with both of these two, they maybe just outthink uh, like outthink themselves here, getting a little bit too cute when it's like these were two feuds that you could have just like you said roll the ball out there and let them play. You know, you got the real life stuff here with Edge and Lita, or with you know and and Matt and, and you know let this thing just go ten minutes, then beat the crap out of each other. Matt has the upper hand, and then like you said, Lita. Does something cheap to to have you know Edge win, build up a little more heat, and then Matt gets over eventually. But he just yeah, I didn't like the way he came out of this looking, you know, with the uh, 
with what had been going on as we, you know, the fans are booing here and we get the video package for Guerrero versus Mysterio next in a custody of Dominic ladder match. So I guess Ray had beaten Eddie at Great American Bash a little earlier. Um, they're going with the story, like Andrew had said, uh, that obviously didn't have anything to do with their previous history because these guys had wrestled probably in WCW and then before that hundreds of times <laughs> against each other through the years. Um, the uh, the secret was that Dominic was really Eddie's son and that uh, Eddie had the kid, but he was in you know at a rough time. So Ray and his wife end up raising him, and now Eddie's you know. Letting the secret out because he wants to to hurt Ray and he wants custody back of Dominic. So yeah, just a little too convoluted. Except he really doesn't and just wants to beat Ray Mysterio. And oh my God, how is this complicated? I know. So um, we get the briefcase hanging above the ring. We even got Taz acting real babyface. I want Mysterio to win here. The uh, somber voice stuff that Cole and Taz do here. It's it lays it on way too thick. I know because this is. This is like goof. You're right. You're right. Because this isn't like serious wrestling stuff. Cole even actually comes in with a mentions that he adopted both of his sons. And he says that just because you're not the biological father, that does not mean that you can't be a father. <laughs> Which is like, whoa, they're really, really laying it on. That I actually liked. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's it, fine. Yeah, it's real. It's adding something. Do the human element to that, that's how you do it. And by the way, Michael Cole and Taz around this time were probably the best commentary team in all of wrestling. They worked together on SmackDown and they were able to get their reps in because they were able to do retapes and reshoots and been able to really learn how to provide layups. Yeah. Like Heyman was around that time and they were able to do a lot of really cool stuff together that showed what Michael Cole was able to do when you let him announce and let him be himself. So we have, we get Rey Mysterio, big ovation for him, and um, on the uh, ringside, um, just in the uh, the front row of the audience, there's Dominic with a social worker sitting sitting there with him. Um, yeah, crowd is really really hot for this, and we uh, we get going. Um, big Eddie sucks uh, chance from the crowd. Um, Eddie sends Ray into the top turnbuckle. We get a belly to back. Um, Mysterio with a flip that sends Eddie out of the ring. Um, Mysterio uh, goes tossing. Uh, Eddie tosses Ray shoulder first into the into the steps. There, a lot of a uh, lot of looks at Dominic throughout. Uh, Eddie goes to set up the ladder, and then Ray hits a missile drop kick to knock him down off the ladder. That uh, that looked pretty good, and. You get a smile there from Dominic. Eddie then uh, hits a drop kick into a ladder himself. We Mysterio ends up climbing a ladder. Guerrero goes after him. I mean, we're getting a lot of cat and mouse with this ladder. And then there's a couple spots that are just, I think, would probably keep this from being a four-star match to me. I, I had it in the three-and-a-half range. Um, there's a, a sunset flip power bomb that they kind of missed the spot. It, I, I was reading into it, and it seems like, Eddie's hand slipped on Ray's leather pants. And I think that's where they may have had a little bit of a botch there. Uh, Eddie goes after the ribs and he starts working on, on Ray a little bit, slowing things down. He tosses a, a ladder onto Ray and then another one on him. He jumps over the rope with a splash onto the ladders. He sets up another ladder and, and brings it and climbs it up. But then Ray with a big box, uh, 
back body drop off the ladder onto another one that's like bridged across. So there's some creative stuff here they're working on. Um, Eddie sets up a big ladder, or uh, and Mysterio's you know really really hurting right now, but he's super slow while he's setting it up. So Dominic gets into the ring. Crowd's going nuts for Dominic. He starts to shake the ladder. Uh, it barely moves. Eddie walks down. What are you doing? What the heck? You could have hurt me. This was terrible, 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 really bad, really bad dialogue here, you know, and give me a hug, you know, give your father a hug. And Dominic says no. So, um, Eddie looks like he's going to hit him, but here comes Ray makes the save back body drop. He hits a six, one, nine into a ladder into Eddie, a big leg drop off the top. Um, then Eddie puts Mysterio on his shoulders and Ray counters and hits a power bomb, awesome. which was really cool. That was my favorite spot of the match. And it's very like easy to make a mistake there. There's a very small window and like a margin of error. Uh, Ray climbs the ladder. He's got his hands there, but Eddie kicks away the ladder. So Ray falls into Eddie's arm for a power bomb. So that was another really, really cool spot there. Um, Eddie's doing the real slow climb again, and he's trying to get it. But so this is what this is the spot where they screw up. So he's trying to get it, and Ray shoves the ladder out of the way. So Eddie's kind of hanging off the hook, and then you you know he falls, and he, and then he starts pounding the mat. So you wonder if he got hurt or whatever. Vicky can missed I the spot. It? Can I say it? Yep. Where the bleep is was Vicky? Vicky? Yep. And if you watch this, and it, we're, we're not done with the match, but if you watch this, they mute the audio. So you can't hear him yelling, where the bleep where was the F Vicky? Is Vicky. Yeah. You can't hear it. She's just off. The timing's just off. This was supposed to be the spot where she comes in. So they, they're two pros. Ray ends up, you know, they have to call an audible They you know they just continue along with their match But he's banging on the mat he's mad He ends up hitting a three amigos um, And he sends the, the third one Ray back first Into the ladder then again he does His slow climb and here comes Vicky um, When she's at the when Eddie's At the top Vicky's yelling for him To stop and then she pushes the ladder He falls over crashing into the ropes Crowd does love that Love that moment and then Ray Climbs the ladder as a uh, you know, Eddie gets up, Vicky pulls him away, and Ray grabs the briefcase. So the match goes just over 20, and it's a good match. It's just, you know, it's a little goofy with all the uh, the bells and whistles that are around with it, but it's still a three and a half. I think if it a couple of those spots wouldn't have missed, it, it probably could have got to four. And if you like it a little bit better than me, then, you know, anyone else that does, it's fine. It's just, it's not a bad match at all. These guys can have a little bit better, and I think that this is one of the instances where, Maybe with the ratings and maybe with the, uh, I guess, the overall um, maybe interest and just adding a soap opera storyline to these guys added some intrigue. But I don't think it helped their match quality at all. These guys probably could have had a better match if they didn't have to worry about some of these goofy spots and these these two guys just going at it. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly my thinking, too. I had it at three and a quarter. It might well be three and a half, but all of the storyline stuff just left a really rotten taste in my mouth. There are some really cool spots here. Early in the match, that springboard drop kick that Ray gets to stop Eddie from climbing. I loved that because Eddie's setting up the ladder and he doesn't have to slow down. 
he doesn't have to do the overly dramatic slow climb that plagues a lot of ladder matches. He can go normal speed because he and Ray have the kind of chemistry to where they know exactly what the other one can and can't do and what position they need to be in in order to make stuff work. That's what happens when you've been working with the same guy for 10 or 12 years, dozens and dozens and dozens of times, that sort of thing just materializes. There's a couple of cool spots in here. I mean, you get Ray sandwiched between the ladders. Eddie hits that somersault splash from the apron over the top rope. Ray racing up the angled ladder and getting a back body drop where everybody bumps. That was great. Uh, Ray falling into the power bomb was terrific stuff. There were a lot of really good things about this match, but the fact that it was centered around an eight-year-old kid, and I don't think anyone at the time was asking for that to happen, just, it, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And there were a couple of botches that I think may well have been due in large part to just the way everything had to be set up to accommodate for the storyline. You have Eddie doing the climb with Mysterio under the ladder. If Vicky hits her cue, that's a great finish. Vicky didn't hit her cue for whatever reason. So they wind up needing to improvise. Now, these are two pros. They can do this, and it comes off about as well as you could expect. It's not like it's a bad audible, but it is a case where you can tell something went wrong. It's not Randy Orton yelling, stupid, 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 but... It's not far off. Now, Vicky does come out, shoves Eddie off the ladder. Ray gets the happy ending. Yay, crowd goes nuts. Ray clocks Eddie over the head with the briefcase that contains the <clears throat> custody papers. Look, it's a good match, okay? There's no reason this storyline had to happen. And maybe I'm being crabby because this did do really well in the ratings. And maybe it was something where... I'm in the minority as having not enjoyed it. But it looking back, I think we can both safely say this just didn't age well. No, no, it's goofy. It's goofy. As we get the uh, Mysterio celebrating afterwards, Ray, uh, Angie, who's Ray's wife, comes out. They all give a hug um, and, uh, yeah, they celebrate with the briefcase. So we... You know, we move along now and we have Chris Jericho interviewed backstage with Todd Grisham. He says it's the time is now for Jericho. He mocked Cena's chain gang, which is what they were calling the fans. And he said that he will discard them. And he said he is Jericho who beat The Rock and Steve Austin in the same damn night to be the very first undisputed champion. And uh, he said he's going to be Cena, win the title, and the true Jericho-holics can finally have a champion they can be proud of. I've got one thing here really quick. So it's a decent enough promo. It's fine. Where is Jericho looking when he's cutting this promo? Because he's not not looking at Todd. And he's not not looking looking at the camera. camera. He's looking equidistant between them. And it makes you wonder if there was another camera in the vicinity. And and he was just just looking at the wrong one. mm -hmm. And they just were like, we're not on camera too. We're on camera We're live, buddy. We're live, buddy. Let's do it live. (laughs) And actually, this is... uh, Jericho comes out, I believe, following this, and we'll get to it when his match in a minute. This is the, the end of his run for a while for One Jericho. Of them, he comes out the next night for a rematch and winds up getting, quote-unquote, fired at the end of it, and that's the last we see him in WWE for two and a half, three years. Yeah, two, yeah, a couple years. So we'll get to 
Jericho and uh, Cena in a bit. Right now, we get to Eugene with Christy Hemi. And they put Christy Hemi with Eugene because people just didn't like Eugene. They just, they could see what this character was. And it, you know, it's just care. This is one of those characters that just does not have life, a lifespan whatsoever. You know, you're, you're basically putting like a mentally challenged person and you have someone trying to play that. It's not, this was one that always sort of rubbed me the wrong way. Um, Eugene Dinsmore could go in the ring fine Um, You know you could see little spurts of it His character was basically one who would like Take all the finishing moves from other people And you'd see a lot of rock and stone cold stuff And he was like a like a, a, a fan that was a kid that never grew up Um, They needed something to do for Kurt Angle So they put him here with Eugene And this is basically four and a half minutes of You know Eugene gets a couple Things in but this is pretty much Kurt Just looking looking pretty dominant As Kurt is sort of Going to be on his way up he's going to be the guy To feud with John Cena next after this I mean he walks in And he just decks Eugene And we get uh, uh, Slam We get uh, You know clotheslines Here comes Eugene with the spine buster Um, He goes for the people's elbow But Kurt jumps back up He hits a clothesline Fans are chanting let's go angle A couple German suplexes Eugene's trying but the fans are just booing As he keeps trying to get you know his hope spots Another German suplex for two Um, Angle sends Eugene headfirst into the turnbuckle Then Eugene does his He's trying to build up you know like his Hulk uh, Hogan build up uh, Hulk up routine Then you get rock bottom and he counters an angle slam And then he hits a stone cold stunner Eugene does uh, Then Eugene puts the angle lock on But angle is able to reverse that And he sends Eugene flying into the turnbuckle Angle slam, ankle lock Eugene taps out Kurt gets the win at four and a half Yeah, so A lot to dissect here For a four and a half minute match Eugene came up in the WWE system Nick Dinsmore was a legitimate prospect. Now, what they did with Nick Dinsmore, maybe it's not quite as bad as making Terry Taylor the Red Rooster, but it's not good. And they wound up making him a slow person, for, for lack of a better term. There were a couple of segments he did that are memorable for decent reasons. There was one from an episode of Raw I believe it was during the diva search that ultimately resulted in the hiring of Christy Hemi, where Jonathan Coachman was in the ring berating him and they sent him back up the aisle sobbing and out comes the rock. That is a tremendous segment where the rock actually gives Eugene a heck of a rub. But those segments and those moments were very few and far between. This was a case where they thought they had something with this and ultimately, the lifespan was far shorter than what it wound up being, at least in their minds. This is basically an extended squash match. Kurt Angle doesn't have to do a whole heck of a lot in here. Um, for what it is, it's fine. The, the big they just thing go quick I, for four minutes. And like, yep. like you said, Dinsmore is fine in the ring. He's not bad in the ring. He just got saddled with the... It's one of those things where it's like, you know, Bray Wyatt... 
having to work a character like the fiend, it's just hard for him to to work a normal match when he's you have to worry about his character a lot of the time and he's mimicking other people's moves and doing stuff like it's not even a bad character that like I, I like the idea of like a super fan. I just don't like the idea of one that's anytime you start getting into the, the like sl- like mentally challenged slow stuff, it, I that that's just kind of rubs me the wrong way. I don't like people playing those kind of roles, you know? Right. That's for sure. Now, admittedly, I didn't know a lot about Christy Hemi because for some reason I just didn't see her on TV a whole heck of a lot. But in doing a little bit of research, this is absolutely fascinating. She apparently had quadruplets a couple of years ago. Wow. Wow. January 6th, 2018, she gave birth to four kids. That is one tough woman. Jeez, I can't even process that with a yeah. with, with an almost so, two year old right now. I no. mean, it's uh, I, admittedly, I, I wish I had more. It's just mid two thousands was around the time where I sort of tapped out on WWE because I was in college and I had my other stuff going on. But it, I read that and I went, "Wait, what? Did I really read that correctly? Yeah, I did." But at any rate. This match was what it was. They needed to find a way to squash Eugene at this kind of a setting. And that's ultimately what happened and, and how they did it. Yep. Nothing really too uh, much more to uh, to talk about this. And I believe they kind of... So the next night on Raw, like you said, Jericho and Cena have a, end up having a rematch after their match here. Jericho loses that match. He ends up leaving for a few years. And Angle comes out and attacks Cena. And he's kind of the one... That is the next main event challenger for Cena for a while, and they have some pretty good. Uh, they have a pretty good feud for uh, for a few months for a while. They go back and forth. Um, we then uh, oh, after the match, I thought was okay. Angle brings the chair in, and he makes the ref put the uh, the yeah. Olympic gold medal back on him, like he did. See, that's okay. Like that's fine. That's good heel stick here. Um, as uh, Eugene had you know won the Olympic gold medal previously in like a total you know. Raw moment where Oh my gosh just as a way To set up here and make you think there was some Way possible that Angle wasn't winning This match He did we get a shot of the Backstage limo and it's Tori Wilson Maria Ashley Candice Michelle Stacy Keebler And they are in Bikinis washing The car and They are soaping themselves up Kind of smacking each other on the butt um, And there's a President of the United States logo on the side uh, The window opens and it's Vince McMahon And it says McMahon for President So this, you know, this is a good look at what things were like at this time For the women and not quite, you know, main eventing WrestleMania Or getting multiple women's matches on a show like we see nowadays with the women No, no, this is... uh this is very, very different. And you get Vince in the limo. It's a presidential limo. And he's saying, hey, it could happen. And then the bumper sticker at the end, I just thought was hysterical. McMahon for president. Gee, someone that's appeared on WWE television before could never, ever be president, right? Nobody in the WWE Hall of Fame, maybe? <laughs> no, nobody whose properties have ever hosted a WrestleMania? <laughs> so, um, oh, anytime there's the political stuff, it always makes me chuckle, you know, even when they go way back to, like you said, when they were at Trump Plaza and you hear Jesse 
talking to Trump about, hey, hey, Mr. Trump, if I were to run, would I have your support? Oh, sure, Jesse, of course you would. Whatever you need, anything, you know, take good care of it. <laughs> it's always funny to see how things have uh, things have played out through the years. And um, it's now time for Randy Orton and The Undertaker. Undertaker uh, with his entrance. And These Mike, entrances take five minutes. Yeah, and I think Cole says this was his 14th straight SummerSlam having a match. Again, this crowd was really good throughout the night. They were really solid through almost everything. Big Orton uh, entrance. Hey, nothing you can say. He wrestled The Undertaker at Mania, and then he got hurt. And so Orton was missing a few months. He ended up back here, so this is a rematch where uh, The Undertaker ended up beating Orton at Mania. And Orton's still super young here. I think he's 25. In the SummerSlam the year before, he ended up being the youngest ever world champion at that point. We, yeah, this thing is fine. I think I had it at maybe, you know, two and a half to three in that range. Um, This, it was more of like the start of this real heelish, Orton character that they were going with They were bringing his dad into the mix which we see at the end You get exactly What you would expect from these two guys You know uh, all of their Their biggest hits uh, Taker goes for the rope rock Orton knocks him down um, Taker punches turnbuckle Punches into the turnbuckle Orton fights out of the corner um, Taker runs the ropes he hits the flying clothesline Then he slows things down Some kicks and punches um, Orton with the uh, oh, Taker gets crotched on the on the top rope, and then Orton really starts to work on the leg, and so that's that's a lot of the story of this match. He goes for the hamstring, and he hits his DDT, and then he takes out Taker's left leg, which is um, draped on the bottom rope. He whips the knee against the ring post. He goes for a running knee drop. Um, you get Taker running the ropes, and then this was a good spot right into the power slam for Orton, which always looks really good. The leg lock. Taker reverses it And Orton ends up running the ropes Hits a shoulder tackle We get a another leg lock submission From Orton who's sort of locking him in So he's he's doing his best to work And, and really play heel He's kind of slowing it down and that, and that is why this match isn't like A four star match or anything Because it's more about the story Orton being the heel, slowing things down Working on the leg, trying to take the leg out For the big man Undertaker hits a flatliner uh, He does the the rope walk and he hits a flatliner Then then he hits snake eyes Orton comes back with a drop kick He goes for the RKO but Taker Battles away He goes for a tombstone and then Randy reverses it Then Undertaker sets it up But Randy slips out And he hits sort of that, uh, that little backbreaker Kind of neckbreaker thing um, He goes to So he goes up to the top rope And it's sort of like a cross body that Undertaker ends up rolling through. I wasn't sure if they messed this spot up or not. Like, like if Undertaker was supposed to kind of catch him, but he ends up hitting a choke slam out of it, and he looks like he's about to win. All of a sudden, a fan runs in the ring, and a couple security guys and the ref are trying to get the fan out of there. Undertaker kind of pushes him into the the turnbuckle, and he kind of, you know, shoves the fan down. And it looks like the fan, the looks like the ref and the security official are able to get the uh, the fan out. And Undertaker picks up Randy Orton, but Orton hits the RKO and gets the win at uh, 17 plus minutes here. Then following the match, we see that the fan in the uh, the aisle 
who's walking back was actually Bob Orton, Randy's dad. He had a disguise on. He even had a, like a little mask over his face that he has, ends up pulling off, like peeling off. And so the, you know, this, I don't think this was like an A plus home run, but I kind of like, I liked what they were doing here. It was a little creative. You know, you get the fan in the ring thing. This was a way to keep your, the Undertaker strong, who they never liked having these. You know, lose clean. Um, you get a big win for Randy. This continues their feud. You bring Bob into the mix. It was a little fun, and Randy did well with this legend killer gimmick for a while. And when when Bob was in the mix here, I didn't really have any problems with this. You know, it wasn't like I said, probably in the. I had it, I think, two and three quarters. I had it at two and a half. Yeah, it it's fine. It's not anything more than that, but it's fine. I've got one significant issue with this match. And it actually involves The Undertaker here. So they do a long segment where Orton works on the leg. And that's fine. That's the story they're telling. Orton's trying to chop the tree down. So Taker starts to make the comeback. He's selling like he can barely stand on an injured leg. Orton whips him into the ropes and he starts running. Uh, dude, you could barely stand five seconds ago. And now you're running full speed across the ring. Okay. That that didn't make sense to me. That's a case where I, I, I get I got what and they were he, trying to do. But if you're working the leg, you don't do an Irish just, whip spot. No, don't do the spot. And even he even did the old school at one point. You know, and he's like, they even they're mentioning like, wow, how's he gonna be able to get up top with that injury? It's like, well, just don't. You don't have exactly. to do that. Like don't yep. it's they're telling a story in the match like you, I know that's one of your spots but that's not your finisher that's not your you know that's like you can do without that I agree with you there were a couple things that that's it, it felt like the the whole execution and all of this was probably like a B minus it B, was fine you know like nothing bad nothing offensive wasn't hate like these two guys have better matches together but this was as much of a match as it was like an angle and a story and hell you know what pretty cool to see Randy Orton he I got I got to say he was he's never been like my favorite wrestler my someone who I go out of my way to watch every Randy Orton match or anything like that but he really and you know he gets I think a lot of crap Deservedly because he's probably not been the greatest Guy throughout his run We've heard some things about him backstage He does seem like a guy Who's really become a lot more Comfortable with himself in his skin And really like has a I don't know I just got a better vibe about him In this last like five years as a veteran You know he just he, He does great work even way back Here 16 years ago that we're talking about but The last few years I I just get this like I don't know. He seems just very like I don't know, com- like comfortable in his skin. You know, I'm the veteran. I'm one of the leaders around here. Everything he did throughout the pandemic was pretty good. Um, the Drew McIntyre stuff he did was good. And then with RK Bro, he's pretty much him and and Riddle are the highlight of Monday Night Raw right now. So just got to give him a shout out because you know what? He's not my particular favorite all time, but the guy just continues and continues to you know put out really good work. Yeah, I, even his stuff with Edge, the WrestleMania yeah. match last year was awful. It was dreadful. Too it much. Was 40 minutes, and it should have been about 10. But, big butt coming, when they realized they misfired, they say, okay, how can we rebound from this? Let's have the greatest match ever the next month. Well, there you go. 
that's the new pay-per-view. The greatest <laughs> match ever. And you know what? It wasn't a five-star match. It was a solid four. Yeah. And Randy Orton more than held up his end of the bargain on that. Now, Randy, at this point, was still very, very young. He was a guy who was still developing as a worker. And there were a couple of things in his repertoire that he hadn't really quite ironed out yet. But there were a couple of things that he did that were really cool. I love the way he sold Undertaker's big boot. He would just come crashing to a halt and go straight down, almost like he was about to go through the ring. And I love the way he bumped for that. It sounds so simple. But just looking and seeing the way that he bumped for Taker's spot like that, that was pretty cool. It wasn't a bad match. Like it's I said, fine. I have it at two and a half stars. It's a little slow. It goes 17 minutes. It probably could have gone 12 without yep. too much of a problem. Mm-hmm. But is it a bad match? No. no. And I did like how they were able to get Cowboy Bob Orton involved. The only thing that I thought was missing from that, couldn't we get him the cast from the injury? Right. That never exactly. Healed? If he came in with the cast, then it would have been like you start playing to deta- what. You look at the cast, you look at the, you know, you start playing, wait, what, who is that? You know, we would have gotten one of those from the announcer. We know this guy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're right. That would have been really funny if we would have just got the uh, the cast. But, yeah, not nothing bad, just nothing incredible as we move along from, uh, from Orton. Undertaker to Cena Jericho. So, yeah, they're, I mean, they're building this this feud up as, you know, Cena's sort of the new up-and-comer, Bischoff's the evil boss, Jericho's the guy, the the henchman for Bischoff, which is really funny when you know their history. You know, just the fact that Jericho never really liked Bischoff, and I guess recently they've gotten okay with each other. Well, actually, actually, they wound up patching things up after Bischoff came to WWE. So that was when it was. It was before this. Yeah, so what happened was... Jericho wound up leaving WCW when Bischoff was actively trying to re-sign him and make him a featured player. He decided, look, I've had enough of this. You're not going to push me to the level I think I should be at. I think I've outgrown this place. The Goldberg stuff really drove home the point with him. So he wound up going to WWF at the time, wound up you know, doing the first promo with The Rock, wound up doing a lot of really cool things. And then Bischoff comes in, and as it turned out, Jericho had written Bischoff a very nice note uh, before he had left. They wound up squashing whatever beef they had within the first 10 minutes they saw each other after Bischoff had come back to the point where there were a couple of storylines with Bischoff, Jericho, and Steve Austin in 2003-2004 where they would just go out there and wing it as far as what they were going to say, what they were going to do. Stephanie McMahon, I guess came in and was trying to micromanage the segment. And Steve Austin looked up and said, Stephanie, with all due respect, you have three guys that have drawn a fair bit of money by using a microphone. Let us do this. And ultimately, some of the stuff that they wound up doing together was really, really cool. Jericho talks a lot about how for one summer, all he did was go around the house show circuit improv with Steve Austin for 15 minutes, take one stunner and then be done. So, um, but with Jericho and Bischoff, there were rumors. They didn't particularly like each other, but that's all they were. They actually got along reasonably well and they still get along reasonably well to this day. Jericho's pretty fringe a pro, you know, he's, he's pretty professional with a lot of people for the most part, you know? Um, so 
Jericho and Cena in a match that I completely forgot that I have at three and a half to three and three quarters. You know, I, I really think it's it's maybe the match of the night. Uh, probably the one that I like the most coming out of this show. We get big clothesline from Jericho early suplex, uh, spinning heel kick. He goes for the drop kick, but Cena moves and goes. Uh, and Jericho goes crashing into the floor. Then Cena's in control. Uh, Jericho comes back with a drop kick, and then he gets a suplex, another drop kick, and and poke to the eyes. Um, we get Jericho drop kick off the apron onto Cena on the floor, and then he's choking Cena with the cord of a camera. They get back in the ring. He sets up for a superplex. He nails it. He goes uh, hard on the back of his head though as he. Uh, he gets a two count there. Cena jumps back in control, back body drop. This is a really quick pace too. Two couple clotheslines. Cena goes for one of his shoulder blocks, but Jericho moves out of the way. He ends up hitting a bulldog. He goes for the lion salt, but then Cena moves and uh, hits a. Cena's going for the walls of Jericho. Um, is uh, he, he boots Jericho out? So we get Cena. Uh, Jericho's back in the ring, and Cena hits a, a leg drop. Cena goes for the fu. Jericho ends up. Reversing it into a DDT I thought that was really really cool And it near fall For two here so things are really Starting to pick up with these guys As uh, Jericho's You know laying it in Kicks uh, we get a backbreaker This this is when the crowd Andrew starts to go nuts let's go Cena let's go Jericho For maybe two minutes Straight we're just this crowd is Screaming they're starting to get just pumped because this match is probably a little bit better than they were expecting here. They really want to boo Cena, but he's having a damn good showing. Uh, Cena comes back with a running clothesline, a couple more clotheslines, hip toss. He hits that spinning slam. He does the you can't see me, but then Jericho jumps up. He locks in the walls of Jericho. Fans are really into this here. Cena crawls to the bottom rope. He breaks the hold. Um, he goes for an FU, and then Jericho goes a belly, belly, belly to belly suplex for two. Is Cena catches Jericho who, who charges the, the spot was really cool Jericho's running at him Cena catches him Like he's going to do Sort of like a backbreaker And he flips and spins Jericho up on the shoulders And hits the FU Which we now know as the attitude adjustment For uh, the win at just under 15 minutes Crowd was really into this one Andrew And yeah you know the more I think about it And talking it back I think I probably even have it A little higher than three and uh, three and a half I'd probably go three and three quarters here because I really Like liked this one quite a bit Yeah I went four that's how much I really Enjoyed this match I wouldn't talk Um, you off it yeah I thought these two guys worked a really good pace Cena was still Very new to the main event Scene and there were people who thought He was over pushed they thought Cena couldn't wrestle and I I've always hated that notion because you look at a guy like John Cena, look at his body of work, look at the bangers he has had with a lot of different people. And I'm not even talking the usual suspects as far as work rate. You can go beyond guys like AJ Styles, CM Punk, Shawn Michaels. He had a series of really good matches with Umaga when Umaga was presented as a legitimate main event threat before, unfortunately, his personal demons wound up getting the better of him. You wind up looking at matches like this where even a Cena who was still learning more than held up his end of the bargain with a guy in Jericho who, by Jericho's own admission, was pretty well burnout. A guy who 
clearly needed some time away from the ring. They went 15 minutes with minimal rest holds. Mm-hmm. And they did so in such a way where everything that they did mattered. There were a couple of really, really cool spots, even on, off the start. They went really quick. Jericho got a leg lariat, but then bumped down to the floor. Uh, Cena gets a comeback, winds up hitting a back body drop and a couple of clotheslines, but misses the flying tackle and just face plants. Uh, Cena gets a guillotine leg drop when Jericho's coming back into the ring. And obviously Jericho's got to set up to take the move, but the timing was really good at that. I loved the dueling chant that the crowd did. And when you think of dueling crowds with John Cena, you think of the let's go Cena, Cena sucks dueling chant. That's not what we got here because Jericho was as over as he was. So I thought that made it really cool. The announcers ate it up with a spoon. They were talking about how 9,000 people are chanting for John Cena and 9,000 people are chanting for Chris Jericho. That's really cool. And it elevates both guys. It was a really cool setting where I don't think anyone would have been surprised with anything they did as far as the outcome and what they did helped make John Cena into a legitimate main event guy. Cena credits Jericho a lot for some of the work that he did in getting him over. I thought this was a legitimate four-star match. I knew it was a good match. I didn't expect to love it as much as I did. You know, I think you hit on a good point, too. Um, This had every right, based on the timing of where these guys were, it had every right to be a bad match. Jericho is checked out He's leaving the next night Like this is his last big match He could go out there with the boo-boo face That a lot of people do when they know they're losing And just go through the motions And and maybe kind of make it difficult For the new up-and-coming guy Because who cares, I'm not going to be around for a little while I'm leaving, who cares if Cena, you know That's how some people work And that's how some people think, you know But Jericho didn't do that Cena was up, you know, up to the challenge here And I completely forgot about how good this match was. It was a the, my the biggest pleasant surprise on this show. A show that was was solid. A, a show that I didn't dislike at all. But this was the thing that I uh, that I remember most as we then get set up for Batista JBL video package for this build. We had a match between these two at the Great American Bash, and this will now be a no holds bar match for the world title. JBL comes out with the white limo. There are the bills falling from the rafters with JBL's face on them. Taz says they're worthless. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> and uh, the I believe uh, Batista, hometown Washington D.C. So we get a huge ovation for him. And this is a really good use of JBL. Like JBL was, I think, you know. Bradshaw whether you like him or not Personally on commentary and stuff Because that's you know where we kind of think of him From his recent time The JBL heel character Was a very good character It was a really good wrestling character And he was Good enough to be A main event heel He was good enough In the ring and good enough on the mic And he made you hate him And he did all the things that a wrestling heel should do Like want you to come in and see him get his ass kicked (laughs) And you know He he was he had that run Which you look back on and it was it was good You know he he built that Mystique of being a guy that everyone was going to hate And then he was able to use that for a couple years After and help continue to put guys Over and he does that here for Batista Batista and uh, JBL goes after Him early uh, but they brawl Over the brawl over by the entrance Batista 
hits JBL with the fire extinguisher in the back. Then JBL is whipping Batista into the equipment. They are brawling in the ring, uh, ringside outside the ring, a chair to the throat by JBL. Batista with a spear that breaks the barricade. And then this is when I, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. This is this is a solid match. These guys, same thing. It's like they know they're going nine minutes, so they're not going fifteen or twenty. So they just work hard. It's not a lot of just slow down. It's these big two big guys just throwing sort of haymakers and and big moves, uh, clotheslines and some punches. JBL takes the belt from the timekeeper. He starts whipping Batista in the back with the belt. He's choking Batista with the belt. Then Batista. Belly to back suplex He gets the belt and he starts whipping JBL With it uh, Batista with some of his Shoulder tackles a boot to the face Then JBL hit, hits a clothesline From hell for two He brings the top part of the steel Steps in the ring he sets up like He's going to do a power bomb but Batista counters It with a back body drop And then a beautiful Batista st- uh, Spine buster there he gives you The thumbs down he picks up JBL Batista bomb But he doesn't cover him he looks over at the steps and the fans are chanting one more time. So we get a power bomb onto the steel steps for uh, a win for Jay for Batista in just over nine. Like a good way to end a feud. You move on to something else. You nobody I don't think thought JBL was winning this match. And you didn't need it to go 15-20. This was a little bit better than going just three or four minutes because JBL was a legitimate contender. So you give him some hope spots and it helps build to the win A little bit more for a hometown hero Who's going to get a big ovation I like this quite a bit and it's not The greatest thing in the world I had it I think uh, at like Three I, I like this more than the, the Orton Taker match I thought it was more fun Had a better pace to it so I didn't like the two and three quarters to, to three range So I had it at two But that's not necessarily thinking It was a terrible match First of all credit where it's due I love the mummy with JBL's face on it coming down during the entrance. I thought that was a really cool little spot. And it's something that NXT is stealing to this very day. Right now, yeah. I don't now, know yep. if you saw the Cameron Grimes thing from tonight. Mm-hmm. Did the same exact <laughs> yep. thing. That's funny that we were so, talking about this show when we just had literally tonight on NXT, the opening segment when he won the money, he had came out with the uh, the – uh, the million dollar belt and they were dropping the grimes and then and, and ted DiBiase money so this is it's a good trope that you can use every now and then yep you can't overuse it but when it fits it really fits now you're higher on jbl than i am i thought it was a fantastic gimmick i thought it maximized jbl's star power after the apa broke up when ron simmons retired i thought it was a great reinvention of that guy and I thought he got a lot out of it. The problem was it was great for me, at least up until the bell rang. I just never thought he was all that great of a worker. And I understand that the draw with him wasn't the working part of it. It was have everybody in the building so that maybe, maybe, maybe tonight will be the night he gets his ass kicked. And in that regard, he was great. But as a singles worker, He just never did anything for me. It was a case where, you know, I loved the entrance. I loved how he carried himself. I loved the promos, but I just never had a desire to see him wrestle. And in Batista, you have a guy who looked like a billion dollars when he walked in the door. This was a guy who 
when evolution had formed and when everything had finally gotten going after several starts and stops, everybody thought, oh, Randy Orton's going to be the star. Orton's going to be the star. Orton's going to be the star. Triple H has outright said, uh, guys, you see that big guy over there built like a house? He's going to be okay, too. And it wound up being a case where <laughs> Triple H actually did a lot for Batista. My God, that segment where Batista turns face and signs the contract. Oh, yeah. And the power thumbs. bombs Triple mm-hmm. H through the table. Like, you'd have bought anything as far as what Batista's future was going to be. Because that was so good. It was so well done. And even though he could cut a promo, he realized he didn't have to. He realized all he had to do was stand there, look menacing, grunt out a couple of sentences, come out to I Walk Alone by Saliva, insert Xavier Woods rocking out here if you want to do an interactive portion of the podcast. Uh, But as far as this match goes, he wasn't a finished product quite yet. No, and just like you mentioned, all of them, Orton, Batista, and Cena were all in that class. Edge, too. I mean, Edge was still developing as a singles guy, too, after all the starts and stops that he had. Mm -hmm. So Batista wasn't quite there yet as a worker, as a personality, as being over. Yes, he was absolutely there. He had everything you could potentially want in a guy. He just needed to learn how to work, and he eventually did. I thought this match was fine. I didn't think it was any great shakes. I am happy it was short. I remembered the Great American Bash match that they had that went more than 20 minutes and had a DQ finish that made absolutely no sense. This was far better than that, and at least they kept it fairly short. Mm -hmm. Both guys tried hard. It's just, I was just never much of a fan of JBL in the ring. Yeah, I think he, for me, he was totally fine for a heel. Uh, that that was never going to be like the face of your company, and right. so so you know he was like I said about about what you need to be able to be in the ring to get to to have it all kind of come together. So he I think he's one when I watch back a little bit more that he he bores me less on the rewatches than I remember being bored maybe initially through the times, and so that was I think you kind of hit on it too. M- maybe that's why I like this match more because it's nine minutes and not seventeen, and exactly. that's exactly. When- and that's when I get bothered by him because then it's like, okay, we're really selling, we're really laying it on thick. Like this was, oh, yeah, they didn't really have to slow things down too much. We didn't really get JBL doing any of that, like, come on, Michael, you know, any of that, like, yelling, like, talking throughout the match stuff. Um, yeah, I thought this was a good way for a hometown guy to get a win and uh, make him look strong as we get set. For the main event Here we go, here we go and, yeah, We got the video package for Hogan versus Sean. I love Michaels. this video package, this it's is so great. good It's great um, Sean and Hogan team together Sean needs a partner So he ends up asking for Hulk Hogan To come back for one more match They end up teaming together a couple different times actually um, I think at Vengeance they beat Hassan and Davari, and then they uh, they wrestle Angle and Carlito. And there they was winning. a six man match in there too in the Anaheim Pond, where Cena, Michaels, and Hogan were all on the same team. Oh, that's crazy. my god! If they could, <laughs> just imagine what would have happened if they had advertised that, because Hogan wow. was a mystery partner. Imagine if they had advertised the biggest guy from the '80s, the biggest guy from the '90s, and the current biggest star in a six man match. Against, I believe it was Jericho, Christian, and Tyson Tomko. And my goodness, if I got all of that right, I. That's I, pretty I, impressive. Yeah. But Very. It, 
I just remember, I remember Michaels doing the intro and saying the one, the only, and you're going, they can't be the immortal Hulk Hogan. And the reason, by the way, that this worked with Hogan being brought back as a tag partner is because in small doses at that time, there was nobody better at work in a crowd than Hulk Hogan in small doses as the tag team heater. He was perfect. They brought him back. They had him as the teammate with Michaels. Yay. This is freaking awesome. I never knew we needed this. Oh my God. Shawn Michaels just kicked his head off. It's great. And why I'm, I'm totally fine with them even having a main event match at SummerSlam that that goes 21. It's not for the title. It's, it's in its own world, right? These guys have, they, it's built up. These are two legends, but they're in their own. This isn't Goldberg kind of coming right back and throwing him into the title picture. And that's the, what I want the, the way that legends to be used like this. I think it's a great way. People love this match. It was great, but I didn't need to see Hogan against Cena in a title match where it wouldn't have done good for Cena or a Batista or one of them to have to fit. It was fu- it was it was great here. This was great. This was a lot of fun, and it's absurd and ridiculous. Some of the bumping that Shawn Michaels does in this match, but it's not bad. It's you just kind of laugh at it. It's it's just funny more than anything. Um, and this is the only time from 2002 to 2010 when Shawn Michaels came back where he was a heel, and it was just for a yeah. little bit. And it was only for really for this feud and and the build up to this feud when he 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 started ripping on Brett again in Montreal. Who's your daddy, Montreal? <laughs> he was doing the Larry King. So good. Thing, so the, good. The, the the segment of the imitation on Larry King. And uh, yeah, the, the build was 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 a lot of fun. And this was some good stuff for Sean being a super, super heel to lead up to this. And then he was able to kind of get it right back at the end of the match, which is great. You know, it was like he worked heel for a few months. And then at the end of the match, that just shows you what a true pro and a performer that he is. The crowd is fine and cheering him as he walks away. And okay. uh, yeah, you know, um, so can we take the trip behind the curtain? Please go ahead. All right, here we go. And set it up for you. Go for it. This is where I miss Darren Zocali because Darren would be licking his chops for this particular segment. Darren, I know you're listening. Hope to see you again next week. This one's for you, buddy. So the initial plan between Shawn Michaels and Hulk Hogan was to do a series of matches. I'm not sure whether it was two or three, but the important component would be Michael's got to go over at least once. That was the component behind Sean doing the storyline, wanting to do these series of dream matches with Hulk Hogan. And those would have done phenomenal business. This one sure as heck did. However, Hulk Hogan, according to every backstage source that was out there and including Sean himself, basically said, that doesn't work for me, brother. So Sean gets approached and said, Terry would like to do one match face versus heel, the type of standard buildup that he's used to. Sean goes, if we were doing face versus heel and I was the guy I was a couple of years ago, I would get on the mic and I would tear him to shreds. So he does the Larry King bit. And beforehand, Sean had said, hey, listen, just so you know, here's what I'm going to do. Hogan goes, no problem, brother. Michaels does the Larry King bit. 
problem, brother. So they've got backstage heat already. And it's a case where Michaels is really fed up because he came back for the storyline being sold a bill of goods, basically. And now it's something completely different that anything that he had agreed to, anything that he had envisioned when they were eventually, when they were pitching the storyline. So what happened was Michaels comes out and he oversells everything. Now, Shawn Michaels has never been known to not sell. When Shawn Michaels is out there taking a beating, you know he's taking a beating and he throws himself into taking a beating. But early in the match, Sean does this simple turnbuckle spot where I think he's just sent into the corner and he does a flip sell out of the corner. <laughs> and that is the moment yep. where any that's, astute that's wrestling observer will look and think to themselves, self, something's going on mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Now, this match was pretty darn good. And Hulk Hogan, I will say this, for as many political games as he allegedly played leading up to this match, he brought his working boots. He was 52. He went 20 minutes at 20 plus minutes at 52. 52 years old. And I have this as a three-star match. It's a good match. But you know the backstory going in. Hogan does not look good coming out of it with all the nonsense that he pulled. And for what reason? It's 2005. Hogan is never going to have any sort of a full-time run ever again. And it's not like they're using him to put over Eugene or using him to put over, uh, insert random mid-card act here, the Basham brothers, uh, Deuce and Domino. I don't know. They're not using him for that particular reason. This is an icon versus icon kind of match. And would either of these guys be diminished at all in defeat? I no, don't think so. Absolutely so not. Ultimately, the moral of the story is Hogan got his way. And Darren, I hope you're listening, buddy, because Hogan must pose. <laughs> and uh, JR let us know that neither of these men had lost a one-on-one SummerSlam match. I thought that was a cool little tidbit here as uh, Sean getting some some booze. In uh, as you would expect, playing some heel here, a big American flag in the background as Hogan makes his entrance, and so they're really you know laying on the uh, American hero Hulk Hogan thing. It's not like Sean's a foreigner, but they're they're pushing it for uh for a Hogan. And as he comes out, we get the Sean burying him, the burying the shovel. So when Hogan's entering, Sean is mimicking a shovel as Hogan's burying him on the way out to the ring which is just some great stuff as uh the crowds into this andrew this crowd was really hot all night long and they are pumped for this match we get the stare down to start and hogan using his uh his strength he pushes sean down a couple times big shoulder block and that was the bump that you mentioned sean goes flailing outside of the ring and he's just so over the top here thinking think some mr perfect selling uh type stuff too as we get some uh um, hard chops to the chest of hogan by sean um then hogan tosses sean into the turnbuckle some punt or he's He's like laying across the top rope and Hogan's kicking him and Sean is just flailing as he's like draped across the top rope and, and Hogan's punting him back and forth. Um, we get another goofy bump from Sean, thumb to the eye, 
But uh, then Hogan with the back body drop, big clothesline that sends Shawn Michaels out to the floor. Again, he's just all over the place. He does a flip after he lands. Uh, Shawn with a kick to the chest, and then he starts uh, smacking Hogan in the face, which was kind of funny. He just slaps him a few times, and Shawn's just trying to going at him right now. Really intense. He's flailing at him, he's jumping at him, he's punching at him, and he's trying to get him busted open. They go over to the Spanish announce table, they don't break it. Uh, Hogan tosses Michael face first into the ring post, and then we get Michaels shoving Sean, uh, Shawn Michaels shoving Hogan into the ring post repeatedly, face first, over and over. He's trying to bust him open here, hard way, but he, he can't. So they get back in the ring, and the referee pulls Sean off. And we don't, we get a camera cut for a second. And then when we cut back, Hogan is bleeding all over. So that was the moment where he, uh, he, he did the job there as he is just, as Andrew mentioned, blood all over the place. They stopped the match earlier on the card because of blood. That ain't the case here. And Sean just goes right after that wound. He's punching at it. He uh, locks in a sleeper. Fans start to get behind Hogan. They're chanting. Blood's just dripping out. There's a moment here where Sean's got like a a, a headlock in, and there's just blood is all over Sean too, like all over his arm and all down his arms from Hogan. As Hogan does, uh, we get a belly to back suplex as he's able to to bust out, and then Sean comes flying with a running forearm. Hogan moves and. The referee ends up getting hit Hogan's like in the middle of doing his his punches and his boot And that's when Sean comes flying with the forearm Hogan ducks and the referee gets knocked out So that's uh, I believe Mike Kyoto. Then Sean locks in a, a sharpshooter which just looks so bad He's it, one of the best workers of all time And he's got the worst looking Attempt at a sharpshooter that you um, could worse than the rocks because the no, rocks I is mean, pretty bad. It's pretty bad, but this is this the rock isn't as good of a worker as Sean, you know, like that's True. the difference. And Sean is so so smooth, but he just he doesn't look good with this one either. As Sean uh Hogan gets to the bottom rope to break it, and then uh Hogan kicks Sean, who then bumps into the new ref. So now we've got a couple refs that are knocked down. Sean then with the low blow, and he goes and gets a chair. He nails Hogan with the chair. Now there was a cool moment before this where they're both kind of laying out, and Sean does. They look like they're both just exhausted, and Sean does the kip up. That that's right before the sharpshooter, and Hogan, you look like when he's in the sharpshooter. It's funny because he's smacking the mat. But he's not tapping. It sort of looks like they tap that he taps, and even coach is like, "He's tapping, he's tapping." But he's just sort of, you know, pulling himself closer to the ropes. The chair shot looked bad, right to the head. As Sean goes up top, he hits the flying elbow drop. He goes to wake up the ref, and as Hogan starts to to wake up and and stumble, Shawn Michaels hits sweet chin music. We get the one, the two. And Hogan powers out of Sweet Chin Music. He hulks up, no sells the punches from Sean. We get the point. We get the punches, the big boot, and Sean goes again, just flailing and spinning around. And uh, Hogan with the big leg drop to win at 21, I think 25. Is it a little absurd at times? Yes, but it's fun. It's fun. 
two veterans. You get a lot of their, you know, everybody got what they came to see with these two guys. Hogan must pose a lot of crap behind the scenes. But if you're just gauging and grading this as a match, Hogan did a lot of pretty good work in in the years when he came back. This is one match that that I'll always think of. As he worked really well And it's because it's a little bit funny With the way that Sean goes And then you obviously think of the match with The Rock And actually even a couple of the matches with The Rock That were pretty good But this is even years after that The guy could still go Not week to week But in a ma- in a moment like this When he knows what he's doing he He's still delivered He still got this crowd to pop He was still the main event act That, you know, that closed the show And, you know, top to bottom it's a pretty good show. There's a couple things that we nitpicked throughout. There's a few things that maybe could have been a little bit better, but when you have, you know, a a Mysterio, Eddie, a Orton, Undertaker, a Cena, Jericho, a Batista, JBL, and a Hogan, Sean, where you have five big matches, none of which were bad, that's going to be a decent show. There is far more good than bad on this particular show. I'm happy we got around to it at some point. When you picked SummerSlam 2000, I really thought you were going to say N5. Because of the way you led into it, but uh, no, I'm happy we were able to do this. It was my pick. I'm just it, it's it's unfortunate that Darren couldn't be here because I got to tell you, hearing him rant about Hogan and Sean would have been one of the greatest things that we have ever done in the. My goodness, we're going on almost a year and a half of doing this now. Um, that would have been special. So we're going to need to ask for his thoughts. I think to open next week's show, uh, just so we get a little taste of that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. this match was fine. Hogan's 52 years old. But between Sean bumping like a madman and Hogan being game to work a decent match, there are a lot of politics that went into this. There were a lot of questionable booking decisions. And ultimately, Sean actually said on one of his DVDs as a direct shot to Hogan, some of the most talented people ever in the history of our business are also the most insecure. And that's exactly what happened here because would a loss have hurt Hulk Hogan at all? Absolutely not. And the way these two work together, I think it's a shame we only saw them together as opponents once. Okay, Andrew, I'm going to pick the next one and you are going to love this show. All righty. You're going to like where we're headed because we knew we were going to have to get there at some point. I believe we are up to this. So the... SummerSlam 2005 that we just recorded right now is number 57 of our uh, old wrestling rewatches. So for number 58, we're heading somewhere that we knew we were going to head eventually. We're going to WCW. We're going to 1997. We're going to Starcade. We're talking Sting, Hogan, Bret Hart showing up. We're talking about everything that happened in the lead up to the match that was maligned the build uh was great but then the execution was poor we will have a ton to talk about and you know what it's actually a pretty fun card we get guerrero eddie guerrero dean malenko in a about a 15 minute cruiserweight match to kick off the show we've got a we get a look at early Goldberg in a match with Steve McMichael, where oh, I'm God. pretty sure they almost kill each other three they times did. They in, this, did. in this match. And then we get a, a Bagwell Luger match. That's 16 minutes and 30 seconds. I don't remember a lot about it, but how the hell this goes 1630. 
I, I look forward to discussing that one. And then we get DDP versus Kurt Hennig for the U.S. title. And the Zabisco Bischoff stuff was actually kind of fun. It wasn't, it, you know, Zabisco was, uh, was, you know, the old vet here who, who was pissed off at Eric, NWO guy, and he was sort of flying the WCW flag. So this will be a really cool show to talk about, as, of course, everyone's going to remember the Sting Hogan. It was between this one and. Halloween Havoc 97, but I just feel like the Starcade we have so much more to talk to talk about with the Sting Hogan stuff than, you know, the the Piper Hogan stuff which was actually uh um at Halloween Havoc. So, we're going back to WCW, we're going to Starcade 97 for probably one of the most infamous pay-per-views in wrestling history and definitely one of the most polarizing moments in in the history of WCW. Looking back As good as the Sting angle was, and for 99% of it, it was fantastic. There is a lot we can nitpick. Had they ended the angle at the Great American Bash in June or in Bash at the Beach in July, I think you would have gotten a lot better payoff. Now, what happened in that pay-per-view, oh boy. So, you have Bret Hart... Handed to them on a silver platter. The hottest story. He just, the Montreal screw job literally just happens, and Brett can go right there to them. And how do they use him? As a special guest referee? Yep. That is what we call foreshadowing, kids, because it wouldn't get much better for the Hitman in WCW. No. And as a huge Um, Brett fan, I don't even have a whole lot of good to say about Brett in WCW. You can uh, find a few matches that he has that are. That are solid he does some good work with the US title there's one or two things With Sting that are okay actually does Some okay work with he who will not be Named Voldemort but yeah the match That he had with Voldemort in Kansas City as a tribute to Owen Is one of the best matches Of Brett's career and unfortunately I can't watch it anymore yeah, um, yeah. But you take a look at that And that's one thing someone Said this and I wish I could figure out Who it was but I read this and it's absolutely True Sting was never more over than when he was walking down the aisle to face Hogan at Starcade. Then he gets in the ring and you realize, oh, wait, it's just Sting. I know now, what you mean. Now, just is yeah. a little harsh, but you remember, oh, yeah, we like this guy. He's a very good worker, he's got a lot of charisma. He can talk, except he hasn't talked in 18 months. Then he gets in the ring. First of all, there were numerous complaints about his physique, which Hogan shared with Bischoff when he decided he didn't want a job. And you know what? Like, I don't want to stick up for them, but I think, and we'll talk about it, you know, obviously much more when we go. I think you can kind of see it, and you even said it, whether it's out of shape, ring rust, whatever it is, the guy hadn't been wrestling. His story wasn't in the ring He's not working dark matches at house shows or anything either He's just, he's not in the ring They're telling a great story But he's up in the rafters like the crow He's not in the ring doing anything So everything about this I will give maybe the benefit of the doubt To Bischoff and Hogan in that situation Even though, who the hell knows Can we ever believe those two when it comes to a situation like Maybe, but this should have been Five minutes of Sting just beating the hell out of Hogan it and shouldn't the entire even NWO. Right? It shouldn't even have been an attempt at a 12 minute match. Like I don't, no. you know, and that's the problem is that 
if Sting just comes in and, and lays waste and he's got the bat, he fights off some of the other NWO, he pins one, two, three, we move on, the crowd goes happy. You're right. It's when, it's just Paul Heyman wouldn't have done something like this, right? You no. don't put your wrestlers in a spot to fail. You put them in spots to succeed. And just like you said, all of the best stuff about Sting was the story, was the angle, was this new character. He's flying, he's the WCW guy now. He's going to battle for us. He's been here for all this time. And then, like you said, it's it's not you don't te- you you don't like set up for the the big match when you know that guy doesn't have a big big match maybe in him right there. So yeah, this'll this will be a lot of fun. We'll have a, a ton to discuss. I'm looking forward to this because I remember watching this show as a kid and I remember thinking they're passing that off as a fast count. Me too. I, I was do. like, what the hell are they talking about? I that was, was a normal count. I was eight or nine years old at the time. And while I was by no means a rocket scientist or a child prodigy, I remember thinking, there's no way that was a fast count like at all. And we're going to have a lot of fun talking about this. I'm happy you picked this show. This was one of a couple of WCW shows that was on my list as far as things we were going to need to talk about at some point. So I'm happy we're able to do it, and I'm looking forward to doing it next week. Make sure to give Andrew a follow on Twitter at Andrew Champagne. And andrewchampagne.com is where you can find all of his selections Where he'll post uh, a lot of his uh, his work that he's doing over at Saratoga Selections for each and every race, each and every day You get all sorts of written articles, columns, uh, pieces uh, on you know Andrew reacting to stuff happening in uh, in the world of horse racing Get some fun back and forth with uh, Andrew and some trainers on, uh, on Twitter also Fun would not be the <laughs> word I would use to describe it <laughs> But uh, yeah you got a lot going on the podcast with Champagne and JD, which is one that made the uh, the ABR best podcast voting. So congratulations to you and JD. A little late on that. the ballot, but thank you and congratulations to you as well. We got we got thrown in there, so at least somebody, uh, at least one or two people, uh, like what we're doing out there. So Andrew, uh, what do you have coming up this week? Even though when people hear it, it might be a little bit in the past, but let us know what you have coming up. Well, what I have coming up this week is something that people are going to either laugh at or sympathize with. The first of four weddings in six weeks. I will be on a plane headed to Boston on Thursday afternoon. I will be coming back on Saturday. It's going to be a freaking mess. And oh, by the way, the Travers is coming up on Saturday. Put it this way, Gino, going to be doing a lot, and I mean a lot of work on the plane. (laughs) We said he's going to Boston. We said he'd start a new life. Andrew Champagne, traveling the world with his I was actually going for shipping off to Boston. Jonathan Papelbon's old famous. (laughs) That works, too. Andrew, buddy, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I'm really pumped about uh, Star Kid 97. There'll be a lot to read into uh, this too. A lot of backstage, behind the scenes stuff to discuss. We had the WCW for Star Kid 97 next on what will be, geez, that's going to be uh, what number 58 on the old wrestling rewatch. Yeah, if you're a fan and you haven't heard all of them, we have. We have 57 of these that you can go back and listen to Evergreen programming (laughs) Exactly, that's what's nice about them They never get old, it's always the same So thank you for joining us again Thank you Andrew for helping out And uh, we will be right back here in just a second On That's What G Said 
And that's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. A big thank you to Andrew Champagne for helping out again with the old wrestling rewatch. I think maybe one more week will be uh, with me and Andrew, and then DZ will be back from vacation. DZ, that's what happens when you make 50 grand and, you know, and tickets on your horses win all over the place. DZ just goes gallivanting all over the world on his vacations. Uh, thank you to, uh, to Jessica Paquette for helping us out. Make sure to Tune in for the big day at Colonial. Their closing day on Wednesday, also after Tuesday. So get involved Tuesday and Wednesday. Check out the uh, the charity that Jessica also works with there. And always a big thank you to TK helping us out with another recap of What If. We'll be back next week with another episode of What If Episode 4 recap with Tim Kelly. And then later this week, so much more on That's What G Said with NFL coming up with Eric. We'll preview all the big racing stuff for the weekend as it's going to be closing weekends at Saratoga and Del Mar. Thanks, folks. Have a good one. Joey, close us out.